Welcome to the 100th episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. Normally, I start this episode off, or all episodes off, by saying welcome to another. But this isn't just another. This is the episode, the 100th episode. We went guns blazing for this one. I, I'm very happy with what I was able to put together for this episode. I really hope you guys enjoy it for the new viewers, for the you know day one viewers. I appreciate every single one of you. You guys uh, are a huge part as to why I continue to do this every single week, uh, which seems like every single week with the current UFC schedule, but we are absolutely killing it. And uh, nothing but good things i'm i'm so happy with everything that i've endured over the last 100 episodes over the last 100 weeks or however long it's been now and uh every week you guys keep coming back and and listening to this watching this and i'm very very grateful thankful and appreciative of what you guys uh have been doing for me for the last two and a half years so quick shout out to you guys first and foremost uh secondly uh this it's weird how everything culminated with this one week you know what i mean so we got ufc 254 this weekend you know huge card habib habib and gaethje very very big card uh not to mention it's my 29th birthday as well on uh, the thursday of fight week and it's it's just crazy that it all culminated with this and yeah i cheated a little bit in terms of making sure this was the week because uh you know officially episode 98 was last week covering ufc fight island 6 i did a quick live stream on youtube to make uh, a 99th episode and now here we are at 100 so yeah it's still close enough and i'm i'm taking it i don't care what anybody says so uh as you guys can obviously tell, I'm sure you guys have already looked through the, the comments and uh, uh, the description and all that stuff. You guys can see that I have put together a solid group of MMA handicappers, uh, people that love watching the fight game, people that love uh, putting their hard, uh, you know, hard-earned money and hard-earned time towards this sport. And I, I feel like I put together the best group of people that I potentially could. Um, I do want to give a shout out to my guy Big Marcel at Big Marcel 24 on Twitter. You guys know him as pretty much the fight announcement slash fight changement cancellation guru. Uh, he does a really good job of keeping us informed on the Twitter sphere whenever there's a fight change or a fight announcement or anything like that. He actually broke down Umer Nurmagomedov versus Sergey Morozov with me. And uh, unfortunately, this morning that fight got canceled. So I wasn't able to put it into this episode, but I do want to give him a big thank you and shout out for joining me. And it's unfortunate it's his fight that ended up getting the boot before we ever got this uh, this episode to see the day of uh, the light of day, I should say. So shout out to him. And then shout out to everybody else that was on this episode. I, I very much think that everybody uh, took time from their day to join me for 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever it was, to break down these fights and give their thoughts on this card. Obviously, we ended off with a huge banger. Um, I'm not going to say it uh, unless, uh, you know, you know, if people want a little bit of a surprise. So I won't say it off the top here. Uh, but I'm truly thankful that he came on to, to give us his thoughts on this event. So, yeah that's me just teeing up this event what i normally do is go over my last uh week of betting uh which i will do now um it was it would have been nice to go into this ufc 254 fight week this 100th episode fight week with a nice one even if it was a little bit of profit unfortunately everything goes to shit last week you know nothing comes to fruition pretty much nothing comes to fruition in terms of what i had predicted and uh bet on this past week but uh yeah let's go through it let's go with the lone win first 
know what I mean? So I got James Krause. Uh, I had 1.5 units on him at minus 137. Uh, and he did the damn thing. You know, he he crippled his leg or his knee, it seems, I believe, in the first or second round. Uh, and he just played it super safe and just pretty much picked apart Claudio Silva from the outside. You know, I did have a small little play on him to win inside the distance and went by KO as well at plus 450-ish, close to plus 450. Uh, but unfortunately, that didn't come to fruition again due to that mangled knee of his uh but i'm very happy that i was able to call the right side on that that was one of the more heavily debated uh, fights on the card and i felt very strong and convicted with my james Krause side uh even when he was up at that minus 200 range earlier in the fight week a lot of money and love came in on claudio silva i didn't see it um and thankfully i was right on that side uh let's talk about other fights dog of the night play i had the under two and a half on the matthias gamrod and guram kuta Kute Taladze fight. I'm trying to hammer that name. I promise you guys, I'm trying. Uh, I had one year at plus 180. Um, some solid exchanges. Uh, didn't end up playing out the way that I thought it would. And big ups to anybody that took the shot on Gurum at those heavy, heavy odds. Uh, good win for him there. That's minus one unit. Then we had the um, 2.1 units on the fight to not go to decision against Pugliana Batanio and Jillian Robertson. Robertson is a finisher or a get finished girl. And she even, you know, said the same type of sentiment in her post-fight interview. She goes, I want to go out there and get the finish. She she wouldn't. You know what I mean? Pugliana Batanio, when she had, uh, when she was on the ground, she did nothing in terms of trying to get up. And those are the exchanges where I expect Jillian Robertson to go out there and get the finish, you know, take the back, get the rear naked choke, whatever it is. Batello was just happy off of her back. It, it didn't seem like she had any urgency to get uh, back to her feet just as most fighters would want to uh so that was a really tough loss there that's minus 2.1 units then uh, we had our team korea parlay it started off great with jun young park and that was actually a play that i was looking at to make my locker than i play uh earlier in the week when he was like around that minus 220 range i thought it was a shoe in that he was going to go in there and win against john phillips did i think he was going to be this successful in terms of continuously getting down and just holding him down without much uh resistance no i expected there to be a little bit more stand-up and him kind of just picking apart john phillips from the outside and then mixing in the takedowns but he showed off his cauliflower ear we saw what uh, he was dealing with, and um, yeah, solid win for him there uh, for for Jun Young Park. Then it came time for a Jun or Chan Sung Young Korean Army to go out there and finish off this team Korea parlay, and we got introduced to Brian Ortega 2.0. Apparently, he has striking now. Uh, he did a great job in terms of picking apart Chan Sung Young from distance. Uh, great understanding of the striking game. You know, he, he uses jab to perfection, uses footwork to perfection. Uh, you know, he had some feints and misdirections in there as well too that really threw off uh, Chan Sung Young. So that was uh, very impressive from Brian Ortega's part. A lot of people thought. He needed to get this fight to the ground to hook on a submission, but the, not a lot of people thought that Brian Ortega was going to win this fight via decision, and that's exactly what he did. He looked phenomenal. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he looks like against other top featherweights, but to throw him right in there with the against Alexander Volkanovsky, in my opinion, it's a little bit too early. Let's get another fight out of him. Um, and yeah, I would love to see what Brian Ortega continues to look like with this newly acquired striking game that he has. Uh, so yeah, that cr crashes our parlay, minus two units there. And then obviously the lock of the night play, Gadzimurad Antigulov goes out there and does nothing in round one completely uncharacteristic of himself even the commentators were commentating on it saying the same exact thing uh and max grisham uh you know was willing to wait for antigulov to go out there and do what he does you know grisham is the type of guy that waits for his opponent to 
to give him uh, or let him know what type of pace this fight's going to be fought at. And Antigolov was just completely okay with doing nothing in round one. Round two, turned it on immediately. And if we got that Antigolov in round one, that under was hitting no doubt about it. Um, yeah, that's minus five units at minus 122. And God, yeah, I got a little greedy here because I was more than happy with what I th- saw and especially that line, I did get greedy. I did say in the past episode that, you know, uh, you know, in these spots when we get these minus 120s, minus 130s, you know, maybe go three and a half units, maybe go four units. There's no need to go the full five. But I truly believe that this under one and a half was going to hit, no doubt about it. Um, very, very convicted on that play, just as convicted, if not more, than I was on that James Cross play. So uh, it was a bummer when I when I saw that. You know that 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 under miss, uh, and then it ends up hitting like two minutes and forty seven seconds later. You know, I mean, a little bit too too late, Mister Grishin. A little bit too late, but more so, I would place the blame on Tagulov, who was the main ingredient for this under one and a half to hit. So that was a bummer. All right, so all in all, very very a complete bloodbath of an event for me. Uh, you know, very uncharacteristic, but minus nine point two six units. I don't hide from my losses whatsoever. I'm more than happy to to take the heat in the comments below. Hit me with that, but you know, your boy definitely is uh you know this this is a uh, an anomaly if anything this was a very very unfortunate event nothing went to what i thought it would be uh but yeah i'm here to own it and i'm not going anywhere y'all are getting familiar with this face regardless uh all right so one thing i do want to touch upon before we get into the actual breakdown itself i will be doing a live stream every fight week so every friday uh the day before the fights i will go live I'm still trying to hammer out the exact time. I'm thinking either 5 p.m. Eastern or 6 p.m. Eastern. I'll go live for about 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, I, you know, I tested it out last week and it was great. A lot of people had fun on it. Uh, I had a lot of fun too. I did not expect to see the turnout and get the amount of numbers that I did uh, by going live, and I fucking killed it. So. Right after that, I went on to StreamYard, bought a subscription, and now we're going to be StreamYard. And every Friday uh, over on YouTube, obviously, tweet out the link when, whenever it's live. But I would love for you guys to join me. You guys hit me in the comments. And it's more of a free-flowing uh, show. I'm not going to you know, sit here and go through all 12 fights every every week again. I will go through the comments, address any questions that anybody has, uh, You know, give my thoughts on more things, maybe even talk about my bets whenever they're free. Uh, but it's more so for you guys. It's for the viewers. So if you guys want to tune in every friday again either 5 p.m or 6 p.m i obviously tweet it out once it happens uh, eastern time and uh yeah i would love to hang out with you guys answer any questions uh maybe get some guests on too we'll see but uh very early workings of of that live show i'm really happy to to get that going all right uh and last thing i promise last thing before we get into the breakdowns and my guests and everybody that's on this episode the patreon is the best way you can support your boy it's five bucks a month super cheap you guys get all the picks uh, all the breakdowns so every all the breakdowns that you're about to see all the videos i've already recorded are already available on the patreon so everybody on the patreon already knew about all the guests coming on you can be one of those people too if you're hop on the Patreon. Uh, so they get early access as soon as I'm done breaking down a fight and doing my research. I normally record the breakdowns and then I drop it right on the Patreon. Whereas the public needs to wait for the podcast to come out. So sometimes that's four, five, six days in advance where I actually get to breaking down these fights before the public gets to see them. So you guys get it nice and early. You guys get all the picks. And then lastly, on the Friday before the fights, you also got you also get a best bets and props article where I go over every single bet uh, on the card or sorry, every single fight on the card and give you my best bet, which is normally either an over-under or a straight pick, and then the best prop, which is, you know, what I find the most value in uh, for each uh, fight and the best prop there. So 
check that out. A ton of content on there. And it's booming over there. Currently closing in on 120 Patreon Patreon members. <clears throat> I'm getting it close to where I can finally leave the 9 to 5 and drop some more content on there for you guys as well too. So uh, yeah, all the support, all the Patreon members, all the uh, subscribers, everybody is greatly appreciated on this journey that I've been on for the last two and a half to three years. Uh, and finally, episode 100. And I had to do it with a bang. And I have absolute bangers for this entire card so i appreciate you guys checking out the episode if you haven't already make sure you hit the subscribe button below hit the like button as well too and uh, let me know what you guys are on for ufc 254 as well you guys will obviously hear what i'm on and what my guests are on for the rest of this episode so let's get into it i'm not going to hold you guys back any longer let's get into this breakdown for ufc 254 and all the treats and guests and love that i guys got for you guys let's get into it all right, we got Joel Alvarez versus Alexandra Yakovlev. And joining me from what appears to be heaven, we got my man, Derek Love. <laughs> Derek, what's going on, brother? Oh, not much, my man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm glad you're, uh, you're hopping on to do this with me. And I know this isn't really your thing to do, but um, given how supportive and encouraging you've been to a lot of people that are in my position that do similar handicapping and all that stuff, you're one of the few guys that goes out there and like retweets everybody's shit. You, you share, you, you talk with everybody. You're very inviting. So you're actually one of the first guys that I really start to talk to in the Twitter world. And uh, I felt like this was a great way for me to show appreciation to you in terms of bringing you on for my hundredth episode, because I want to tell a little bit of a story as I go throughout this podcast uh, in terms of how I've gotten to a hundred episodes and, and guys that I felt like were slightly pivotal to me to you know getting as far as i have so i really appreciate you hopping on brother oh man i'm so happy to be here i this is the first time i've done something like this since 2009 i think <laughs> yeah it's it's been it's been a long time i used to do a show like this a long long time ago and that was audio only so yeah yeah this is the, this is the first time i've ever ever done this Perfect. No, I appreciate you hopping on. So let's cut to the chase. Let's let's get into this breakdown. So we got uh, Joel Alvarez at minus 205. He had actually opened up at minus 285. We got a lot of steam coming in. And uh, now we get Alexander Yakovlev at plus 165. Um, I was, I'll, I'll kick things off. So I was a little bit surprised uh, when I first saw that opener. I was like, why the hell is Joel Alvarez, you know, minus or plus 300 or plus 250 going into that fight with Joe Duffy now, you know, coming in as a Joe Duffy spot, almost a minus 300 favorite. Uh, obviously, the public has figured out, uh, you know, that line was way too wide. Now we're seeing it close a little bit. But with Joao Alvarez, it seems like we're getting a guy that's very well versed in the striking realm, has good pop on his shots, has good leg kicks, has solid range as well for this weight class. Um, obviously, in the Joe Duffy fight, we saw Joe Duffy go for a Hail Mary takedown and fucking gets guillotine choked. Probably one of the worst beats you could ever have if you're laying chalk on Joe Duffy there. Um, which I did when I want to skip skiff over. Same, same. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, Joel Alvarez, he looks promising. I won't completely share on the kid. He does look promising. Does he deserve to be a two-to-one favorite over a guy who's established himself inside the UFC? Probably not. Talking about the Yakovlev uh, side, uh, he seems like to be a very good all-around fighter. He's been in there against guys like Damian Maya, Kamaru Usman. Um, you know, most recently he did uh, have a victory over, sorry, I just accidentally clicked play on something. Uh, he did have a victory over Alex De Silva, but then most recently lost a decision to, uh, or was it a decision they lost to uh, 
was about Robert, so I just want to confirm that. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, obviously it doesn't look as good anymore considering the run that Roosevelt Roberts has been on since then. Um, but uh, I still think that Yakovlev has some bite, uh, especially as a dog here. What do you think? I, I completely agree. Um, I would say from a betting perspective to avoid this fight, I think both these guys are pretty uh, trash. But the fact that Alvarez opened up anywhere close to that is gross. If you got that opening number on Yakovlev, like, that's, that's a good bet. It, it's a good bet. Um, while I was breaking this down, I, um, I, I feel like this fight is going to hinge on takedowns. Like, striking, I, I think Alvarez has got it. He's a little rangier. And I wish he used his jab more. Like, when you're a 6'3 lightweight, it was a 77-inch reach, hammer dudes with that jab, and we just don't see it. But I, I think this fight is going to be a lot of who, who's going to get on top. Because it seems both of these dudes don't seem to have that much off their backs. And Yakalaya's takedowns are not good. But Joe Al- Joel Alvarez's takedown defense, also very suspect. Yeah, it's, I think this fight is it's like going to be one of those, like, every round starts on the feet. We get a minute or two on the feet. And then it's going to be whoever gets on top stays on top and wins the round. And it's it. there'll be one scramble, and whoever wins it wins that round kind of thing. I, I'm not seeing anything. That's going to be, I think it'll be competitive, but I mean, if you have to bet it, if you, you know, you're one of those guys, you want the action, take the dog here. Um, don't take, uh, Joel Alvarez shouldn't be minus 200 against anyone in the UFC. Like I don't, it's just off. I, I will pass on this fight altogether. And unless there's like a, you know, crazy prop or something. Like if I, if I can get like Yakalaya by submission at like, you know, plus a thousand or something stupid, but I think this will be, I think they kind of know. Um, if I had to make a pick, it would be Joel Alvarez's decision. That's kind of what I would, I think he'll 29, 28 unanimous decision. But again, it's one of those fights where one scramble due to get on top and win the round. And if, if that's Yakalaev, two rounds done, right? Absolutely. No, I, I do agree. I feel like we can potentially still see a little bit of improvement from Joel Alvarez. He's 27 years old. Yakovlev on the other side, 36 years old. He's kind of more so on the tail end of his career. Um, I feel, yeah, I, I do feel like this should be close to a pick kind of like have we, how we've been alluding to this entire breakdown. Um, how he opened close to a three-to-one favorite is beyond me. I'm not sure what the hell the odds makers were seeing there. So shout out to anybody that got in on Yakovlev nice and early there. Um, yeah, th- this is a tough one. I think it's one that I'm going to be staying away from as well. If you put a gun to my head in terms of like just saying what's the best bet for this fight itself, I do agree with you. I do think that Yakovlev should be the, uh, you know, has the value at that plus 260 or yeah, plus 165 line that he's currently at. Um, but it, it's going to be so hard to really predict what kind of fighter we're going to see from either guy. Yeah, I mean, are we going to see Joel Alvarez pull off another guillotine choke? Yeah, I mean, what if Yakovlev goes in there, tries to initiate the takedown, and just gets a little bit lazy and just pulls <laughs> off a submission, right? And he does get lazy. That's, that's the thing. Is that he'll shoot in, like, guillotine darts, something like that. Like, he shoots in, and he, he, he quits. He does the, what I've heard referred to as the I love wrestling takedown, where you basically just lean in, touch their legs, and then quit. Yeah, it, it's it's ugly. Like like I said, like this fight will be determined by scrambles, and that'll be, you know, the, what'll you know be the outcome of the fight. You know, who who's gonna win the scrambles? Joel Alvarez is a little bit bigger, I think. I know Yakalaev has fought at welterweight, but Alvarez, I think, when these guys get on the scale, is gonna be a little bit bigger. 
but it, I don't think that'll make a huge difference here. But it might be the thing that helps him win that one scramble that wins him the fight. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely torn on this fight. Again, value side, Yakovlev. But again, getting up there in age, uh, might be losing a step. Joel Alvarez could be getting better at this point in time. You're talking about a nine-year age difference. Um, they are roughly the same. They are both 6'3". I believe Yakovlev has a slight three-inch uh, reach advantage, but I don't think it's going to come too much into, to, uh, into factor here, as I believe that Alvarez will have the advantage on the feet if that's where it actually stays. Uh, this will probably be one of the few fights that I just keep out of any like D-Gen parlays, Hail Mary parlays, lottery parlays, or anything like that. I, I just, I'm so torn on it. But again, when you're torn on a fight, that initially means that you're 50-50 on it. And if you want to go against the percentages and talk about the odds here, you got to give the slight edge then to uh, the, the dog here in Alexander Yakovlev. Um, do, so you think what? Uh, Alvarez, decision, solid prop, or Yakovlev inside the distance, solid prop? I would go Alvarez decision. That would be that. That would be assuming I don't think those numbers are out yet. I yeah. Haven't. So all we got is fight doesn't go to decision at minus one eighty five, which kind of makes a little bit of sense. But I could actually see this going the distance as well. Plus one forty five on the distance is not too bad of a shot there. Uh, but again, there's just so many fucking unknowns in this fight that you have no idea which way to truly truly go. Agreed. And Yakalayev, like you said, he's thirty six years old. We know what he is. Where Joel Alvarez might come out this fight and just look like an odd, like a goddamn stud. Like he might just all of a sudden make that big turnaround and look like a UFC fighter. This is one of those fights where at the end of it, I'm going to be calling for both guys to get cut. And we just, (laughs) and we know just, you know, one of them's 36 years old and hasn't beat anyone of note. And then the other one, like he's beaten two guys, Joe Duffy, who is washed. And then, I the Demir Ismagulov fight was was tough for him. I mean, that's a tough first fight in the UFC. As yeah, much agree. as Demir has not fought, that kid, in my opinion, is like a top 10 guy waiting to happen. He just needs to get into the cage more. So I'll give that one to Joel Alvarez. That's an okay loss right there. Um, obviously, going out there and beating Danilo Belwardo, who's probably not even in the UFC anymore, probably not that legit. And yeah. then Joe Duffy, you know, you got to give him a little bit of – uh, you know, applause for actually being able to to pull off that guillotine choke. It's not often that you see guys actually complete a guillotine choke off of a takedown. Uh, and it's unfortunate that Joe Duffy was the victim of that that, that time around. Um, all right, final predictions. I will go with Joel Alvarez. I think he could keep this fight on the feet. Um, I think he'll go out there and outbox Yakovlev, use some good leg kicks. Uh, but yeah, I, I will side with uh, Alvarez, but I do think the odds are a little bit skewed. How about you? I'm in the exact same boat. Uh, Joel Alvarez decision, 29-28. I mean, I'm, I know I'm getting pretty uh, precise, but like, <laughs> I, I really th- I think it'll be like Alvarez won, like, rounds one and three. Yakalayev wins the scramble in round two, wins that round. I, I'm, I don't think this fight – if you can get plus money on this fight to go the distance, I might actually be the bet on this fight to me. I'd be I, interested I both- to see the over-under. I think they'll set it at two and a half. So we'll probably get the over at like plus one twenty or something like that, plus one twenty-five. Yeah, I, that would that would be another bet that I would like. Um, that's the way to play this fight. I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch it. I mean, if I had to, Joel Alvarez' decision should be, you know, plus one fifty or something. I, that Perfect. might that yeah that might be it. But I I would rather just you know, you know I want to say just watch this one, but it, that card is it like. 8 a.m. here, maybe 7 a.m. here. I'm pretty uh, sure. So Eastern time, I believe prelims kick off at 10 a.m. So yeah, so, so 8 a.m. Yeah, so 
8 a.m. on a Saturday. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm going to be getting up for that one, but well, why not we'll some see. blues and breakfast, yo? <laughs> oh, I, I'm going out that evening. It's actually, I'll, I'll be celebrating my birthday that evening. So, hey, you know, happy early birthday to you. It's my birthday week as well. <laughs> oh, <laughs> October Excellent. 22nd. So, uh, 21st. <laughs> hey, look at that. So, early birthday for you, and then my, my birthday the day after. I appreciate that. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, um, on the way out here. Anything you want to plug? I know you got something going on over there at Twitch. Are you still doing that regularly? You want to plug that? Yeah, I, I haven't been doing it super regularly. I keep having issues. I don't know with what even exactly, but <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, follow me on, you know, Twitter, master underscore love 007, Twitch, master underscore love 007, YouTube, master underscore love 007. I, I'm hoping to start my own podcast eventually. Me and my brother-in-law are supposed to, uh, do that he hasn't got his shit together yet so it's always um, tough <laughs> yeah exactly um that won't be an mma podcast that'll be uh a little bit of, a lot of it'll be a lot of sports but yeah it won't be just mma uh, we both are mma fans so we'll definitely talk but yeah other than that i mean thank you for having me i i appreciate it i like i said i haven't been asked to do something like this in a long time and i'm always happy to talk about fights as much as I complain on Twitter about how bad the UFC's gotten, you know, <laughs> I, I, I still love MMA. I just, you know, I, I'm a little sick Uncle Dana and all his bullshit, but. <laughs> no, I appreciate you hopping on and doing it, brother. It really means a lot to me. And whenever you do start that podcast, when your uh, brother-in-law gets his shit together, I'll definitely <laughs> be out there uh, uh, tooting the horn for it. So I, I appreciate you hopping on and uh, good luck on your bets this weekend, whatever bets you make. And uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on, dude. Oh, thank you, my man. I appreciate it. All right. Next up, we got Miranda Maverick versus Liana Jujua. And joining me, I finally got to pop the cherry, the podcast cherry of my man, Scott Shelvock. What's going on, buddy? How much over here? Good, good. Uh, just before we start off, you guys can follow him at Scott underscore Shelvock. You guys will obviously see his Twitter handle under his uh, video right there. And then you can also tell his bets and uh uh, hop on to his team by uh, joining ss-bets.com. He just released recently dropped his website. How's it going with the website and all that stuff? Are you finding it a little bit harder than you expected or how's it going over there? Yeah, like I didn't know anything about SEO or marketing or something. I'm trying to figure that out, but it's yeah. fun to have it up and going and it's motivating. For sure. It's nice to have something that like people can kind of just reference rather than just your Twitter page, which is kind of like the next step up is having your own website and stuff. So it's, it's good that you're taking that, that leap and, and you're definitely one of the sharper dudes out here too. So it's good that you're actually trying to invest in yourself as well. So it's good to see that. So uh, let me stop jerking you off real quick. Let's get actually to the breakdown itself. Uh, so I'll kick it off. So we got minus, uh, we, we got some chalk on Miranda Maverick here, minus 335 uh, and Liana Jojua is currently at plus 275. Uh, I'll start off with Miranda Maverick. Obviously, she's coming over from Invicta. Uh, she's coming off a big win over Pearl Gonzalez last time around. But the one thing that I like to see from this girl, and not to mention she's like 22 or 23 years old. She's very, very young still. But one thing that I like to see from this girl is the fact that we've seen uh, comparable uh, improvements. And I, what I mean by that is that we saw her go out there and lose to Deanna Bennett. That was her second ever loss. Uh, and then she comes back two fights ago and beats Deanna Bennett. Not only beats her, but finishes her. And she knows the types of improvements that was required to, to get that finish and get that win. You know, uh, Deanna Bennett did a good job of stifling her up against the cage. She seemed like a stronger woman. Uh, she was really able to just 
you know, just hold her up against the cage. And uh, Miranda Maverick didn't really have uh, a solution in terms of how to get out. In the second fight, we did see, De- like, we saw a little bit more success from Miranda Maverick on the feet. Her striking looked decent. It looks like it's ever improving. Uh, and Deanna Bennett did have her moments in terms of pushing her up against the cage. But the difference in this time is that we really saw her starting to dig for underhooks, trying to change uh, positions, uh, really attacking as well with elbows to keep Deanna Bennett uncomfortable and not really... Uh, you know, just strictly pushing her up against the cage. And then we saw her last time around go out there against Pro Gonzalez and put on a solid grappling performance as well, too, against a girl in Pro Gonzalez who's known to be, you know, going out there and doing grappling tournaments and competitions herself. So um, we see a fight-to-fight improvement from Miranda Maverick. And again, she's like 22 or 23 years old. She's very, very young. She can continuously improve on a fight-to-fight basis. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Diana Jojua, I'm sure... Everybody remembers the highly debated fight last time she had against Deanna Belbita. It kind of reminds me of this past weekend with uh, James Krause and uh, Claudio Silva. You know what I mean? You have a striker versus a grappler. Who is going to be the one that's going to go out there and implement their game? But luckily for Jojua backers, Deanna Belbita just posed the stupidest thing you could ever do and just play right into the game of Jojua. She finds herself, uh, you know, in the full guard and uh, we get an armbar in women's MMA. You know what I mean? This first round as well, too. So no surprises there. But uh, I think in this fight, Jojo is a little bit outmatched when it comes to the grappling realm. You know what I mean? We have seen her uh, be successful in the past and her probably, her, her best performance to date, in my opinion, is obviously her five-rounder in, uh, over there in Fight Nights Global. But uh, we saw what happens when she deals with a girl like Sarah Morass. And one thing that I do want to point out also is that Liana Jojo has pretty much fought at Bantamweight for the majority of her career. And her last fight, I believe, uh, against Belbita was at 125. And now this is going to be her second fight at 125 as well. So maybe she felt a little bit of strength difference between the 135ers and the 125ers. So if she's able to make 125, why not go out there and do it? Uh, unfortunately for her, it just seems like Miranda Maverick is going to be the stronger woman in this fight as well. And obviously better in the grappling realm. So what, what are your thoughts on this fight? Are you liking the progression that you're seeing from Miranda Maverick? And do you think uh, the, the 125 division is much better suited for Liana Jojua? Yes, I think you hit the point, like, right, like you hit the biggest point of the fight with that Jojua is going down to 125. You know, she's only 25 years old, she's training out of Acumen Fight Club. She's 8-3 and three as a pro, 1-1 one one in the UFC. And she won that Fight Night Global Championship that you talk about against Marcatina. Makatina was billed as, like, the next Ronda Rousey. Um, she was very highly touted. Now, she did go off and lose her next fight after the Jojua loss, so we'll call it overrated, but it was still a very <laughs> impressive win. Yeah. It's still a very impressive win. You know, she showed good – she showed very underrated strike in that fight, too. You know, she has good kicks, good, good knees in the clinch. Um, she has underrated wrestling as well, I believe. She has really good double leg from open space, and it was a big win for her. Now, that win actually got her into the UFC, like you said, against, against Mirage. She opened as a negative 200 favorite, and I believe that fight is where the public turned on her. I think that fight is, like you said, the reason she's a plus 265 favorite uh, underdog here. And to me, I actually don't think that fight was as bad as we thought. You know, going into that fight, we saw weaknesses with her size. We saw weaknesses with takedown defense and fight IQ. And we saw the same weaknesses in that fight, but it was really just all size that cost her that fight. You know, when you look at that fight, she won every single striking exchange. She had 100% takedown defense, and she was the one that hit the only two takedowns of that fight. Um, you know, the first round she lost, like I said, due to size, she got pushed up against the cage, lost, lost the round. The second round, she hits the takedown, and Morass puts her feet on the hips, pushes Juju over, and gets on top. It was it's the kind of sweep that you only see against girls that are way bigger than another girl. Like it's, it wasn't technical and I really don't want to take away too much from Jujua based on that. Now the third round, she gassed out a bit. She hits a takedown. 
she gets stuck in the guard. She makes the boneheaded fight IQ decision as usual, stands up, and she then shoots a sloppy takedown due to the fact she's gassed. It was a UFC debut, UFC jitters. I don't want to take too much away from her from that. She got her back taken, submitted. It is what it is. But like you said, after that fight, she moved down to 125 pounds. And against Belbita, what we saw in the clinch was that for the first time in her entire career, she wasn't totally outmuscled. Now, she still did get taken down. She's got poor takedown defense. It's going to be a constant concern. But she, she reversed position, and she looked decent in, that, in the two minutes in the clinch that we saw. And to me, that's a really big deal. Now, fighting Miranda Maverick, Maverick is going to be a tough task, as you mentioned. Maverick is only 23 years old. She's 7-2, and two, making her debut. She fought her pro debut in Invicta, and then has fought eight of her nine fights in Invicta. So she has a ton of experience. She's fought, under good, comp- she fought good competition under the bright lights, and I think she'd be ready for a USA debut. She also won the Phoenix Series tournament. Uh, she's a tank of a girl, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black, uh, purple belt, um, knockout power, good push kicks. Um, her only fight outside of Invicta, she hit that. She she hit a beautiful hook and followed up with punches to get that knockout. My problem with Maverick is that she doesn't fight in the areas that she's going to have the most success. She's a good striker, good grappler, but she just always chooses to grapple. And you talked about that first Bennett fight, and that's what we saw. We saw her continue to engage in an area where she wasn't going to have the most success in that fight, and she got taken down multiple times and controlled. Now, like also like you said, she did avenge that loss in the Invicta Phoenix tournament in the finals. But we saw a lot of the same things. We saw her get taken down and controlled the entire first two rounds. She she had very little success in the first two rounds. And it was, once again, because she continued to engage in an area where she wasn't going to have the most success. Now, in the third round, they were both a bit tired. It was actually their fifth round of fighting due to fighting two one-round fights earlier. Uh, Maverick showed great heart, great grit, and she hit the takedown, got the submission. And then we watched her fight Gonzalez, and we saw the exact same thing. In the second round of that fight, she won the, round, she won the first round, but the second round I want to focus on, where she got taken down twice in that fight. And once again, she just continued to engage in this area where she wasn't, she wasn't winning. She got controlled for four minutes. She had a guard pass, and she didn't look good. Now, Gonzalez... You know, 4 one er never really that good. Good grappler, but always had bad gas tank issues. And Maverick took over and won the fight. But like I said, it was just a massive concern. Now, coming into this fight with Jojua, you know, I, I believe the striking is actually going to be very close. I think Jojua's striking is underrated. It should be a null point, though. Both girls um, like to engage in, in the grappling. In the grappling, I think it's going to be pretty close. Maverick's a purple belt. Jojua's a blue belt. Uh, I don't really trust that she's just a blue belt, though. She's very... If she is, she's sandbagging. Uh, she's she's a good blue belt. Um, so that makes the winner of this fight probably going to come down to who has the better wrestling. That's a scary proposition considering Chojua has horrific takedown defense her entire career. Uh, always outmuscled in the clinch. But once again, that's against 145ers and 135ers. And Maverick hasn't had great takedown defense either. She was taken down versus Bennett, taken down versus Gonzalez, which are the only two really good grapplers she's ever fought. And on the flip side, somehow, despite having bad takedown defense, they both have good takedown offense. Jojua showed great double legs in open space, and Mavericks had great takedowns in the clinch. Um, so it makes it really tough for me to decide who's going to win. But I think when you consider that it's Mavericks UFC debut, Jojua's already fought twice in Abu Dhabi, uh, once at Fight Island. She's used to the experience. She's coming off. She has great momentum coming off a big win in a new weight class. I'm actually going to pick her to win, but I do consider it about a 50-50 fight. 
Interesting. So considering that it's 50-50 fight, you think there's a ton of value currently on yes. Liana Jojua, right? Yes. Uh, interesting. Uh, you know, with Jojua as well, I'm glad that you touch, touched on the fact that, uh, sorry, with um, Maverick, I'm glad that you touched on the fact that she does have poor takedown defense. That's one thing that I did really uh, take from that. Uh, most of her fights, actually. Uh, obviously, Deanna Beta had a little bit of a harder time when she's clinching her up against Gage, you know, going for the, uh, going for a double leg when uh, Maverick already has her legs spread out and she's doing a good job of digging on hooks but uh i felt like the diana bennett fight was uh it wasn't as bad as i believe that you were breaking it down to me like it seemed like uh like that first round it was uh most of it was contested on the feed and we did see a little bit of uh output from maverick and then we did see diana bennett start to engage in the grappling near the like one and a half minute mark at the end of the uh the round uh but it wasn't like anything crazy where bennett was like you know just smashing or anything like that like she's not getting demolished in these grappling uh exchanges and that's kind of where i find the 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 hope for Maverick. I mean, again, she is very young. She's only getting better, in my opinion. Um, and I do like the fact that, uh, you know, her grappling does look good. Like, it's not horrible. Like, and I do like the fact that you are bringing up the fact that she is, she's willing to engage in those realms. Um, but she might be better suited off in the striking ranges. Yeah, I mean, she does hold that range pretty well. Her kicks are good. Like you said, she has a good front kick. Um, her combinations work well with her too. I feel like, I, I do believe Muay Thai is actually her her base. I, I might be off on that, but I feel like I she, Muay Thai right. is her base, yeah. Uh, and she's slowly starting to work into the jiu-jitsu room. And again, having wins over girls like Deanna Bennett and Pearl Gonzalez who, you know, try to tout their the grappling abilities and she goes out there and chokes out Deanna Bennett in the last round. And then she goes out there and pretty much all grapples Pro Gonzalez uh, for the majority of that fight. Um, it, it leads me to believe that we will get a better Miranda Maverick in this UFC debut. Um, but I do also like the fact that Jojo is, I believe, at the weight that she's supposed to be at now. At 125 pounds, she should be able to do her best work. And yeah, you are correct that most of her losses have come to her just being physically outmuscled. But I do, it, I also do think that Maverick is a pretty strong woman herself. It, like, it looks like she's growing into point. her body. You know what I mean, like, she looks like a big woman. She look, I, I mean, I'm curious to see what they look like at the face-offs. You know what I mean? Like, who looks like the, the actual bigger woman? But like, Maverick looks like a little bit of a unit. You know what I mean? At, at 125, I think she has uh, some growing to do still as well. But um, I, I think we only see a better and better version. But I do agree with you in the fact that the line does seem a little bit wide at this point in time. I think a lot of people are drinking that juice on Miranda Maverick because she's coming over from Invicta. She's on a, whatever you want to call it, a five-fight winning streak, technically a three-fight winning streak if you consider those uh, uh, Phoenix Series fights as exhibition bouts. Um, and then Jojua, you know what I mean? Everybody was just shitting on her just recently, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, everybody had Belbita. Oh, not everybody, but like the vast majority of people had Belbita in that fight. She pulls off the submission victory, you know what I mean? Uh, and then obviously losing to Sarah Marais the way that she did, I think a lot of people are overlooking the fact that, again, that was at 135 pounds. So, um, yeah, uh, the, I do believe that this fight should be lined closer, but I am going to side with the Maverick side here. Uh, I do think she does end up getting the, you know, the better of the striking exchanges. Uh, she will be the stronger woman as well too. So I wouldn't be surprised if she's the one that goes out there and pulls off the takedown and tries to, you know, hover on top and, and have good uh, success from there. Um, all in all, given this fight is 50, 50 in your mind, what side do you actually, like if it was lined at a pick what side are you actually leaning towards? Um, I'm actually picking Jujua, and I, I think okay. I'd go the other way if it wasn't for Maverick being it's, – it's her UFC debut, never fought on Fight Island, and like I said, Jujua's had two fights in Abu Dhabi, one on Fight Island, and I just think that in a fight this close, that could be the deciding factor. 
for sure. Okay, that, that that sounds good. I'm glad that we do have somebody that's actually willing to back Jojua here because I'm surprised. Like, there's there's a lot of people that I've talked to this uh, talked to about this fight, and a lot of people are unanimously on Miranda Maverick, and obviously showcases in the betting line and the fact that the, it's trending even heavier towards Miranda Maverick as well. So uh, I think a lot of people would like to hear your side of it, and 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 happy that you're actually uh, going out there and picking uh, picking the dog here. So, uh, yeah, experience for Jojo in the UFC is big. You're, you're definitely right. Uh, going through that experience of being on Fight Island is already big for her, uh, that she's already had that under her belt. Uh, and, yeah, she does have decent jiu-jitsu as well, too, just as we saw that arm bar off of her back. She's active. Um, yeah, this should be a fun fight. I think I think it's going to be a really fun grappling. If, if it does get into the grappling exchanges, it should be a fun back-and-forth uh, scrambling type of fight. But I think it's going to be Maverick Dan's still ends up getting your hand raised uh but you can't knock anybody taking the value on the Ana Jojua, especially if it's going to continue to get worse i wouldn't be surprised if we saw her in the like plus 300 range come fight time because everybody's just so big on maverick i hope, hope you so. haven't pulled the trigger officially yet on Jojua because i do think that uh that that line is going to get better uh better here so um on the way out is there anything that you want to plug in or are you anything you want to end off with this uh the breakdown itself you think uh, everything else. yeah no I, I yeah i think you brought some good points you know maverick is very strong and like you said they're both very young like 23 25 so we will see improvements but yeah i think that's perfect that's about it. well what do you want to plug on the way out here uh yeah check out my site ss-bets.com and my twitter at scott under dash underscore shellbox perfect I'm glad that I got you on for this freaking breakdown. <laughs> now I can claim that that cherry of yours. <laughs> but dude, it's you awesome, should definitely man. you should definitely do some more audio and video breakdowns. I'm sure a lot of people would appreciate that seeing your face and uh, hearing you actually talk out your 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 predictions, all of that stuff. I think people would greatly appreciate that. So hopefully we see a little bit more of those uh, of, of that face. <laughs> right. For sure. Perfect. Thanks for joining me for this takedown, buddy. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Have a great day. All right, for this next matchup, we got Sam Alvey versus Da Un Young. And joining me, we got my man Adam Martin, who is a writer for MMA Oddsbreaker, BJPen.com, and MMA Ratings.net. Adam, what the hell is going on, dude? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm glad to be here, bro. Happy 100th episode, man. That's pretty impressive. You know, you're killing it, man. I remember I came on your show, I can't remember if it was like last year or early this year, but it was pre COVID era. And I think you had three Patreons at the time. You got like over 100 now. So I'm watching you, bro. You're killing it, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. That was the Combative Stories episode. That was more like a casual type fun. of thing. And yeah, that was earlier this year too. I actually started that up in uh, in 2020. Uh, unfortunately, COVID had other issues. So I had to put a halt to that for a little bit. But once things start uh, picking back up again, I'll get you back in the studio. We can have a couple more drinks and have some more fun times and talking about MMA. Okay. <laughs> All right, so let's cut to the chase. Let's get into this matchup. So we got minus 370 on Da Un Young and plus 310 on Sam Alvey. Uh, the fight doesn't go to decision, just dropped. It's at minus 385, kind of expected. But uh, I was a little bit surprised regarding the betting line here because let's not forget, two fights ago, Da Un Young was like a plus 200 underdog going in against Khadis Ibrahimov, who is now on, on the outside looking in from the UFC. Um, Sam Alvey went out there and had a decent performance. He had a Sam Alvey type performance against Ryan Spann at UFC 249, I believe it was. Uh, I believe it was the first event back from the, the whole COVID thing. Um, th- to me, initially, that seems like a wide line. What about you? Yeah, that was my initial thought, too, looking at it, because Sam Alvey is a guy with a lot of fights in the UFC. Down Jones has two fights in the UFC. So you look at that experience factor for Sam Alvey, that's something in his favor. Uh, and it's still Sam Alvey. I mean, the guy still has some power occasionally. He'll show that occasionally. But, you know, the more I dug into this fight, man, 
I have a hard time taking Sam Alvinger, you know, so I'm starting to see what the odds makers saw. Because I, initially I, I thought the same as you. I'm like, this is too wide. And I'm looking at it, but the more I looked at this fight, man, I, I, it's a tough fight for Sam Alvey. I find it hard to believe that he'll go out there and win a decision. So I do think yeah. it's going to have to come down to him actually like knocking Dalton Jung out. So I think the, the the play here, if anything, would possibly be Sam Alvey inside the distance. Uh, you'll probably get, what, plus 400 on that, depending on what the betting line is once those props come out. Um, but, but like Sam Alvey, we know his type of game. He's always like moving backwards and he's throwing bombs. Uh, his takedown defense isn't too bad. Even when he does get taken down, he's pretty much right back to his feet. Um, his gas tank is decent enough. You know, I mean, it seemed like slightly better than Ryan Spann, whatever Ryan Spann had to do uh, in that third round. He was like holding on for dear life. He almost lost that fight in the third round as well. Dalton Young, on the other hand, he seems like the guy that's willing to, you know, march forward, trade bombs with you. Um, and I, I truly believe the reason he's a minus 270 favorite in this fight is off of that Mike Rodriguez knockout. And considering how good Mike Rodriguez looked in that Ad Herman fight leading up to that controversial finish, um, people are really putting stock into Jung. But that was a one-minute fight. You know what I mean? And he just went out there, bombed on him, landed that bomb, and finished him. I find it hard to believe that he's going to be able to do that to Alvi. I don't think he's going to be able to get Alvi out of there. I believe in the durability of Alvi still. He ate some bombs from Ryan Spann and was still in that fight. Never really even got dropped in that fight either, right? Um, obviously, he lost to Jimmy Crute uh, a couple fights ago. But I, I believe in the durability, durability of Alvi. And I wouldn't be mad at anybody taking a small shot on Alvi. I think he, like, all he needs to do is land a bomb or two, you know, maybe once a round or something like that, once for two rounds, and he could steal uh, the fight or obviously even just get the finish himself, right? I think if you're going to lay money on this fight, you got to go on the Alvi side. There's no way you're laying that type of chalk on a guy who's, one, unproven in the UFC, in my opinion, still. Only two fights, you know, not to mention the second one only being one minute. Uh, and, you know, that, fight's again, uh, that fight against Ibrahimov was kind of close, too. Yeah. We know yeah. what, what to expect with Ibrahimov or what we, what we know about him, right? So, again, I find it, I find, like, you can take the narrative of, okay, Jung probably has a little bit more tools to go out there and get this done. I mean, he, he kicks a little bit more. He, you know, he, he actually has a little bit of method to his madness, whereas Sam Alvey is just smiling, looking at you, waiting, and then just throwing bombs. I mean, but again, this is light heavyweight. This is these bigger guys. One of those shots could actually pull one of these guys out. So you're not going to even look at playing this fight any, any way at all? Uh, well, I have to wait for the props to come out, I think. Because at this point, all we have is fight doesn't go the distance, which, I, I mean, I don't think it goes the distance, bro, I'll be honest. I think he, I think Jung probably knocks Alvi out. You know, just looking at footage of Dan Jung, there's a few things that stood out to me. First off, he's much more aggressive than Sam Alvi. Like you mentioned, Sam Alvi's always taken a step backwards. And it hasn't really worked out for him. He's lost four straight fights. I don't like betting on fighters coming off that many losses either, man. Only, only in special situations like Carlos Conde coming off five losses against a guy like Cormagee. That's a good matchup for him. That's why I liked him there. In this particular fight, I think it's going to stay in the feet for the most part, you know. Um, Sam, obviously, it, it mostly has been durable throughout his career. But if you look at the last couple of fights, bro, he's been taking a lot of damage. You said that the Ryan Spann fight, he didn't take some bombs in that fight. I was sort of surprised. And you know what? He almost won that fight. I think potentially he could have the better cardio. If this fight goes to the third round, he'll probably win that third round, but he has to get the first two to win on the cards. Otherwise, you're going to have to knock Jung out. Jung's never been stopped by strikes before. I'm not saying it can't happen. Here it can happen. Obviously, anyone gets stopped by strikes. But from what I've seen, he's got a pretty good chance. I just think the aggressiveness is going to be a big factor. This guy is pretty accurate with his strikes from what I've seen, too. I mean, he's landing nice combinations. Look at the Mike Rodriguez knockout. It was a straight right, right down the pipe, landing clean on Rodriguez's chin. That's a nice knockout, man. 
Um, Sam Alvey, I respect the guy a lot. You know, again, he's been around for a while, man. I remember him from, first off, Bellator way back in the day. He was in the second season of Bellator, third season or something. Uh, obviously, he fought in uh, MFC up here in Canada as well. So I remember him from way back in the day and then the UFC. So I have a lot of respect for this guy. I just find at this point of his career, I think he's really tailing off, man. You look at his age, 34. Another thing that's about age, 34 to 26. That's another advantage for Jung. Uh, Jung, taller guy too. You look at the heights, it's slightly in his favor, 6'4 to 6'2. The reach, slightly in his favor, 78 75. I just see a lot of advantages for him. Obviously, I'm not going on, the, out of, like on, on a limb here. He's minus 370 or whatever. So clearly a lot of people do agree with that line because it hasn't moved that much off the opener. I, I, I would be targeting something for Jung here, though. I'm thinking like Jung by knockout. Uh, that, that'd be what I'd be looking at because I do believe he's going to catch Alvi and get him out of there, man. Alvi's been stopped three times in the last couple of years. Um, first of all, Brunson knockout. He, he won a bunch of fights with Elkin and KO, but then he got KO'd back-to-back by Little Nog and Crute. I think Little Nog, if he puts him out, and I remember betting on Little Nog that fight. He was a, he was a dog, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was a pretty big dog there. Yeah, yeah. I think if Little Nog can do it, I know he's got, he's got great boxing, for sure. But from what I've seen, John Luke boxing looks pretty good. I liked what I saw from this guy, man. Um, going back to the tape and, and kind of refresh your memory, I, I liked it a little bit more than what I've seen. But having said that, I'm with you in that it's that one-minute fight that that's why the line's inflated like this, right? Because if just say we didn't see that fight and he was just coming off the win over Ibra Grimov, he'd probably be a favorite, but it'd probably be like, what, minus 200 maybe? Like like half of what it is now. So I don't see really necessary value on the on the money line. But if just say the TKO prop came out at a pick em price, That'd be the way to go, I believe, because I do think he wins the fight. You know what, actually, the more that I'm thinking about it a little bit, too, is I'd actually be interested if they have the over-under at one and a half. I'd actually be interested mm-hmm. in the over. I'd, okay. I, I think, like, again, I, I believe that Alvi does have a little bit more durability than people believe. Uh, obviously, the Noguera and crew finishes. The crew one is a little bit interesting because, yeah, he was a little bit out, but he was, like, coming back. Like, he, it wasn't like he was dead out or anything like, like that, right? Um, I, I'm trying to remember the Noguera knockout, but are, were any of those ones where he was like dead out? I don't think he's ever been like dead out. Um, it's more like he's, just getting, he's getting kind of like uh, just pummeled, like the, the fight with Derek Brunson where he's coming against the fence and just started raining down punches, or yeah. like raining punches against the fence, standing TKO. So I know what you're saying. Like he's not, he's not the kind of guy that's going out cold in his fights. So I get that. But bro, like he's taking a lot of damage and he has a lot of fights too, man. He's got 30, no, sorry, 48 fights. Yeah. 48 fights. 48 fights. So that's a lot of fights. For sure. The guy's got four or five kids, man. He's got to feed his kids. Yeah. So I understand <laughs> why he fights so often. Like I said, I got a lot of respect for the guy. Clearly, the UFC likes him too. I mean, they gave him mm-hmm. another fight, four straight losses. They could have sent a packing. They could have said, you're out of here, man. Back to Bellator for you. But <laughs> give him another chance here. Because I think the span fight was competitive enough where you could say this guy is still like hanging on there. But again, man, you know, I'm one of these guys that. You know, if I'm laying down my hard-earned money, right? I work pretty hard for money. You work pretty hard for your money. You want to lay down on, like, guys that are consistent, you know? And to me, a guy on a four-fight win streak, I, I wouldn't even touch it because I don't like the matchup for him. If I like the matchup for him more, I would. But, I, I, again, I just don't see really an advantage for Alvi this fight besides maybe John gassing. Maybe he gasses and Alvi gets him in the third round or, or wins a decision. But I don't know, man. I just, like, the more I looked into this one, Jung stands out to me as a guy who probably – arguably could be good for for fantasy for playing that because i do believe he gets a knockout in this fight so we're all we're looking at the money line here we're looking at for betting value i don't necessarily see it at minus 370 but at the same time bro i i personally wouldn't take the plus 310 and alvi either i feel like that's just 
the, the books really tempt you to take a shot on a guy that's a respectable veteran, but I just don't think he wins. Uh, again, I, I said off the top, I, I think if you do look to back Alvi here, it's got to be inside the distance. You know, hopefully you get at least a plus 400 on that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can see the, the another thing also that I look at is the output as well. You, you made a really good point about that. Yeah. The output of Alvi is just so low that you can't yeah. really go out there and expect him to win a decision here, right? So um, yeah, I'll, I'll probably lean with Jung here as a, as a prediction uh, in terms of betting. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not parlaying him. I just I have a little bit too many questions regarding Jung still, and I want to see him pass a test like Alvi. And it's not the toughest test, but it's, it should still show you uh, whether he's at least a passable light heavyweight at this point in time. Um, any other final thoughts regarding this, last, uh, regarding this fight itself? No, it's just the card itself is, is awful, man. You know, it's unfortunate there were some injuries uh, and COVID-19 positive test for Dos Anjos and Calvillo. So that sucks. But overall, it's a great card, man. And, and I love the fact that you got a bunch of us to come and do one fight each with you. That's amazing. So I'm looking forward to watching the podcast in full. But yeah, in this, in this particular fight, guys, I am leaning towards Dan and Jung. I do believe he gets a finish in this fight. And, you know, again, if you, I'm not like saying stats matter for everything, right? But they're good to look at. You look at the stats, man, like he's landing almost twice the amount of significant strikes per, per minute. And I know that he only has two fights, so the sample size is small, but that really stands out to me. I just find that Sam Alvey's lack of output, it's very frustrating to bet on this guy because you're watching, he just stands there a lot of times like a statue. <laughs> and, and, he will land, and he will land the occasional bomb. Like that's a lot of his knuckles came from him walking backwards and landing on a guy. But in this particular fight, I just I, I feel like a guy eight years younger, a guy who's on an 11 fight win streak in Jung. Forgot to mention that. Tons of momentum coming in this fight. 11 fight win streak for his four fight losing skid. I side with John in this fight. Thanks for having me on, man. No worries. I appreciate it, dude. And you guys can follow him at MMA Adam Martin or MMA MM Adam Martin. I keep fucking that up. I know we had a joke about that on the podcast as well in terms of how you came up with it, but it will be under him in the video as well. In the video as well. So you guys can see that too. Uh, Yeah, Adam, I appreciate you joining me and uh, I hope you enjoy the episode when it comes out. (laughs) I can't wait, man. All right, brother. Take it easy. See you. All right, next up, we got Cowboy Oliveira versus Shavkat Rachmanov. Uh, we got uh, my man, Rockstar Z, helping us out to break this fight down. What's going on, Z? Not too much, man. I've been taking a little bit of a hiatus from MMA. Got a little distracted as of late, but uh, I'll get back to it soon. And, of course, when you asked me to be on this very special show, uh, I had to say yes. So did the work for you, bud. I appreciate you uh, doing this for me. You know, when I, when I was putting together this 100th episode, I'm like, there's a, a select group of dudes that I need to have on this show. And you were obviously- And a lot of them bailed, so that's why you got me. <laughs> oh, no. Trust me. When you see this full episode, you're going to be like, holy crap, you got all these guys? God damn. <laughs> but uh, no, you were definitely uh, on that short list of guys I wanted to make sure I uh, reached out to first. But uh Let's just get into this breakdown. Let's get into this fight. So we got Cowboy Oliveira coming in at minus 175 and uh, Rachmanov coming in at plus 155. And just for reference, we're recording this on October 15th, which is the Thursday before UFC 254 fight week. So this episode drops on Monday of fight week. Um, And uh, yeah, so if the odds are a little bit different, our bad. But regardless, let's get into this a little bit. So I'll start it off. Uh, Alex Oliveira, I've always looked at this guy as a little bit of a, a, a wild card. I mean, you don't really know what you're going to get whenever he steps into the cage. Like a lot of people thought there was a ton of value on Peter Sabota last time around. What, do you, what does he do? He goes out there and absolutely fucking works him. He works him on the feet. Um, and then uh, even the, the Max Griffin fight. Very close fight. You could make a little bit of an argument that Max Griffin actually deserved that victory there. Uh, but we saw, you know, 
the the cardio issues of Alex Oliveira kind of plaguing him, just like it did in the Nicholas Dalby fight, which is a fight that he took in Ellen. Uh, but we don't know what we're going to get with Oliveira. Sometimes he comes out there, looks like uh, the the Peter Bers- Peter Sabota fight. Sometimes he goes out there, looks like the Yancey Madero's fight, or even the the Nicholas Dalby fight. We don't know what we're going to get with him. Shavkat on the other side, I'm intrigued by this guy. A Kazakh fighter. Uh, he has another fighter uh, from his gym. Uh, Sergey Morozov was going to be making his debut on this card as well. Uh, they got Zalgas Zumagulov who's already in the UFC. So these Kazakh guys are really starting to make a name for themselves in the UFC. Obviously, Zumagulov coming off a loss to a highly touted Holly and Paiva. So not, not too bad of a, a loss there. But uh, I'm liking what I'm seeing for Rachmanov. 6-1 welterweight. Um, has some decent ground and pound. Some heavy ground and pound. Especially when he's able to get on top of some of these guys. Even from guard. Like he's just so long that he can generate such devastating power that he's just putting these guys out from guard alone. Uh, his jiu-jitsu seems to be good. He, uh, previously in his career, he fought a middleweight right now who's also fighting uh, on the card, I guess, the week prior when, once this airs. He fought Junior Park and he went out there and submitted him. Uh, mm-hmm. Has decent judo throws, has some good hip tosses, uh, some solid takedowns. At plus 155, I think this guy actually holds a little bit of value, but I'm not always the most keen on betting guys that are making their debuts in the UFC. But one thing you really got to give to these guys over there on the Russia scene and the, the Kazakhstan they're not fed tomato cans on the regional scene. They're fighting top-level competition. It's not like the LFA or TKO where these guys are just being fed tomato cans. Like, they're fighting legitimate guys. And I'm liking what I'm seeing from Shavkat so far. What do you think about this kid? Yeah, um, one thing about Shavkat Rakhmanov is such a fun name to say, right? I know, right? But, uh, <laughs> one thing about him is he really reminds me of Korean Zombie with his style of fighting. He's kind of flat-footed. Um, maybe not as aggressive as zombie or like as, as high level, but just the archetype is very similar in my opinion. Um, likes to play that kind of technical striking game, good left hook, likes to kind of faint guys out and bait them uh, to counter them, but he's not moving a lot, right? Like I said, kind of flat footed, a little bit stationary, a little bit upright, decent head movement, decent hand position. And again, he's playing that really technical kind of striking game, but he's not, um, not only the most explosive or athletic guy, he's just trying to use these like crisp um, punches primarily. Um, good knee up the middle. Like I said, likes to probe guys and then counter them. So he's got a good one pull three. Um, outside low kick is pretty good. Uh, does throw that spinning back kick I saw and a spinning hook kick as well. So he mixes those up, which, uh, and he, he doesn't spam them, you know what I mean? Like, but he is capable of throwing them. Uh, and yeah, he's just a really interesting character uh he's gonna be 26 when they fight he's 25 right now i think his birthday is on weigh-in day so that's a fun birthday present you know here go fight this savage you know brazilian straight out of the jungle but um yeah he's an interesting character and i think he's gonna have a lot of fun fights i think his style uh you know it bodes well for entertainment value like he's gonna go in there he's gonna exchange with guys he's looking to engage he's not being evasive or moving around or anything. And like you said, with uh, Oliveira, wildcard is the best way to, de- to uh, describe this guy. You know, he can go in there, starch people in the first round. We've seen that versus um, Ryan LaFleur and versus Carlo Pedersoli. He can go tooth and nail with guys for three rounds like he did versus um, Dalby and versus Griffin. Or, you know, there's also been cases where he's winning handedly early like in the Yancey fight and then he kind of falls apart but on the flip side we've also seen like in that Max Griffin fight he drops the first round and then he can rally down the stretch so you really don't know kind of what you're going to get with him but if he can keep it on the if he can keep the range on the outside like he did versus uh, Zobata and 
that might have been in part due to the mirrored stance. But when he gets that range, he can really um, catch guys off the mark. You know, it's that explosive uh, commitment style striking where he's not looking to set you up. He's just looking to boom, blast shots in, usually down the pipe with the front kick or, uh, or the straight right. Um, and if guys do pressure him hard, he has that uppercut on the counter. So he's a very dangerous fighter, very experienced at this point. He's got 31 total fights, opposed to 17 for Rachmanov. He's 12-0 as a pro, but he had a 3-2 and amateur career, um, in which he lost to the same guy twice, both by decision. So not a terrible look for Rachmanov, you know. But um, at the end of the day, Oliveira's fought much higher level competition uh, and a lot more of it, you know. So you got to give the experience advantage to Halboy, especially UFC experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way the fight plays out, I think, again, if, if Halboy can keep it at range and bomb down the pipe, I think it's going to bode very well for him because I think that's the type of striker that will get to a Rachmanov because Rachmanov's looking to slip a few shots or counter shots or be in that type of, you know, timing. You know what I mean? That like that rhythm, rhythmic striking, whereas Oliveira just explodes into stuff and you can catch guys like that. Um, but if the fight does get grimy, and like you said, uh, Rachmanov has really good ground and pound, and I don't know if it's heavy power as much as it is like he doesn't abandon his striking technique when he's standing over guys. You'll see a lot of the times these MMA strikers, when they get on top of someone, they just start wailing away, whereas Rachmanov keeps it very crisp, very down the pipe, and he's throwing real punches yeah, just in that like standing over you. He's like throwing like right. Right, he's snapping, snapping straight shots down, down onto the opponents. And that's how he's finished, you know, um, I believe his last three fights like that. So what I'm getting at is if the fight does get grimy and Howboy kind of gets tired, I could see a situation where Rachmanov kind of beats him down because that's his style. But, on, but like I said earlier, if they're standing at range and striking, I think Howboy is kind of a bad stylistic matchup for a striker like that, you know? And then you factor in, well, Rachmanov is six years younger at the time of the fight, um, but Oliveira is closer to his prime. Oliveira has a lot more experience. Rachmanov's a little bit taller, but again, it, it's Howboy who likes the range game. So um, it's a very intriguing fight, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that there might be a little bit of value on Rachmanov right now because where I've got this fight capped is a 60-40 for Howboy. Um, that's tentative. It could change. We could see them during fight week or news could come out this or that maybe i watch a few more fights but as it stands right now i think it's going to be a very entertaining fight and i wouldn't put it past howboy to finish rachmanov early but i could also see rachmanov taking over the fight late so uh not much of a prediction for you just kind of the way the fight can go maybe a live bet on rachmanov might be something to look at if you suspect the tides to be turning maybe after the first or second round but uh yeah as it stands right now i think the bookies got this line pretty accurately and uh I think Cowboy either finishes him or wins a close decision. Uh, I'm glad that you brought up the ability that these guys can both go for the finish and get the finish because I truly think that they're actually set the total of this at two and a half. And if it's under yeah. two and a half, yeah. you know, if you give me solid plus money there, I wouldn't mind taking a shot there because both guys do have finishing capabilities. And it, it's kind of what both of us have been alluding to in regards to Rachmanov seems a lot more comfortable on the ground. Like once he's able to ground his opponents, he can get his jujitsu going. Not just his ground and pound. His jujitsu is not that bad either. He uses his length very well. Uh, he takes guys' backs. He, like he looks good when he's on the ground. Alex Oliveira, on the other hand, we have seen flashes of brilliance where he's able to pull off submissions on the ground too. But... I think it's a different look when you're talking about a guy like Rachmanov, who's going to have a little bit more of an advantage there, at least in my opinion. 
Yeah, um, and that's what I'm what I'm thinking down the stretch. That's how Rachmanov's going to turn the tides if he does. Like I've seen him, he got in deep on a double leg and then turned the corner. I believe it was two or three fights ago, and it was just it was nasty. But again, so like yo, yeah. but Oliver is strong as shit. So yeah. I I think, and I'm not the best at gauging this skill set, but I think Rachmanov might be a little bit of a better technical grappler and wrestler. But Howboy could just outmuscle him. You know what I mean? And uh, and and it, that the experience ties into that too. It's not like he's just a strong guy. He's a strong guy who's been in a lot of fights. So he knows how to dig the underhook. He knows how to, you know, hit the switch and stuff like that. But we've also seen him get stuck on bottom. And we've seen in two of the, those two close decisions versus Dalby and versus Griffin, he ended the fight on, on his back. You know, he, he gave up the position at the end of the, of the fight. And sometimes a fight boils down to that. So again, we come back to the wild card for Oliveira. You just... He's got so much potential, but then he has red flags and he has, he is tough to trust. You know, he's a guy you, you kind of want to bet him as a dog just generally. I absolutely agree. I, I will look into this a little bit deeper and see where the line goes as the fight, uh, as fight week progresses. But I do like the Rachmanov line at least plus 155. It's not too bad. Um, I, I'm just interested to see if there's actually going to be money coming in on Howboy here. Uh, and again, I want to see what the under two and a half looks like. If you give me solid plus money there, both of these guys are willing finishers. And even Shavkat, he's never seen the judges' scorecards. This guy has gotten a finish in pretty much all 12 of his pro MMA fights. So he's going out there looking for the finish pretty much every single time. Yeah, and that, that's one more point I have here because, you know, I like to, like, rank their, their hardware. And I've got Shavkat's gas tank as a three out of five, but that's with a little asterisk because I haven't seen him go the three rounds, but he's winning. Like, he, he, he gets through a tough moment, and then he's taking over in these fights. So I do think his cardio is pretty good, and especially if there's a guy in Oliveira who we have seen him fade. You know, he can fight tooth and nail for three rounds, but we do see him fade late. So, um, yeah, that is something. And uh, I just wanted to highlight, too, that uh, he has gone to decision, but it was in the amateur. So it wasn't the full 15 minutes. So True. fair play. That's why I said pro. But either way, nah, right. I appreciate, I appreciate you bringing that up. Check I appreciate the transcript. You. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so give, give me a, a final prediction. If you truly have to go on one side, what side are you picking just for the fans here that are watching the, watching the show? What side are you going with? Uh, just just – to make a prediction, I will say that Oliveira uh, actually knocks him out. Uh, we saw him, Shavkat, get rocked pretty bad. Uh, again, I, I watched all these fights. I forget exactly which one it was, but I have, hit, I have seen him get rocked uh, pretty bad up over his left hand. And uh, that could be something that uh, Howboy snipes him with. But again, it, I see openings on both sides. So it is really tough because Howboy likes to fight with his right hand really low, right? He's got like that, that side-on kind of low-handed yeah. style. And Shavkat has a really crisp left hook. Like, that's probably his best weapon. So I could see, you know, it's, it's kind of like a yin-yang situation. It's either going to be Oliveira's right up over Shavkat's left or Shavkat's left over Oliveira's right. The size of Shavkat could actually throw him off a little bit too. I mean, he's six. I want to see them square off. That's, that's the one thing. So uh, once we get the face-offs, I think it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how big of a difference we actually get there. Metrically, it says about two to three inches. So we should see a little bit of an advantage for Shavkat there. Um, in the reach, I'm not 100% sure yet though. But I do like, uh, personally, I like Shavkat here. I like him as a dog. I think uh, I've just never been a true Oliveira believer. I think that, like, you, you, can't, you can't bank on a dude, especially at minus 175, who's known to go out there and just stumble. You know what I mean? It's, it's a little bit too much juice for a guy that I don't believe has uh, the chops of, uh, you know, living up to that minus 175, especially against a young, hungry, up-and-comer now in Shavkat who's been fighting just legit competition over there on the regional scene for uh, M1 pretty much. I believe he's a champion over there as well, too. I got to... 
get my yeah. facts straight on that too. So yeah, he's a he's a champ over there as well. So uh, yeah, I, I'm li- I'm really looking forward to his uh, UFC debut. Like the, this guy should be some fun. Uh, have some good scraps in the UFC. Uh, but hopefully he can start at least on my end. I hope he starts off on a W here. Um, not 100 percent sure if I'll actually be pulling the trigger, but we'll see where the line goes as fight week progresses. All right, uh, I'm gonna wrap this up. Is there anything on the tail end that you want to plug? We know we can follow you at Z's MMA on Twitter, or sorry, mm-hmm. at Rockstar Z. Sorry, ZMMA.ca is the website. Apologies. Anything else you want to plug there? Yeah, just uh, Z's MMA on YouTube. I'll probably get back to doing prediction videos here soon. Um, like I we said, need my fair play. Just... We need fair play back. I think people I, really I, enjoy yeah, that. Yeah. It, it's the whole package, man. My, my passion for this just seems to, uh, it comes and goes. There's, when there's fights week, week in and week out, it's tough, man. It's a grind. And that's why I do respect guys like you and like a whole bunch of content creators who do grind it out, you know. Um, every fight week in and week out it is a lot of work and it's a lot of uh, like mental cognition to be focused on and and interested in so many fights so uh, props to you for keeping it going but uh, yeah just follow me at rockstar z subscribe z's mma on youtube and uh, i'm down to talk fights with anybody perfect i appreciate you joining me z it it means a lot to me thanks for uh thanks for hopping on yeah anytime dude all right, next up, we got Casey Kenny versus Nathaniel Wood. We got minus 190 on Kenny and plus 165 on Nathaniel Wood. But joining me, we got my man at Jay Shiffy on Twitter. Jonah Schiffman, joining me. How's it going, buddy? It's good, man. I'm excited. Long time watcher, first appearance on the show. So I'm excited to be here, man. Dude, I appreciate you hopping on. I know we got a plethora of guys on the on the show, so I wanted to make sure that you were a part of it to help spit some of your game and your knowledge and let these people know what you're all about. Uh, but let's just cut right to the chase. Like I said off the top, we got minus 190 on Kenny and plus 165 on Wood. Kenny's coming off a pretty quick turnaround. You know, we saw him go out there and just batter the ribs of a highly yellow tank for three straight rounds. Uh, solid, solid look there. I know a lot of people that had Casey Kenny via uh, decision and probably even the over in that fight. And uh, they were just, they were on the edge of their seats. They're like, Kenny's going out there to, to murk a dude right now. He wants to go out there and get the finish. And luckily for us, Haile Alatang was able to sustain all that damage. Uh, saw the full 15 minutes out, but it looked really impressive from Kenny's part. And personally, I had Kenny heavy in there. I, I was willing to suck all the juice on that minus 280 that I got on him because I knew that was pretty much a lock of the night. You know what I mean? That was my, that was my main play. Um, uh, but personally, I thought he was going to go the, the grappling road. Like, I thought he was going to go out there and try to, uh, you know, just be two, three, four steps ahead of Haile Alatang when he got into the grappling exchanges. However, it just showed uh, he decided to show off his striking, and it worked out pretty well for him. In this fight against Nathaniel Wood, though, I think he needs to be a little bit more careful. I believe Wood is slightly more polished on the feet, uh, has a solid jiu-jitsu game too, but the ground game is truly where I believe Kenny has him, even with the solid BJJ that Wood has displayed in his UFC career. I like Kenny. Like I, I like the dude from top to bottom. I think his the fact that his striking game is growing and we got to see it last time is positive. But he needs to be very sharp this time around going in against uh, Nathaniel Wood. I believe he's going to go the grappling route this time. I think we'll see him attack the takedowns, try to be a little bit ahead of the game, like uh, kind of like the Ray Borg fight, but not as you know, not as scrambly as Ray Borg uh, is what I'm expecting right. from Nathaniel Wood. Uh, but minus one ninety. A little bit higher than I would like for Casey Kenny against a guy like Nathaniel Wood. I know a lot of people are backstepping because of the John Dodson loss, and he has come back and obviously beaten John Castaneda uh, in that time. We saw him just completely pick him apart for three rounds there. But uh, what do you think of the line, and where are you sitting so far? Yeah, so for me, I think the line is a little bit wide, and I think stylistically when you look at how they match up, you know, if you had told me, whatever, a month ago before Kenny had gone on to fight Alatang, 
you had told me that these guys were fighting, I would say, well, you know, Wood has a huge stand-up advantage in this matchup. Uh, but Kenny was impressive to me. You know, I didn't lay the minus 250 juice. You know, props to those who did. It was about as lock of the night as it gets, right? He closed in the minus 400 range. And really, he looked minus 1,000 in there. It's an impressive performance. So I think the striking is a little bit closer than I would have said about a month ago. But I still do favor Wood. I think he's just a little bit crisper, a little bit faster. Uh, his volume, a little higher output. Although Kenny had great output his last fight. But I think it really just comes down to how much you think Kenny ends up grappling. Because in his last fight, he only shot that one. He had one takedown attempt in that fight. That's partially because, you know, he was dominating on the feet. But sometimes we see these wrestlers fall in love with their hands and they, you know, shy away from the takedown. I think if Kenny isn't going in there with the wrestling game plan, uh, he could definitely struggle on the uh, on the feet with Wood because I think Wood is a really good offensive striker. I like his leg kicking game. You know, Kenny checks kicks a little bit, which I think is, you know, a decent look here for him. Uh, but in terms of the stand-up, I favor Wood defensively. I've always said about Nathaniel Wood, you know, I think he lacks a little bit of defense in the striking realm. You know, it kind of just backs out. It's almost his best defense. It's like this left check hook he throws, uh, as opposed to kind of, you know, getting out of the way. And guys like Dodson, who are going to blitz him, really had uh, success with that game plan. So I think the line is a little bit wide currently, uh, but it's interesting. I think it really comes down to that grappling realm. Do you think that there's any value on Nathaniel Wood currently at plus 165? So at 165, you know, it's kind of close to where I would make the fight. You know, I haven't taped it as deep as I will during fight week. But right now, I was kind of thinking somewhere in the 65, 35 range. So with Kenny, about a 65 favorite. So that would be minus 150 on the betting line. I would probably bet Wood, you know, with like a 5% implied edge on the line. So in that plus 185, plus 186 range is probably what I would need to bet would. But, you know, after Kenny's last performance, I think it's possible that we see that line, you know, steam up. It's wider than I thought it would open. And uh, there hasn't been a ton of wood action bringing it down. So maybe people are, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid on uh, Casey Kenny here. Yeah, it's, he did open at minus 225, it seems like, on five times. He's got bet down to minus 190. Uh, I wonder how long that's going to happen, like how long that money's going to continue to come in right. on Nathaniel Wood. Um, I think there might be a lot of people that have that narrative of like, all right, it seems like Kenny's falling in love with his striking. Maybe that's going to be bad for him, thinking that he can go out there and do the same thing to Wood. But you got to like factor in like fight IQ with some of these guys. And I feel like Kenny is one of those guys that has the fire, uh, higher fight IQ, uh, especially, you know, coming out, of, I believe he's still with the MMA. MMA lab um, or is he with fight ready? I can't, I, I keep forgetting the guys that I'm going to double there. check it while you're I, talking. I, I feel like it's a MMA lab. I don't know why I'm uh, stumbling. Uh, yeah. I know most of his training has come with Chris Carey also, who is also at the MMA lab, but uh, yeah, smart crew over there. They, they got to know that he's all gunned on the feet. They got to know that. So maybe go out there, throw his kicks a little bit, look a little pretty and then start to change up the game and really start to attack that wrestling. And man, I, I love his wrestling. Like, his fight against Brandon Roy Val is probably one of the funnest fights I've ever watched. Right. Yeah, I mean, seeing those guys exchange, uh, you know, scrambling, uh, uh, grappling and wrestling uh, exchanges and all that. It was very, very fun to watch. And even the Kenny and Borg fight, just another fun fight to watch, right? Uh, it's hard for me to believe that Wood is going to be able to go out there and match that type of pace. Like, I truly believe that, you know, Wood's cardio isn't horrible. I'm not saying it's dog shit or anything, but Kenny has this next level of gas tank that a lot of fighters, you know, strive to, to, to achieve. Uh, so I think that's something that he's going to have to work on. He's going to have to really go in there, set a pace uh, that's going to be too much for Wood and make sure it is happening in the grappling realm as well. So I'm hoping that he goes out there and grapples. Personally, I'm hoping that the line comes down a little bit more. I'd be more comfortable playing him around that minus 150 range straight, as you're saying. 
uh, minus 190. I'd probably parlay him, but I'm just not sure what else on the card that I'm currently looking at that would make me want to pull that trigger. Somebody that I am actually looking at is uh, Miranda Maverick. I think that that's a solid spot. I know she's heavily favored in that matchup. Uh, I think that she's a solid spot. And even at minus 325, I think she's a uh, proper She opened piece. minus 140 on a soft Yeesh. opener on some books offshore, and I Who almost lost her the job. Trigger. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't want to name the site, but someone should have lost their job over that. You know, it's like a hundred dollar limit, so I almost hit it untracked. Of course, you know, I'm not yeah. trying to like tab out something like that. But I had I like went to go from my phone to the laptop, and the line was gone. <laughs> she's <laughs> minus three hundred everywhere. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I think she's a good look too. I don't know if I'm laying that chalk, but I, I think her opponent, I think Joju, is suburb bust uh, in that spot. Armbar bust, really. Yeah, uh, exactly. Women's MMA, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think I personally, I think she's a solid spot to go out there and, and parley with Kenny if we don't see Kenny drop any further than minus 150 i love kenny you guys already know like i was willing to pay the juice on him last time uh i don't mind doing it this time but i do think that wood poses a little bit more uh of a problem than highly elatang obviously did uh but i do love kenny in the spot i think i think he uh again as long as he goes for that grappling as long as he goes for that wrestling he should definitely go out there and look like the minus 200 guy that the line is right. currently at. he has right? a clear game plan to get to minus 200 i would say like if he wrestles goes in high iq i think he looks minus 200 here if he doesn't it's a little sketchier i would say closer to that minus 120 range but so line's somewhere in the middle i do want to get your thoughts lastly just on the the fight doesn't go to decision prop to actually just drop so we got minus 215 for it to go to decision plus 165 for it not to go to decision do you see a finishing route for either guy here right so i've had some success with totals recently i actually i saw that drop before uh, we got on here so i looked at that a little bit you know i think that wood is a guy we might want to target with unders in the future just because i do like his offense and i think he's a little bit defensively challenged not just because he got finished by dodds and just in all his fights you kind of see him take some clean shots and he grabs for the hands a little bit defensively but casey kenny's not really that type of finisher um you know on the feed i think it's two knockouts once by dr savage in his career that's just off the top of my head um, so I don't know if he gets a standing finish, you know, if they get really scrambly on the ground and wood gasses out, I could see Kenny getting a submission, but I trust the, the uh, BJJ game of wood to kind of keep him out of trouble there. And I kind of trust the positional wrestling of Kenny to also avoid uh, the submission from wood. So I, I think that's probably about right. I lean that this fight hits the scorecards, but um, I, I think wood is an under target in the future, at least. I absolutely agree. He gets hit a little bit too much for my liking. We've seen him yeah. get hurt and rocked in the past and actually come back and pull off the victory, but we've also seen him hurt and get finished. So that's that's something definitely to keep track of. It would be some shit if we saw Kenny go out there and one punch knock him out, right? Like that would be some crazy shit. Like if he just kicks him for the majority of the fight and then we see him just open up, up, open up the head eventually and just land a huge bomb, that would be pretty cool to see. But uh, yeah, I truly think that we're going to see a Casey-Kenny decision here. Is that where you're kind of leaning now to? Yeah, so yeah, if I had done to my head, I have to pick you know, one of the four methods for this fight to end. I think Casey Kenny's decision is uh, probably the most uh, likely outcome, at least at this point, before I dive too deep into the tape. Perfect, perfect. Uh, any other thoughts you got on the fight itself? No, I, I think we covered most yeah. things. I, you know, I think we covered the path that Kenny needs to take to win. I really think that's the X factor in this fight. They stay standing. I favor Wood, but uh, I think that Kenny has the IQ to know that he needs to get this fight to the ground. Uh, the one thing I would say we didn't touch on is just whether Wood is going to defend takedowns. I feel like we're kind of talking as if Kenny's 100% going to get him down. Uh, I think he gets him down a few times. Wood has shown decent takedown defense, uh, but not nothing I've seen on tape that makes me think like, oh, he's going to be able to keep this standing for 15 minutes. So uh, I think that's all I got on the fight. Perfect. Yeah, I think we're, it's pretty clear that we're both on Casey Kenny here. Um, on the way out, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, we know obviously they can follow you at Jay Shiffy. I'm going to have your uh, Twitter handle just below you so people will be able to say that. Uh, anything else you want to plug off the top? 
Yeah, so I'm at DFS on Twitter. Uh, I'm doing work over at FTN. We're doing uh, Daily Fantasy MMA. I know a couple betting guys are getting into the DFS DraftKings game. So it's a lot of fun. John Kelly and I, at John Kelly DFS uh, on Twitter, we do like a weekly show talking about DraftKings betting each week over there. You get a 10% discount if you use the code Shiffy at checkout. So good group of guys over there. We're just getting started, but uh, it's a lot of fun. So come hang out uh, if you're getting into the DFS game. Shout out to my guy, Big Marley, who I know is over there with you guys. Right, as well, he's too, doing so. some betting stuff as well. Shout out to Kyle Mar. He's a, he's, a, he's a monster in the game as well, too. So uh, good work you guys are doing over there at FTN. Uh, make sure you guys check him out. And, uh, yeah, thanks for joining me for the breakdown, buddy. And uh, good luck this weekend. You too, man. And for this next matchup, I have another special guest. This whole episode is filled with special guests. We got my man, Clintus Maximus from Die Hard MMA podcast, the, the lead man over there at Odd H, Odds HQ for MMA. Uh, if you guys are watching my show, you already know who the hell he is. So I, I don't even need to say anything about that. Um, how's it going, dude? I appreciate you actually joining me for this podcast. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me. It's going well. I, I feel like we just did this. I'm excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me. I just talked to you yesterday, just for a reference, because this is going to be coming out in the future. Me and Clint are recording this on Tuesday before. Sorry, is it Tuesday or is it Wednesday? It's Wednesday. It's Tuesday. 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 I don't know why the hell it's Tuesday. <laughs> but Tuesday, the week before the fight. So if there's any carfuffle that happens between now and me dropping the podcast uh, to the public on the Monday of fight week, I apologize. But either, anyway, let's get that out of the way. <laughs> let's cut to the chase. So we're going to be going over Tai Tuivasa and Stefan Struve. Uh, currently, the line is minus 125 on Mr. Struve. It seems like there is money coming in on Tai Tuivasa, which is that uh, why that line is starting to close here. Um, all right, I'll, I'll pretty much kick this thing off in terms of what my thoughts are on this. So if one year ago me heard me heard the breakdown that I'm about to drop, I'd probably smack myself in the face. But... There's been enough that I've seen on tape now where I can actually go out there and be like, Stefan Struve isn't half bad. Yeah, you know I mean, like he's, he has bad tendencies, don't get me wrong, but considering how much flack we've given this guy uh, for the entirety of his UFC career and saying that this guy has no idea how to maintain distance, how to use his frame, considering how big of a dude he is, um, you know, th- that's something that we always, we've always shit on him for. But in this fight here, I think he has, uh, he has a, a solid path to victory, which is why I kind of understand why he's a f- uh, slight favorite here. He's getting a little bit more confidence in his hands. One thing that we can both agree on in that Ben Rothwell fight, his hands did look a little bit better. I had money on Ben Rothwell and I was fidgeting going into that second round. I'm like, holy shit, Stefan Struve is actually looking good. He's landing leg kicks. He's staying active. He's, uh, he's not maintaining his distance to the best of his ability. But even while he's moving back, he's landing good shots to try and keep Ben Rothwell on the outside. And then obviously there's moments where Ben Rothwell closes his distance and actually just hugs him up against the cage. Now, the difference here with Tai Tuivasa compared to Ben Rothwell is where the hell did Tai Tuivasa's takedown defense go in la- his last fight? Uh, I believe it was against Sergei Spivak. That guy looked like he, he just thought it was a boxing match. Like he had no idea that takedowns were even allowed in that fight for some reason. He got <laughs> taken down six out of eight times. That was very concerning on my, half, uh, on my behalf in terms of looking at Tai Tuivasa and knowing that Stefan Struve is, such a, is one of the higher level guys when we're talking about jiu-jitsu in the heavyweight division. Uh, so that's a little bit of a concern with me with Tai Tuivasa. Um, again, when this matchup was announced, I'm like, Tai Tuivasa, if he comes out at plus money, I'm probably going to take the shot. But once I start to dig into the tape a little bit, I don't feel as comfortable on Tuivasa anymore. With that said, I don't feel like placing money on Stefan Struve either because another thing that, you, that was from recent memory 
he goes out there and gets dropped immediately by Marcos Hajario de, de Lima. Like, immediately. Worst case scenario, immediately. But you got to credit him for the fact that he actually endured that. He sustained that. His durability, dur, durability doesn't seem completely shot. Like, yeah, he got finished by Ben Rothwell, but that's after two legitimate low blows. Like, legitimate low blows where he felt like he was going to pick his brains out. Uh, so you got to give that a little bit of, uh, uh, as make that as a little bit of a factor here. Um, but yeah, Stefan Struve, the only way I take a shot on him here is if he somehow got flipped to a dog. If he becomes like plus 120 or plus 130 like that, I feel more comfortable going with the potential grappling route and seeing those flaws from the Tai Tuivas fight with um, Sergei Spivak, if Stefan Struve must have seen that. If he's able to get this fight to the ground, he should be able to implement his jiu-jitsu and possibly pull off a submission of his own. Tai Tuivasa, it seems like he doesn't have much takedown defense. That that's just my side. I know you're back in Tuivasa here, so I'm glad that we can have like a devil devil's advocate type of conversation here. So personally, I'm picking Struve to win this fight. I think he's going to get the submission probably probably first or second round. Uh, but yeah, how, how do you see this one going down? I, I hear you, man. I totally hear you. But honestly, this is a spot that's got it's dog or pass for me. And again, this is Clint from the past saying this. So if you're listening to the podcast and Tai Tuavasa is a minus one twenty five favorite at this point, it's not dog or pass anymore. It's still Tai Tuavasa. Let me tell you, man. I feel like this is a perfect setup fight for Tai Tuavasa, stylistically speaking. You brought up the Sergei Spivak fight, and I want to talk on that. The main way Sergei Spivak got that fight to the ground was catching those low calf kicks. Stefan Struve is too damn big to catch those low calf kicks. He's not going to be able to reach all the way down there to get that foot and then dump him off. So Tai Tuavasa is going to be able to kick those long-ass legs all day. And then on top of that, we know Stefan Struve, like you mentioned before, he's got issues with the range control. He's got that tall man defense. He leans back with his chin up. That overhand bomb is going to be there for him all day. Now, when Big Ben Rothwell fought against Stefan Struve, you might want to compare the two, but Tai Tuavasa and Rothwell aren't even on the same planet when it comes to striking. Big Ben Rothwell lumbers forward. He's slow. He attacks with straight punches right down the middle. That's the kind of guy that Stefan Struve can kind of stick and move and stay away from. Tuavasa, leg kicks, overhands. Those are the two worst things for Stefan Struve, possibly. And then on top of that, like I said, with the takedowns, you've got Sergey Spivak that's catching the low calf kick, dumping him, and then hitting hip throws. I don't think Stefan Struve is going to be able to do either one of those. Now, if he gets in onto Avasa, maybe the hip throw happens. But if you've ever done a hip throw, you know that your hips have got to be lower than your opponents. And once again, he's going to have a damn tough time with that because Taito Avasa is going to be so much shorter than him. If Stefan Struve gets this fight to the floor, obviously he can submit Taito Avasa. But don't forget, we haven't seen Ty in over a year, man. This kid's 27 years old. He's taken a full year off to train and get better and improve. And Stefan Struve is a broken 33-year-old man. He's been knocked out so many times. He's already hung him up and retired, and now he's back looking for a second shot. I think there's one dude that the UFC is saying, you know what, let's get him a win. Let's get him back on track here. And I think that's tied to Avasa. I think the wrong guy is favored, personally speaking. Stefan Struve has a legitimate path to victory with the ground game, with the submission, but he's out of place on the feet. I think Taito Avasa is going to wreck him with leg kicks and land a bomb on him and eventually put him out. My concern with Tuivasa striking is sometimes he seems a little bit too hesitant to actually pull the trigger. And that's kind of what's leading me away from him too, in terms of like, 
he's not a, a renowned like kicker. You know what I mean? He kicks, but he's not like a, he doesn't have, we don't refer to him when we're talking about guys that are legitimate kickers. You know what I mean? He throws yeah. it out there, but it's nothing crazy. Obviously it might be a little bit easier to succeed with the leg kick against a guy like Stefan Struve in this situation. So I can see that angle as well. Uh, however, I still got four and a half foot legs. They're there to be kicked. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally true. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I can see absolutely both sides, which is why I'm like, I would only pull the trigger here on Stefan Struve uh, at dog money. Uh, and this is almost, again, I, I truly see it as a, a grappler versus striker type of matchup. Because if Stefan Struve absolutely believes that he's going to go out there and, and outstrike Tai Tuivasa, that's not going to happen. I believe he's skilled enough on the feet now and he's started to gain enough confidence at this point in time that he should be able to, you know, uh, hang. And Tuivasa is hittable too. The guy doesn't really have the greatest take or uh, striking defense. It's, he's, uh, like, he's a little bit too lazy with the leg kicks at times too, where we've seen guys pretty much counter him. Luckily for Tuivasa, though, he is durable. It's not like Stefan Struve is going to go out there and knock him out, but it is a little bit of a caveat that might uh, stifle the forward movement of Tai Tuivasa a little bit when he keeps getting stung by some of those shots. And again, I do believe that Struve's striking is slightly getting better. Like, he's getting more confident with it, where you see the shots are coming a little bit cleaner and straighter down the middle. Um, but I think, again, it's, it's going to come down to the takedowns. If he doesn't get this fight to the ground, it's a Tuivasa fight, no doubt about yeah. it. But again, if he gets it to the ground, then it's probably a true fight. So it's a little bit of a coin flip. You're going with the striker. I'm going with the grappler. I'm completely okay with that too. Do you see a scenario where Tai Tui, because we have seen scenarios like the Marcin Taibura fight where we've seen guys take Struve down and just hang out on top of his guard. Because in my opinion, Struve is more of a, a good jiu-jitsu guy from the top, not so much from the bottom as much anymore. Like when he was younger, a lot of people are like, yo, he's really good off of his back. But we haven't really seen him do much of much work off of his back. He's threatened with submissions, but nothing really ever comes close. But from on top, he's a, I think that's where he does his best work. So do you think there's a possibility that we see Tai Tuivas actually take this to the ground and try to just grind out a win? Because what is he on a three-fight losing streak at this point in time? Like he needs to get a victory. He needs to secure a victory, and that seems like a pretty easy path to victory if uh, you really want to secure a win and don't really care about knocking a dude out. Do you think that's possible for Ty? I, I don't. I really don't. I mean, I think Ty is uh, hes the kind of guy that he's, he's an entertainer. He's not going to come out and GSP it up. He's not going to grind out a win. He's going to come out looking for the kill every single time. I mean, eight of his nine wins are by knockout. We saw he went toe-to-toe with Junior Dos Santos. He's going to have a significant speed advantage here. And like you said, everyone's seen it. We all know that his weakness is the ground game. Stefan Struve is a decent submission fighter. I don't think he wants anything to do with the ground game with Stefan Struve. I think he's going to try and play the range game, duck in, get inside, land those big shots, eat the legs up. And it really, like I said, the speed advantage, I think, is going to be a significant thing. Like you mentioned earlier, Taito Voss is durable as hell, too. So even if he does trade a little bit with Stefan Struve, I just think that Stefan Struve is going to crack before Ty does. And I don't see Ty shooting for takedowns or anything like that. So I don't think Struve is going to catch him with a knee on the way in or, you know, anything like that. And uh, if it does hit the mat, I, I fully expect Ty to just get back up and make the man stand back up and then celebrate with a shoey when it's all said and done. <laughs> it's like, it's just like last week with the Catlin Chikagian fight. You know I mean, you'd love to sweat out a fight, even though when you think like, it is kind of a 50-50 fight. You know I mean, maybe you're giving a slight edge to, to, to Tui Vasa here, but it's still damn close. Like it's 55-45 if you're talking about it, right? Um, but yeah, th- this is going to be a really close fight. I, again, I probably will bet. Uh, no, you know what? I'm staying away from this too. Like, <laughs> unless we see like a significant movement towards Tai Tui Vasa here, I see no need to actually take the shot on Stefan Struve or Tai Tui Vasa. So I 
wish you good luck in, in your betting. You. And hopefully it's not too much of a sweat for you. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, I do want to wrap this up real quick, but I do want to give you the opportunity to just drop anything that you have for yourself that you want the people to know about. Hey, man, just, uh, you know, thanks for having me on the show and Die Hard MMA Podcast. We live stream every Monday, breaking down the UFC events over on odds.com, live on YouTube. Come hang out in the chat, spend some time with me. And uh, just shout out to you, man. Again, thanks for having me on the show. Congratulations. It's your big day. This is an awesome moment here for you. So uh, kick back. Enjoy it. You do, some, you do some good work, man. Congratulations. I could only get the best from my 100th episode, so... I had to make sure that I reached out to you. Uh, once again, thank you, Clint. Make sure you guys go check him out. Uh, and he has Taito Ivasa. I got Stefan Struve. We'll see how it goes down this weekend. Next up, we got Magomed Ankalaev versus Iwan Kutelaba. And for this breakdown, we got my guy, Notorious Picks, at Notorian, Notorious underscore Picks. Joining me, what's going on, brother? Hey, what's up, man? I'm super excited to do to do this podcast, man, and honored, you know. I know how how important this and how special this podcast is. So let's get to it, man. Dude, I just got to give a quick little backdrop. Like when I, I joined this first uh, or the, the Twitterverse and got into this handicapping thing, uh, my guy Notorious, my man Newsom, and my man Vegas Pete were like the – we were the Banner Brothers right at the beginning, you know what I mean? Like I felt like we, we, got, we got along very well. Somebody else brought us together. But that person never really showed up afterwards. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I really enjoyed uh, fucking being in that group with you guys and shit. And I feel like we're all, you know, we're all better for it anyway. So uh, shout out to you for, uh, you know, being one of the day ones. Let's put it that way. Yeah, absolutely, man. I feel the same way. It was one of the first, you know, groups that I had, you know, and you guys are always special to me, you know. So, Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I knew once I did a show like this, I need to have your ass on here. So let's get into it. We got minus 270 on Magomed on Kalaev and plus 230 for Iwan Kutelaba. The first time they fought, I believe on Kalaev close as a minus 220 favorite. So we have seen a little bit of money come in on, uh, on Kalaev in that amount of time. Uh, in terms of actually where it opened, we, it opened at minus 285. It's now at minus 270. We're seeing a little bit of, bit of money coming in on Iwan Kutelaba. But we got what? Less than a minute of footage from that first fight to really dissect anything. Yeah, I mean, uh, we got an, an Academy Award-winning performance from Iwan Kutelaba to make it look like he was rocked. He got Kevin McDonald to jump in there real quick, and he just protested immediately. So we saw, uh, instead of actually being rocked, he was doing the rope-a-dope. He was hoping to get on Kalav to overcommit and probably hit him with a counter or something like that. So I highly doubt we see him do that this time around because uh, we know on is probably going to be looking at that. But breaking down this fight, it's I've broken it down maybe three or four times at this point in time. It's pretty much our Ferguson Gaethje, or our Ferguson Khabib. Uh, but in terms of the styles that we got here. So we got Enclave, who likes to fight at range. He has a very disciplined striking approach. Um, you know, can take the fight to the ground if he needs to, but I believe he prefers to really have it in the striking realm. Likes to fight at distance. Um, you know, very, very proficient striker. Like, uh, he's not really looking for the one-punch knockout shot at all times. He's looking to build to it eventually, as we've seen in the Dolce Lungiambula fight, which is one that is that sticks out to me when you're trying to look for a comparison here because Dolce and Iwan Kutilaba, almost similar fighting styles where they're just a ball of energy. They want to go out there. They want to knock you out as soon as possible, try to catch that performance of the night check. Um, I, I'm, nothing has changed for me from the first fight to, the, for, to this fight. You know what I mean? I still like Ankalaev here. 
I probably won't be playing him compared to, you know, the last time where I had him at minus 220, where he's at minus 270 now. Maybe a possible parlays piece for me, but I think he's got this in the bag. There's, there's no way you're going to tell me that a guy with a one-punch knockout power uh, type of game plan is going to go out there and, you know, be the guy who, in my opinion, could potentially be a light heavyweight champion in Magomed Ankalaev. What are your thoughts on this fight? Yeah, man. Um, obviously, Magomed has a lot of... Um, uh, you know, a lot of uh, good things going for him compared to Akutalaba, right? Uh, if we compare just the two guys, I think uh, Ankalaev, he keeps his game for the whole duration of the fight. You know, he doesn't get worse as the fight goes on. You know, in fact, I think he actually gets stronger in terms of he gets your timing and speed in the first, like, two, three minutes, and then he opens up, you know? And then from there, you know, a lot of guys don't make it to, like, second and third rounds. You know, I don't think it's the uh, issue of Ankalaev trying to get in there and, like, get these guys early, you know, out of there, you know, in the first round. I think a lot of guys just don't make it. Whereas Ian Kutalaba, I think his whole game is trying to bully you from the beginning. Even at the weigh-ins, we know what kind of shit he likes to pull, you know. Uh, And... Yeah, Hulk or, like, bringing Glover to Shara's uh, photo and, like, you know, ripping it. Well, that shit didn't work on Glover, right? (laughs) And then trying to get in people's faces right before they about to fight, you know. It might work on the guy like Khalil Roundtree, you know. He even didn't even look at uh, Kutalaba, you know. He He wasn't about that, you know. And maybe it's because of that day that Khalil came, you know. Uh, Or maybe it's because Khalil is just mentally weak, you know. But Magomed... He's not scared of Kutalaba. You know, in the first fight, Kutalaba tried that shit, and he got the double underhooks and almost swept him to the ground, you know. And so um, so from that perspective, Magomed is not already intimidated, you know. And that's I think it's almost like half of Kutalaba's game. A lot of those guys that he beats, they get intimidated right away, and they don't want to be there with him, you know. So I think Ankalaev has that advantage on uh, Kutalaba, which is mental, which is huge, you know, and he's already been there, you know, he's seen the guy, you know, it was like, what, a minute and a half, it was a completely horrible stoppage, obviously, I don't think anyone's gonna uh, try to say that was a good stoppage, maybe the ref trying to explain his actions, but other than that, I think everyone can agree that was a horrible stoppage, but besides that, he did uh, clip Kutalaba with the first right hook, as Kutalaba was coming in, he was able to catch him, and that's when Kutalaba started doing that shit, you know. And then after that, uh, Magomed, he didn't rush in into the boxing range, per se. He was actually trying to land the high kicks. And that shows you the intelligence, because he realizes that Kutalaba, in that first two, three minutes, that's, you know, the most dangerous Ian, right? So you can't just, like, bull rush him, and that's when you can get caught. So he was on, on the kicking range, you know, trying to finish him with the kicks. And then he actually was able to land that last left uppercut hook-ish. And that's when the ref stopped it. Horrible stoppage, but whatever. I, stu- I still do think that uh, Uncle Life was going to put him away in the next, like, minute or so. I think that Ian, uh, his whole shtick wasn't working, honestly. And But going into this fight, um, one fight that I want to bring up is um, the Khalil Roundtree fight, where I saw a little bit of a different Ian Kutalaba in the beginning of that fight. He was actually using more over his footwork, and he was actually waiting to counter a kick that Khalil threw, and then he took him down, and then he was able to, you know, land elbows and just stop him, you know? So it was a different Kutalaba versus the one that just gets in your face and tries to, you know, knock you out. So if that Kutalaba comes in and tries to play the counter game, 
uh, I think this fight could go lo- lo- could go longer um, than the first round. And uh, the bet that I would actually be sort of interested in, depending on what kind of odds I get, is over one and a half rounds. Because I expect it to be one and a half. I don't think it's going to be two and a half because of what happened, right? And I don't remember what it was last time. Do you? I'm about, to, I'm about to pull that up. Let me check that real quick. Um, um, well, while Locke's doing it. It was one um, and a half. Yeah, so it was that, one and a half. Okay. Was it plus money for the over? Over one and a half was minus 155. Is that closing. Okay. So I expect that to be closer to pick them or even plus money for the over. So if I get a good plus number, maybe I will be interested in that and I might just hedge it with some uh, Uncle Live in round one, something like that, you know? So that's from the betting perspective. That's what I'm looking at because I don't think I want to play that straight, uh, the line that is currently on Live, because that's the guy I'm picking, if, uh, in case you guys were <laughs> couldn't tell. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I do think that Kutalaba could do some things that maybe could prolong the fight, and that's where, you know, maybe I could bet it live, you know, after round one. Maybe he looks okay, you know. He doesn't look terrible. He doesn't get wobbled. You know, maybe it's pretty close round, you know. Um, but, you know, we all know that the later it goes, the better it is for Uncle Live. I think that's what I think the consensus would be because Uncle Live is a sniper. You know, he doesn't get worse. And, you know, Kutalaba is a bull and he just gasses out, you know. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts, you know, to start with. So I kind of want to bounce it back to you. What do you want to say? Honestly, in terms of Iwan, he, he does show flashes of brilliance. Like you said, the Khalil Rontree fight is a perfect example of what he looks like at his best. And that's one of my proudest moments where I actually had Kutilaba in that fight at Plus Money because everybody was all over that Ty Leo fucking guy that we saw mm-hmm. against Eric Anders. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw him go out there and just absolutely pick him apart. But what people weren't seeing was... You know, Eric Anders, he's he's an okay fighter, but he's not he doesn't have like the greatest striking. He doesn't have the greatest wrestling or anything like that. Iwan Kutilava has a little bit of a background in wrestling, if I'm not mistaken. Not to mention he has, you know, power in his hands too. So and we still know that Khalil's round trees, like the weakest part of his game is definitely his takedown defense and his mm-hmm. and his ground game. So the fact that Iwan was able to go in there, stay patient, wait for his moments, get the fight to the ground and just elbow his face into into the core of the earth. It, it was great for uh, Kutilaba there. But this fight is just it shows you the difference in levels of these light heavyweights. Like Ankalaev, if it wasn't for that Paul Craig finish, that last second finish, mm-hmm. he'd probably be out there right now fighting for a title. You know what I mean? He would be up there in that top three, top five. And what kind of like threw me off a little bit is they didn't have any rankings between, uh, beside any of their names uh, in their first fight in Ankalaev and Kutilaba. So the fact mm-hmm. that they were not ranked in the top 15 makes me like, what the fuck are these guys even thinking at that point in time? Mm-hmm. We know that Ankalaev is a top five talent, especially with the landscape of the current light heavyweight division. You know I mean, with John Jones gone, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we got Blahovich that just recently won the title. Uh, I feel like that, that title is going to start switching hands a lot. And Ankalaev could find himself definitely with that strap. Do you think he has a championship, uh, a championship potential? Yes, absolutely. Actually, I do see him right now already as a top five guy. Absolutely. So if we run, run down the whole top five, right, we have Jan Blahovic, obviously. Then we have is Dominic Reyes number two, uh, I guess. Um, then we have um, Rockage. I don't know if he's ranked that high, but in my mind, Rockage is top five. Um, I think Jerry Prohaska is up there as well, even though he only has one fight and people might say whatever they want to say, but Vulcan actually became, you know, he went from overrated to underrated so quickly. <laughs> so quickly. <laughs> so quickly. Uh, this guy, uh, I truly do believe he is pretty good. You know, Rockage, that fight, 
that he had with him, that was close. You know, what, however you want to score it. Uh, the same with Reyes. You know, n- none of those guys could just go out there and put a statement on the guy like Volkan. And then you have Jiri coming in, uh, having, a you know, uh, some scary moments in that first round, you know, surviving that, but then he knocks him dead in a second. That's really impressive. You know, that's not just coincidence. You know, if you say that in the first round, you know, if in, in the, f- like, first minute, right? Like, uh, what's his name? Alex Hernandez knocking out Benito Darius, that kind of shit. You can say that that was a fluke. But Jiri Prochaska winning in the second round, that was no fluke, you know. So he went through, you know, tough moments and he won, whatever. So I do think that he's in the top five as well. And then you have Magomed, you know. I think that's... And I think he matches up pretty well with pretty much all of those guys. You know, I could see him beating uh, Blahovich potentially. Uh, it would be a good fight. You know, I'm not going to just sit here and say that he's going to be the next champ. But I do see the potential because he's a well-rounded guy. You know, he can wrestle as well. Um, I think uh, I just rewatched the Paul Craig fight actually two hours ago, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, rewatching it, uh, not before, before there was uh, some moments where Paul Craig he was able to take him down, uh, Magomed, you know, uh, and um, it wasn't just one moment where he lost, you know, at the end, but you know, but he was able to reverse those positions. He was not. It wasn't like he was a fish out of water on the ground on the bottom, because a lot of guys could look good on on top, you know. But then when it comes to the bottom game, they're just trash, you know. This guy is able to uh, dig for underhooks and actually get up and then reverse positions and then get on top, you know. And obviously he lost. And in the last ten seconds, even when the last ten seconds, you could hear the whatever the bell, whatever it is. Um, yeah, I was like, how did he lose it? You know, even the rewatching, I was like. How, and then in the last, like, seven, five seconds, Paul Craig just pulls off crazy shit, you know, and submits him. But, like, I think it was, it was because Magomed was pretty uh, content on that guard. He didn't feel any danger before that, you know. So uh, I think that's what cost him, you know, a lack of um, concentration for a moment. And he also had a lack of concentration once against Dalcha Against the fence, he trapped him, and then he got hit with the overhand right and got wobbled a little bit. But then after that, he didn't let that happen again. So it shows you the level of intelligence this guy has, you know. He might get caught, like, here and there. But he's already been caught, you know, on the ground, like, with Paul Craig. And Kutalaba doesn't have that kind of shit anyway. You know, he doesn't he, – he, he can't, like, uh, throw up a triangle. You know, I don't never, I've, never seen, I've never seen the guy do that. Actually, what he does on the ground is quit when, he get, when he's on the bottom <laughs> – <laughs> so that's it's another thing the like, opposite of what you're expecting <laughs> yeah like on top the guy can land some good strikes against Khalil Roundtree who has absolutely no uh, jujitsu at all and he just you know quits as well but when you have a guy like you know Magomed I think Kutalaba could potentially get a takedown here you know let's let's have that possibility you know because I want to look at as many possibilities as possible and I think that's one possibility where, where, where it could happen so Kutalaba might land a takedown and but I don't think that Magomed is gonna just allow him to land ground and pound or I mean Kutalaba doesn't go for submissions anyway but like uh, the ground and pound right but Magomed he actually he uh, keeps uh, the guys pretty close you know when he's on the bottom he actually either goes for underhooks and tries to get up or like he tries to control their body you know he doesn't just allow guys to posture up and land shots on him you know so that's a good thing to see anyway, as well. So really, to me, it comes down to the first two minutes of this fight. I think that's where Kutalaba can win this fight. And then if he doesn't land something crazy, which he can, he's done that multiple times. He even landed uh, spinning shit on Glover, you know. But Glover, 
being the man that he is, he was like, not today, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not today. Talk about durability, so, dude. Durability. Right. Times and infinity. Uncle Live, Uncle Live can, uh, you know, he can get wobbled, but he's intelligent. He doesn't get finished uh, with strike. He's never been, you know, finished with strikes. And um, so I think even if Kutalaba lands something, I think uh, Uncle Live should be able to avoid the finish. And then once you get past the first three minutes and Kutalaba sees that he can't out-bully you, then, you know, he's fucked. And he's has happened multiple times with Cannonier as well. You know, who's a middleweight? You know, he just walked him down in the third round and felt no uh, danger at all. You know, what what does it say about Kutalaba? If he can't out-bully you in the first, he quits pretty much. So I absolutely agree with you, dude. Like, Uncle Live should have this fight, especially after that two-minute mark. This fight should clearly be his. I don't see another Hail Mary, Paul Craig type of finish for a young Kutalaba or anything here. Um, I'd be surprised if he gets a finish anytime past the five-minute mark. Um, and in terms of ranking, so last time they weren't ranked. Iwan Kutalaba is still not ranked. We have Magomed Ankalaev at number 11 right now. So this win should – I don't know if it's going to bounce him up in the rankings anymore. Like he has Misha Serkinov ahead of him, Johnny Walker ahead of him, Nikita Krilov ahead of him, uh, Volkan Uzmir, Anthony Smith. By the way, top five. We'll just run down there real quick. Tiago Santos. Oh, yes. Reyes, Glover Teixeira, Alexander Rakic, and Jiri Prohaska, number five. So they okay. jumped – you know, Jiri definitely jumped in the rankings after that win over Volkan. And it makes sense. Volkan was a top five, top six ranked guy as well. But in terms of Uncle Live, I hope this – catapults him into a fight with one of those guys. Like, uh, I wouldn't mind him against Nikita Krilov. That's a fun mm-hmm, fucking fight. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. against Volkan Uzmir, against Yuri Prohaska as well. I think uh, the, the, there's a ton of potential for Uncle Live here. I'm mean, really looking forward to him to finally put the put the stamp on this chapter of fucking Iwan Kutilaba because this feels like it's been going on forever. You know, I mean, at least... Knock on wood. We still got a couple of days. Like we're we're recording this, I believe, the Thursday before. That's my dog thinking that I'm knocking on the door. Hey, it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing Uncle Live actually put it to put an end to this. Um, and yeah, yeah. I, I got Uncle Live. Uh, I'm gonna say third round finish. What about you? I'm gonna say uh, second round finish. Uh, and I'm like I said before, I am very interested in over under one and a half. Just to see that number, if it makes sense, then I might bet it. If not, then I might just watch it, you know. And do we know who's ref in this fight? Because that's very important to me. That is very important, <laughs> but they don't they don't fucking drop that stuff. Yeah. I mean, like, unless it's the main event, they don't let us know that until like... I mean, that's who... Uh, I hope that Michael McDonald, was that who's ref? Kevin, Kevin hope- McDonald. Oh, Kevin McGill. Yeah, that's what it was. Sorry. Don't get a twist about Michael McDonald, former bantamweight. Yes, yes, yes. That, uh, sorry, yeah. Yeah, that guy is way better than the ref. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully that fool is not in the cage. You know, we get a proper, uh, you know, fight. And I think, uh, yeah, I, I do expect Uncle Live to close that chapter and move on to uh, bigger bigger things. Hopefully, uh, you know, Krilov. I like that fight. Krilov would be a fine fight. That's a great fight. Um, all right. I want to wrap this up real quick so they can follow you at Notorious oh, no. underscore picks. Is there anything else you want to plug? Is there anything you're doing on the side that I have no idea about? Oh, uh, no, not really, man. <laughs> I'm just, uh, you know, doing lots of taping, you know, been um, doing a lot of analysis. Maybe I'll come back into uh, dropping some videos, you know, like I've done in the past. Uh, we'll see. If I do, I'll let you guys know. And, yeah, if you want to f- follow me, follow me on Twitter or, uh, you know, bed tips if you want to. So, 
yeah, and uh, let's catch these tickets these this Sunday and the next one. Oh, Saturday. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. All right. I appreciate appreciate you coming on, brother. And uh, I'll be sure to, whenever I do something like this again, I'll be sure to hit you up once again, and we'll get some more thoughts on you. Maybe we'll do a little bit more fights next time, but since this is such an action-packed, jam-packed episode, I can only get one per person. So uh, glad that you hopped on for this one. And, uh, yeah, thanks again. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, next up, we got Lauren Murphy versus Lilia Shakarova, who's coming in on short notice after Cynthia Calvillo, I believe, tested positive for COVID-19 and uh, had to pull out. But for this breakdown, we do have my man, John Stargaryon MMA is what you know him on Twitter as, at MMA Fox. Uh, he is the co-host, but I like to call him the ringleader over there of the Club and Sub podcast. You guys got a wacky group of guys over there that have great insight and great input. I'm glad to have you on to help me break down this fight, buddy. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I've been obviously a fan for a while and you and I chat all the time. So I'm excited to dive into it. Was a little bit more excited when it was Calvillo and uh, Lauren Murphy, <laughs> but, but this, this could be fun. So we'll see where this line ends up opening. Dude, I pre- like this fight and the, the Joju and Maverick fight. I was like, I'm, I'm hoping the guys that I got doing these breakdowns are cool <laughs> with doing these breakdowns. And thankfully, you guys are always very enthusiastic and down to do uh, pretty much any fight, whether it's, you know, women's MMA or even just like debuting. So uh, I appreciate you hopping on for that one. Yeah, man, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited. I, I honestly, I was, well, we can get into it later, but I almost bet Murphy against Calvillo. So it's a bit frustrating. Well, let's just start off with that. Just give a quick brief uh, insight in terms of how you thought that Calvillo Murphy fight was going to go down. Very, very yeah. brief. Yeah, sure. So basically, I mean, obviously, Calvillo went to her grappling a lot more um, against the eye, which was a concern, which I'm assuming is why she was like minus 200 here. Um, but I actually thought we saw, you know, we haven't seen Murphy on her back very much since the McMahon fight. Um, but we did see it briefly against Motiferi and she just looked like, and briefly against Andrea Lee, and she just looks like she's made significant strides there. And Motiferi's got a pretty strong top game and she couldn't really hold her down. I wasn't really convinced Calvillo would. And on the feet, you know, we'll talk about it on this breakdown, but I actually think Murphy's serviceable there. Yeah, so let, let, let's get into the actual breakdown for this fight. So uh, I'll kick things off in terms of what I've been seeing off the tape. We'll start off with Lauren Murphy, who, you know, she did have that extended layoff between, I believe, two, 2018, uh, or sorry, 2017 and 2018, where she was coming off a, a foot injury and she had to undergo surgery for that. Uh, and then since coming back, she's gone on her three-fight winning streak, which is very impressive. You know, we got Mara Romero, Barella, uh, a split decision over Andrea Lee, which I'm still kind of questioning to, up until this day. Uh, but, uh, and then most recently, uh, she, she won, I believe, as a close to a pick against Roxanne Modafferi last time around. So uh, shout out to anybody that got on Murphy for that fight. But, uh, you know, she, she's joined up with uh, that Derek Lewis team down there in terms of uh, with uh, crew Bob Perez, I believe his name is, uh, solid Muay Thai coach. Uh, and it seems like it's really working out for her in terms of being a little bit more confident in her hands. Uh, we are seeing her, uh, you know, trudging forward a little bit more, throwing those hands, throwing those kicks. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very... Uh, satisfying to see if you are you're obviously backing uh lauren murphy in those spots um uh, you know she's one of seven in terms of or people are one in seven in terms of taking her down as well too so it seems like she's working on her takedown defense a little bit and you did allude to it in terms of the roxanne Montefiore fight when Montefiore did get her down she didn't do the best job in terms of like keeping her down and all that and if you even want to go all the way back to the sarah mcmahon fight that was a split decision victory for sarah mcmahon because <laughs> lauren murphy was doing some solid damage off the bottom as well so that's something to to keep in mind too but with this lilia shakarova chick she seems uh, not to let's give her a shout out for that hairstyle though. Yeah, I mean she looks like that chick <laughs> or that the villain from uh what was that movie? Fuck. 
uh, no, no country for old men. <laughs> yeah. Javier Bardem. Yes, exactly. Uh, she's rocking that to to a T. Uh, but in terms of her striking style, you know, she she seems to be. It almost reminds me of Lauren Murphy a little bit. Like she moves forward. She doesn't really cut angles or anything like that. Um, earlier in her career, it seemed like she was a little bit more hesitant and gun shy, especially in her most uh, recent loss. Um, you know, it seemed like she really like had this light bulb moment at like the 30 second mark of every single round where she's like, all right, let me just take this to the ground. And we saw her go to it a little bit more towards the takedowns more in that third round. And she was a little bit more successful there. And then in her preceding fights, obviously she hasn't lost since that. It seems like she got an understanding where she was just like, I need to get fights to the ground and not just rely on my striking, especially with the fact that I have low output. You can't just rely on the striking. Um, and I, I think that's where she she's very successful is when she gets the fights to the ground. I would like to see her have a little bit better control on the ground, but she has gotten two ground and pound finishes as well too. So I might be you know be asking for a little bit too much at that point uh, by saying that. But uh, yeah, th- this fight's a tough one, especially since we don't really have odds to look at uh, and in trying to really judge it from that. Uh, just for reference, we are recording this on Sunday uh, before the fight. So uh, and this fight I believe was just announced on Friday. Yeah, so we. Yeah. we didn't have too much time in terms of getting odds out for this. Uh, I'm not sure where we'll see the odds. Like I'm horrible at predicting odds. I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Lauren Murphy open as a favorite, maybe like minus 140, minus 150 or something like that. But I believe the, the, the extra gear that Shakarova shows in terms of getting fights to the ground. Uh, obviously I'm a little bit questionable with the, the types of opponents she's had in the last two fights, but like, if she's able to get Murphy down, she could like slowly, uh, slightly edge this fight away. So if you're getting solid dog money on Shakarova, I don't think it's a bad spot here. Um, obviously, I'm not the highest on betting UFC debutantes or anything like that. Uh, but like it, it kind of seems even on the feet almost. Yeah, you know I mean, now that we're seeing more confidence from Shakarova, but her ability to get fights to the ground and possibly do some damage from there should be able to get her some judges nod. So I'm, uh, I'm liking Shakarova here from what I'm seeing thus far. What about you? Yeah, so I actually don't think Shakarov is bad, kind of what you alluded to. I mean, the first thing I see is her throwing straight punches in combination. You know, you see that in WMA. That's number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, and I think to get kind of your point, you know, earlier in her career, she was a bit low volume. But, like, you know, she has – I actually think technically on the feet, she's probably a little bit more technically sound than Murphy is. Uh, just seems to have a better process in terms of her approach to striking than Murphy does. Um and yeah, like you said, I think at her best, you know, is when she's looking for takedowns. And frankly, you know, who knows where she can go in women's 125. It's such a shallow division. Uh, but I think she'd, she'd actually be, you know, a real threat to win a lot of fights if she was reliable to attempt like five, six, seven takedowns a fight and didn't just kind of save it for the back, back end of it. Um, the issue I kind of have with her is kind of like twofold. At first, it's like partially the volume thing like what you mentioned. Like if you can rely on Murphy for anything, it's going to be go forward, throw a lot of strikes, um, really not be at all, you know, afraid of the damage coming back at her. You know, Lee was landing some heavy stuff against her. And, you know, while I agree that the decision was not great, uh, she just kept marching forward and marching through it, though. And that's impressive. Um, <clears throat> so that's a bit of a concern for me because it's like, if she does wait to get takedowns, I do sort of think just the kind of power of Murphy and physicality plus the volume is probably going to be would probably give her a slight edge on minutes there. Um, and then in terms of the grappling itself, like you mentioned, you know, she gets reversed a fair bit. And, you know, we saw it a bit in the Roxy fight, you know, Murphy at one point, she kind of got in a wizard and managed to reverse it to a body lock and put her on her back. And I don't know if you saw it, but um, 
I think it was Mo Bang, I want to say, Shakarova was fighting. Uh, and she ended up on the bottom at one point late in round one. And she just didn't really seem to know what to do. It was like immediately ended up in like a turtle shell on her back with Bang on her back. Um, and like, I don't think Murphy is a serious threat to like submit her, but it's just a concern that if Murphy can just physically overwhelm her and get on top of her, she can maybe just close out rounds like that on top. You know what I mean? Um, so like, I kind of see it as, like I said, I think Chakra was probably more technical in every aspect, but I do think Murphy's busier. She's more experienced. Uh, and I think she's more physical and more powerful. And so it's like, it's a big step up in competition. So I think I slightly lean like in terms of just straight caveat because we don't have a line. I'd probably say like Murphy 60% in my mind. But like you said, you know, if it's like Murphy minus 230 or Shaq Rover plus 200, that's interesting. No, absolutely. I agree. In terms of like picking a side, I'd probably like predict Murphy to win this fight because yeah. she has more tangibles that we can actually see and know that she does throw 80 plus strikes a, a fight and stuff like right. that, right? Like we have those tangible statistics that we can lean on. And obviously the experience in the UFC is a huge thing for her too. She's been in there for a long time. Um, you know, getting that victory over Roxanne Montefiore last time is a big boost for her as well too. The fact that she's on a three-fight winning streak, maybe 125 is probably the spot she should have been at this entire time as well. So that's something to consider. Um and yeah, I feel like there is a little bit of skepticism when it comes to the level of experience that Shakira Shakirova has gone up against in her prior fights. I know her last two points combined for a record of like three and seven or something, right? But before that, you know, I mean, the girl she beat before that was five and one. Uh, the girl she lost to was, I believe, three and two. So that's a little bit of a skeptical record. Uh, Mo Bang or whatever that chick's name is, she was fourteen and five, so she had a solid record up in up until that point, right? Uh, so those things kind of concern me a little bit when you have a UFC debutant and you. You, you can't really put your finger on, okay, you know, if she went up against another girl in the UFC flyweight division, how would she have fared? You know what I mean? So, uh, uh, yeah, this, this is a tough fight. And again, the fact that we don't have odds makes it a little bit uh, difficult to bet. Um, I, I would like, you know, if we do get Murphy around like minus 130, minus 140, I think that's a solid spot for her there. Uh, but anything worse than minus, I'd say anything over minus 160 minus 170 I think might be a little bit too much like if you're able to go out there and get plus 200 and above on Shakarova I think that's a solid spot considering what information that we currently have um but all in all this this just might be a pass fight for me how about you like uh, would you be willing to take the shot on either side if you get those numbers yeah, yeah I mean I think I'd probably need so like one other thing is like I mentioned it briefly on my podcast with regards to Andrade Chikagian, but like I feel like when looking at WMA fights, so much is identifying like where the physicality edge is because the technique, yeah. even the high technique girls, is generally just a lot lower um, than men's. And like so, I kind of think that lies with Murphy here. Um, in terms of, I mean, that's my suspicion anyway. I could <laughs> be wrong about it, but in terms of like num number, you know, I'd be interested in Murphy in like minus one twenty, minus one twenty five. Um, and like you said, I'd probably like over plus 200, I'd probably be willing to take the stab at Chakarova, to be honest. Uh, in terms of like metrics, in terms of the size, we got five, seven for Lauren Murphy and five, four for Shakarova. So she will have a little bit of a size advantage there. She also has fought at 135 in the past as well, too. So that's something to, to keep in mind. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that it's safe to say that both of us are on Murphy on this side. Uh, odds depending, obviously, like if they do go out there and give us a closer line, maybe Murphy is worth a shot there. Uh, but, you know, more often than not, when you get like a, a short notice fighter, especially like pretty much this close to fight week, we obviously get a ton of chalk, right? Like we get a ton of chalk on the UFC fighter um, 
here's the hoping, you know what I mean? <laughs> For a minus 120, minus 130 on Murphy. But I highly doubt that's, that's anything that we'll get. Um, any final thoughts on this matchup? I think we did a pretty good job of covering both sides. Yeah, just that, like, I, I kind of think, you know, I'd be much more comfortable if I'm going to bet this fight having money on Chakaroga as a big dog than I would be having Murphy as a favorite. Um, just, like, I'm not going to go too deep down the rabbit hole here. But, like, one thing that just always concerns me when I'm taping Murphy is, like, you know, she'll have moments where she looks great, like she did against Roxy and even moments against Lee. But so often she looks so wooden and so hittable. And I just, like, think about that. And even though I favor her, a girl who's going to be firing one-twos down the pipe like Chakarova, I just think they're going to be there. So, yeah, I'd be much more comfortable having a big dog play on Chakarova than playing Murphy here. I, I absolutely agree with you there. Uh, you know, good for Murphy that she was able to get a replacement yeah. so she can go out there and still compete. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what Shakarova is able to bring to the UFC flyweight division. You know what I mean? Like, we need some blood in there. We need some somebody to go out there and actually challenge Valentina Shevchenko. I'm not saying that Lilia is going to be that chick, but, like, we need... We need some fresh blood in the division. So it's good that we got her there. Um, and it's good that Andrade pulled off a victory this past weekend as well, too. So maybe that's another um, uh, possible contender for Shevchenko. But we are talking about Murphy and uh, Shakarova. Final thoughts once again. I'm going with Murphy here. Uh, not the most confident in it either because uh, – the you know the the lack of confidence in terms of what we've seen from Shakarova thus far. Uh, it's safe to say it's the same on your side, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Perfect. All right, so we both got uh, Murphy. I'm going to take her by decision. I believe that you'll be doing the same thing. I don't think she has a path to victory in terms of a finish, right? Yeah, Shakarova looks pretty durable. Yeah, I'd say close, very close decision. Wouldn't shock me if it's a split, to be honest. Perfect. All right. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you want to plug yourself on the way out here? I'm uh, sure. Yeah. Club and sub podcast. I'm a co-host there. It's me and four other guys. Uh, it's every Wednesday night, 9 PM on my YouTube stream. Um, just follow me on Twitter. Like Manfrey mentioned, uh, got John Sargon MMA at MMA Fox, F-A-W-K-E-S. Uh, we do it every week and yeah. So stop by and say hi. Now that I'm finally back on schedule with my Monday releases, I'll definitely be tuning in because I hate, I hate listening to other people's perspectives before I finally make my own, but I'll definitely be in the live chat uh, chilling and hanging with you guys as well too. So I'm really looking forward to that. Awesome. Yeah. I'm glad you're back on schedule too. Cause you almost killed me two Fridays. Ago. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to listen to. Let's not talk about UFC 253 <laughs> when I dropped it the morning of the fucking fight. <laughs> All right. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, and uh, yeah, make sure you guys go check out his podcast and then follow him as well. I have his Twitter handle under, under his video. So you guys will be able to see that. Uh, thanks again for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, next up, we got Phil Hawes versus Jacob Malkoon. And for this breakdown, we have my man, AJ, from... Uh, you can actually follow him at AJ MMA Betting on Twitter. AJ, what the hell is going on, man? Not much, man. How are you doing? Glad to be doing this. Good, man. Good. Uh, I'm glad to, to have you on board again. Uh, I had to be very selective with the guys that I want to bring on for this 100th episode, and you were definitely on that list as well. Uh, so I'm happy that you're able to join me. So I don't want to waste too much time with the, with the jibber-jabber, and let's cut right to the chase with the actual uh, uh, with the matchup itself. I can't believe I didn't even bring up the best fight odds for this. But uh, yeah, the odds for this currently, we got minus 265 on Phil Haas and plus 225 on Jacob Malkoon. Phil Haas did open at minus 25, so there has been a little bit of money coming in on Malkoon. I'll start off with it a little bit. So we got Phil Haas, uh, who's currently on a 4-5 winning streak. I feel as though like this is one of the guys that the UFC has been trying to like shove down our throats. I tweeted about it when he fought on the Contender Series. 
they gave him an opportunity on the uh, Ultimate Fighter. Uh, you know, you can kind of give him a pass for losing that. Uh, I believe it was an elimination bout to uh, Andrew Sanchez, who ended up going on to winning that season. So I, you know, I can't blame him too much for that loss there. Uh, he goes out there, lose, uh, beats Joshua Key, loses to Luis Taylor, then gets a shot on the contender series, which is kind of weird that they're giving a guy coming off a loss a shot on the contender series. We see him go out there and implement the game that we know he has, which is his wrestling. Uh, did it decently in that first round, and then in the second round, seemed like he was a little bit gassed. Julian Marquez goes out there and uh, you know clips him with a beautiful shot, and then eventually finishes him with a beautiful highlight reel head kick. Since then, he's put together four straight victories, including his most recent one, which was a contender series victory over uh, Bestaev. I'm not even going to try with that first name. But, uh, you know, we, we didn't see him go out there and, and do his contender series or the, the first contender series fight type of game plan. He didn't go for takedowns at all. He saw that he was at a huge height disadvantage, went out there, completely chopped down the legs for that first minute, and then found a beautiful bomb over the uh, overhand right bomb uh, into ground and pound to eventually get that finish. Now, I feel like he went into that fight to try to change the narrative on him. Yeah, I mean, to be like, okay, I'm not going to go out there and wrestle. I could potentially take this guy down with relative ease because concerning like the, the height difference, we obviously know like the mechanics of wrestling with your hips being closer to the ground, being the shorter fighter, it's probably easier to get the, the takedown done. So he didn't even bother with that. He just went out there. He's like, I'm going to bomb on this guy, get the finish. And that's exactly what he did. And, you know, I feel like he was shoved down our throats because he was the training partner of John Jones. He was out of that Jackson wing camp, but now he's changed over to Sanford MMA, which has seemed to, you know, re- recently do very well for him. Again, four fight winning streak, and now he finds himself in the UFC. Jacob Malcona, on the other hand, four zero. We don't really know too much about him. Uh, you know, if you go to his Instagram, you can see that he's been training with Robert Whitaker. Uh, so we obviously know that Whitaker is going to be, uh, you know, fighting that night as well. Uh, uh, we have two fights available on him. The one fight that we do have, which is his most recent one that goes to a decision. You see him using his hands quite a lot. Um, he gets the takedowns every now and then. He is a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, which is something that he seems to want to lean on a little bit more. Um, but I, I just feel like there's not enough on him to really get a full take. And I'm still not completely sold on Phil Hawes as well. I feel like he still may have some durability issues. And it seems like Malcolm packs a punch. Um, but the the... I feel like it's a little bit one-dimensional what Malcolm's striking. He likes to move forward, likes to throw a couple of combinations, but defensively, he just moves backward. He doesn't really cut angles or anything like that. He's not really looking to try to, like, you know, uh, stifle his opponents with his movements before coming in. He's just charging forward and throwing some combinations. So uh, what, what do you get? What are you taking from the little bit of footage that we actually have on Malcolm? So, yes, like you said, there's only a couple fights, like two or three, and one of them ended quickly, so there's only so much to take away. Um, but what I, I got a good enough of a read from the footage that we have seen to say that basically Hawes, I think, is just the better fighter here. I think he's the better athlete, uh, better wrestler, better grappler, um, and probably the superior striker with the speed advantage. Like you said, though, the durability and the cardio is a huge concern that I have with him. He has about like five minutes of cardio. He's one of these guys that hasn't been past the second round. You know, officially, he's been to a decision one time. And like you said, the Sanchez fight, but we know on top that those only go two rounds. Um, so it's a concern not seeing him tested and, um, you know, his, uh, hit ability in the pocket. I noticed like he's willing to, um, trade in the pocket and leave his chin up. And, and, um, you know, we've seen him not just hurt by Marquez, but he also looked to be hurt by Luis Taylor there, uh, prior to the guillotine show. Luis pa- Taylor packed some power in his hands, but it's still a concern nonetheless. So what it boils down to me is just basically like, Hawes needs to, I think, finish this fight within the first few minutes. Otherwise, he probably loses. Like you said, he's got heavy hands. Um, He's just simply put, I think, the better fighter here. But it's so hard to have a lot of conviction 
um, and not just, you know, uh, you know, betting, but like even before then just picking a side. And when you only think that there's only about five minutes of cardio in the guy um, and you see his defensive flaws on the feet in terms of like the pocket defense and durability. Um, and I also, like you said before, or, or alluded to rather, he is still fairly green, uh, but I still do see why people are high on him because he goes through large phases where he looks excellent in that first five minutes. It's just, I want to see those developments. I think there is reason to be optimistic that we see those developments here and in the future with, like you said, training at uh, Sanford MMA with, uh, you know, like Luke and those guys and Burns. Moved. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent resources there. So that's basically the way I see it. Um, kind of like a, a lackluster breakdown in that, you know, Klaus is a better fighter, but you know, he's only going to be the better fighter for about five minutes or so. So I'm interested to see actually if he has made any improvements with his cardio have, if this fights, if this fight does actually go a little bit later than that first round. I mean, especially if he comes in with a, a striking centric game plan rather than a grappling heavy game plan, because we obviously know the grappling does suck the energy a little bit more and quicker. Um, but what if he goes out there and like, you are right. Like I, I wish I touched on it myself too. He will have the speed advantage here. And I think that's a big part of him being able to get in and out and not getting hit. But I feel like this Malkun guy, he just, he's still very green himself too he only has four fights uh two amateur fights so six total but still very very green he seems like a guy that just wants to go out there and fight like not really mma fight he wants to go out there and strike and try to be the bigger badass that's kind of like the the vibe that i got off of his uh his his fighting style um so maybe he you know he doesn't really care about the speed coming back his way from Haas. he's running for Haas to close the distance so he can throw some counter striking and potentially clip him and finish him too so i don't Feel, like I, I understand the minus 265 line on Haas, but I wouldn't feel necessarily comfortable betting it because, again, like you alluded to, uh, potential gas tank issues if he does go out there and decide to grapple. Um, Malkun, you know, just looking through his IG, it seems like he's a grappling-centric guy. Like, he likes to be in the jiu-jitsu realm. He has his gi on more often than not. Uh, most of his pictures you see are him training in Gracie gyms. So it looks like something that he really wants to focus on is getting his jiu-jitsu better. So even if Haas takes it to the ground we don't have enough footage on Malcolm to be like, okay, he's active enough from his guard that he's going to go out there and submit uh, Haas off his back. So that there's a lot of question marks around this, which makes me believe that this fight is a complete pass, in my opinion. If anything, let's see what the fight, uh, I believe the fight doesn't go to decision is actually out. Uh, it must be chalk as hell though. Minus 245. So I'd be interested to see whether they said at one and a half or two and a half. It's probably going to be one and a half. Let's be honest, considering both of their resumes. Uh, if it is under two and a half, though, and it's a decent line, I wouldn't mind taking a stab. You know, fading the potential gas tank issues of Haas and uh, the the durability as well of Haas as well. What do you think about the fight? Does it go to decision and and the possible total since we don't have it out currently? I think it's an interesting angle because especially like both guys have you know historically more often than not not been to the decision more so Haas, but. Um, you know, Malcoon, he's only got four fights. And one thing that I actually forgot to touch on, and one thing that is an unknown that I would actually like to see addressed, it probably gets addressed in this fight, is what does Malcoon look like when facing adversity? There's really not really any situation. I've seen him in personally where he's faced with adversity, maybe just like a brief sequence here or there, but there's still some unknowns on him, like you said. But uh, like the fight doesn't go to decision is interesting in the sense that Haas has shown to be finish or be finished type of guy, um, heavy hands, dangerous on the ground and on the feet. Um, maybe he's just so much better than Malcoon uh, that he's just basically over able to overwhelm him with just his athletic tools and uh, every skill set that he possesses. So I think that's an interesting angle. But uh, yeah, from a betting perspective, it's for me personally, I know everybody's a little different, but I want like, um, 
I want some clarity. I want some unknowns not so uh, floating out there as much when, when placing a bet. I want to see fighters in there, uh, what they're like in a similar stylistic matchup. And I don't really have that with Malkoon here. So uh, from a betting perspective, I personally think it's a pass, but um, we'll see how it goes. Is there a certain line that you would potentially be looking for? Like, is there one, like, whether it's on Hawes or Malcolm, where you'd be like, okay, you know what? I got to take the shot here. Like, what if we somehow get Phil Hawes down to minus 200, where people just start to splurge money on Malcolm? Or if the, the, everybody goes out there and parlays Hawes, and we see more money, uh, or Jacob Malcolm go up to, like, plus 280 or plus 300 or something like that? Because there is still a lot of time between now, which is we are recording on Saturday, so a, a full week before the card. There's a lot of time for a line to move. Is there a line that would sway you either way to actually place a bet? Uh, to be honest, no, because it's still like, you know, even if we get like plus 300 Malcoon, I still have to come in with the mindset of he's just not, he's the inferior fighter, I think. Um, it's not to say he can't improve. Like you said, he trains with Whitaker, which is awesome. And he's got uh, the grappling and the boxing background. But I would like to see these developments out of these guys that with only 10 or so pro fights or less that I think they're going to be significant each and every time out. Um, so I'm just going to wait back and see see a couple prospects here uh, in a UFC octagon and potentially make some decisions going forward, but don't feel compelled to place a, a bet here either way, personally. That, that's kind of how I felt the other week with uh, Imamov, Nazardine Imamov. There was just not enough film on that guy for me to like go out there and be like, okay, you know, I, I think it was Jordan Williams that he was facing. I can't remember the, guy, the kid's name, but the, there's just not enough tape on some of these guys that you can be like, all right, I'm confident enough to put my hard-earned money on this guy or against this guy because I feel confident enough. Right? I mean, so I think that's where people really need to be careful. Some people just want to gamble to gamble. You know what I mean? But if you want to do this in a long-term uh, mind frame and, and try to do it and profit long-term, you can't be going out there and betting guys where you have like two fights on them and they only have four total fights in their career. And there are still are questions about them. So uh, it's unfortunate that he, like he is stepping in on the UFC with not as much experience. Um, you know, maybe that's not a good thing long-term for these guys. Uh, but, you know, who, who knows? This is a decent test for both guys, in my opinion. Like, it sees the, the odds make it seem like Hawes should go out there and dust this guy. But we, again, the question marks around Malakun, it could be a much closer fight than I suggest. So, if anything, like, if you're putting a gun to my head, I would rather take the value on Malakun than the, the chalk on, uh, on Hawes. But I do agree with you. This will probably be a fight where I look to, to, to pass on. Unless the under is two and a half. If you give me under two and a half, I like minus 130 or minus 140 i might take a little bit of a stab at it uh but outside of that i did yeah there's no need to wager any money on this so final prediction uh for this fight what, what are you what are you going to go with i'll pick cause by tko in round one okay yeah i'm going to go with malcoon to win by tko in round two I feel like he might be able to, to, to withstand what Haas throws at him. Uh, but yeah, again, a lot of question marks regarding this fight. All right, on the way out, is there anything that you want to plug that you want the people to know about? Um, well, if they'd like to, like you said off the top, uh, Twitter, at AJMMABetting, I contribute to MMA Oddsbreaker. Other than that, uh, I'm tweeting just pretty frequently. So if you'd like to follow for some content, feel free to do so. And uh, it was a pleasure doing this with you. It was really fun. Hopefully we can do something like this in the future. Dude, I really appreciate it. And trust me, guys, you guys need to go out there and follow my man, AJ. Uh, one of the more positive dudes on the MMA Twitter space, something that we really need a lot of uh, considering, you know, the MMA is kind of considered like the bottom of the barrel type of sport, which is unfortunate. But we do have positive people out there that bring good content, that have good perspectives and great views. And AJ is definitely one of them. So make sure you guys go check him out. AJ, once again, thank you for joining me. And uh, good luck on your bets this weekend. Thanks for having me. You too. 
All right, next up, we got Walt Harris versus Alexander Volkov. And joining me to break down this fight is, uh, you guys already know this man. You know his face. Come on. He's the producer and editor over there at Fight Network, but you guys mainly know him as the co-host of the Dogger Pass podcast. My man, Cody Saftik, what the hell is up? What the hell is going on, man? Super happy to be here. And uh, as I was mentioning before, we kind of jumped on air. Congratulations on the big 100 episodes. So uh, definitely happy to come celebrate that with you and talk a little fight at the same time. Dude, I really appreciate it. I, I was telling Z as well, who's uh, either going to be before or after this. But, uh, you know, when I was coming up my, with my list of guys that I wanted on this episode, you, him, Newsome, these guys were like must-haves. And I was glad that you guys pretty much accepted right off the bat. So I'm more than happy to have you guys on. So I'm not going to waste too much time. Let's just get the hell into this. So uh, we got minus 175 now on Alexander Volkov. Maybe a couple hours before we started recording this, he was roughly around the minus 200 range. Money is coming in on Walt Harris. He's currently sitting at plus 155. And just for reference, we are recording this on Thursday before fight week. So October 15th, uh, this episode does drop on the Monday of fight week. So there might be a little bit more change in terms of the betting lines. But right now, minus 175, Alexander Volkov, plus 155, Walt Harris. I'll kick this off a little bit. So I... I was really interested in this as soon as I heard the fight was announced. I love Misa Volkov. And I'm looking for that money to come back from when he got knocked out by Derek Lewis with like 11 seconds left in that fight. I was loving that fucking ticket up until that last 10 seconds. However, he goes and gets knocked out there. Uh, he does bounce back and get a victory over Greg Hardy, then loses to uh, uh, Curtis Blades after that. Um, with Walt Harris on the other end, we saw him go out there and just get absolutely mollywopped by Alistair Overeem. But one thing that you kind of noticed in that fight compared to his last fights, he came in at 265. Like, he came in right at the limit. Like, he looked a little flabby. He looked a little chubby. You know, you can say what you want about his stepdaughter getting murdered and all that type of stuff. Craziness. Obviously, there's a lot going into that fight. That was roughly about seven or eight months removed from that incident actually happening and him stepping inside the cage. Now looking at his Instagram page, the guy says he's dropped 30 pounds. He looks in really good shape. He looks like he could go out there and do some damage on Volkov here. But when you really start to break this fight down, and even if you take Walt Harris at his best, he's relatively a low-output fighter. When you're looking at Alexander Volkov, you're talking about a guy who's up there in the 80s, hundreds sometimes with significant strikes, whereas Walt Harris, he barely cracks 40 sometimes. You know what I mean? In the Alistair Overeem fight, he cracked 24 strikes in that first round and he was sucking wind like it, like nothing mattered there. Again, you can say horrible training camp. You can say what you want about, you know, his stepdaughter passing away and all that stuff. I think even on his best day, we're going to see Alexander Volkov go out there and just pick him apart from the outside. And I really like Volkov. I liked him at the minus 200 range. The fact that there's money coming in on Walt Harris now has me even more excited to get a slightly better price on Alexander Volkov. I'm not sure how much more or how much better this line is going to get. But I like Volkov in the spot at minus 175. I think we see a, a picture-perfect performance from Volkov from the outside. Uh, and I don't really see, like, the kryptonite of his, which is the takedowns. I don't think Walt Harris is good enough to, you know, Curtis Blades him. Like, he might be able to get a takedown, but I don't think he's going to be able to keep him down. That's the issue here. So what, where are you standing on this? What do you think of the odds? Uh, do you agree with my assessment or not? Yeah, I actually agree with you. I think when it opened up at 200, I'm thinking this is pretty accurately priced. I mean, Alexander Volkov should be the rightful favorite in the spot. Yeah, he's coming off a loss to Curtis Blades. The one, he just went five rounds with Curtis Blades. He went the distance with him, who is probably, you know, the number two or three heavyweight in the world. And with Alexander Volkov, I mean, he's one of these mobile heavyweights. He's six foot seven, but I mean, he, he's quick for a heavyweight. He's got good movement. And, and as you mentioned, not every punch is the knockout punch, but he just pitter-patters you with jabs, front kicks, kicks to the outside, keeps you at bay, just chips away at you. 
five rounds is not an issue to this guy. Three rounds is not an issue to this guy. He's kind of a fighter that's built to go later into rounds. We see when he beat Fabricio Verdum, you know, he takes Fabricio Verdum into the fourth round and then starts to pepper on him. So if you've got cardio issues and you're going to fall apart, it's not a bad move. Now, listen, Derek Lewis catches him with 11 seconds left. Those first two rounds could be 10-8s for Volkov. Volkov absolutely thrashes him. But when you have that much power like Derek Lewis has, then you can land one. Does this opponent, Wall Harris, have the exact same amount of power of a Derek Lewis? Yeah, sure. The difference is, is that Derek Lewis carries that power throughout three rounds from not doing anything. Whereas Walt Harris, again, yeah, inactivity, lots of inactivity. But after the first two rounds, it's like that punching power almost just evaporates for him. You look at his record, and it's all first-round knockouts, you know. The Daniel Speeds fight makes it the second round. And you look at him in the second round, and already he, he's, he's slowing down. He's throwing a little less, and he's glad to get that knockout there. Follow-up fight against Andre Olovsky. Doesn't knock out Andre Olovsky, and now it just falls into a bog, and it's slow. And I do not think he wins that fight. Ends up being a split decision and ends up being turned to a no contest. Spivak, 50 seconds. Lexi Olenek, 12 seconds. This is all just, it, it's the pattern of Walt Harris. Walt Harris is a big puncher. You know, they call him the big ticket. He's the big puncher. If he touches you early, he could definitely do a lot of damage. I'm actually really impressed with his explosiveness, his mobility as a heavyweight. The difference there between a mobile guy like Walt Harris and a mobile guy like Volkov is Walt Harris is, is a fast twitch muscle. Everything is really quick. Everything is really explosive. You see him in the first round. He, he really looks good. It's everything beyond that. When they booked him versus Alistair Overeem, I thought, bad idea. I thought, bad idea, because honestly, let's give Walt Harris the, the, the benefit of the doubt here. No one's ever going to know the kind of things that he had to deal with in that tragedy with Anita and just, you know, the life and your wife and it's her daughter and all the late nights and all the stress and all the crying. Like, nobody knows what that affects him. But now they made him a betting favorite over Alistair Overeem simply based on the Cinderella story of, like, he's motivated me. He wants it bad. If Overeem gets him in a bad spot, he's just going to think about her and power through. It's like, I'm sorry to say, not how the fight game works. And the sad reality of it is he tried to apply his puncher's chance to Alistair Overeem in the first round, almost knocked him out, bombing on him. But it's not just him 30 pounds overweight. It's not just him not looking like he had a great can. It's, it's, he did the exact same thing in that Overeem fight that he's kind of been doing throughout his career. If he doesn't get that first round knockout, he falls off the mat pretty hard. Could he knock out Volkov? Sure. Volkov's been knocked out once in the first round in the last seven years. It was Vitaly Minikov back in 2013. Outside of that, you've got to take this guy later rounds. You want to beat him, you've got to go to 3-4-5. You want to, and, and, you know, you could take him down and submit him. That's a great path to victory here. I don't think that Wall Harris has the takedown game. I know Wall Harris doesn't have the submission game. And taking a guy down takes a lot of energy, you know. you got to exert a lot of energy in shooting for these takedowns. Blades trains at altitude. Blades has got the best cardio at heavyweight. He can shoot takedowns all night if he wants to. That's not something Walt Harris can do. Walt Harris's best chance is to go in there and play to the gifts that God gave him. Those hands. Throw those hands. Throw them early. Try to knock this guy out early. If you don't get that first round knockout, then you're going to see his output start to wane in the second. And if this thing does go three now, uh, that's when you'll see Volkov start to take over and just chip away at him. So, so I honestly do have Volkov. Minus 200, you know, it's heavyweights, and one guy's got a lot of power. It kind of makes you a little bit nervous, but I agree with the price. Minus 175, I see it's on minus 170 on some sites. Even better. You know, you want a more playable odd. I would normally be a little bit worried. Why is this money coming on Walt Harris? What are they seeing that I'm not seeing? But I, I, I honestly chalk it back up to the Overeem situation. I think people really like Walt Harris. I think Walt Harris has an incredible story. I think Walt Harris is a very likable guy. He's very soft-spoken. He's educated. I think he's the kind of guy you'll want to root for. You want to see him win. Unfortunately, want, want, want doesn't necessarily translate into victories in the UFC. And for Volkov, I mean, they've literally fed him murderer's row, and he's lived to tell the tale. He's fought a lot of good guys. He's always given a very good count of himself. And uh, 
yeah, I honestly just think that he'll be able to use that reach, slow this thing down, get out of that first round, and then take it to Wal Harris. If anything, if I'm looking to get even a better price, maybe I look to bet Volkov live after round one, knowing that Wal Harris is going to bring him hell in that first round. But beyond that, I don't think uh, Wal Harris is going to be able to, to snag two and three. Either gets put away sometime late in the second or early in the third, or ends up dropping a 29-28 after a good first round. I'm glad that you brought up the Blades fight because, yeah, Blades was able to get that fight down pretty consistently over that five-round period. But remember the, the post-fight interview with John Anik? It looked like Blades was just about to fall over, and like he was really sucking winning. It takes a lot to hold a big guy like uh, um, Alexander Volkov down. Uh, Volkov is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu as well. That's something to, to take note of in case he does hit his back. And I think uh, he'd be more successful with his jiu-jitsu against a guy like Walt Harris than he would against a guy like Curtis Blades or anybody else who's taken him down in the past. However, I don't think it's going to stay on the ground that long, even if it does hit the ground. If it does hit the ground, I wouldn't even be surprised if it's Volkov being the one on top and raining down some elbows and getting him down later in the fight when it is round two or round three where we see Walt Harris sucking some wind. Um, I, I love Volkov in the spot. And like we said, he, he, he's not really a power puncher. and doesn't really look for like a one-punch rocket or anything like that. But he is also a dude that has sting on his shots. Like pretty much everything that he hit Derek Lewis with in those first two rounds, you know, he was like, he was crawling over. He was, he was really hurting from those body shots. And I think the body shots are going to be big for Volkov here too. You, you teep to the, to, to the midsection every couple of seconds or every 30 or 45 seconds. It's going to really slow down Walt Harris. And yeah, you're right. I think, personally, I think Harris has three minutes in this. Like if he, if he goes out there and tries to take out fucking uh, Volkov right away, he's got three minutes. If he doesn't get done in three minutes, Volkov is already going to have established his game plan enough, start to th- throw the kicks out there enough really start to establish that range. Like, I really wanted to take that Daniel Spitz fight and be like, okay, this is what Walt Harris looks like when he's dealing with the guy with range. Unfortunately for Daniel Spitz, he's not Alexander Volkov. He's not throwing that ty- those types of shots. He's not even as active as Alexander Volkov. So that's where I think Walt Harris runs into trouble. So I, I love me some Volkov in this spot. I, I, like, I have nightmares of that Derek Lewis fight, but this is not Derek Lewis. This is fucking Walt Harris. This is a guy that's not going to go out there and sustain that power over three rounds like Derek Lewis is able to, like you alluded to. So I love me some Volkov. Volkov, and I wouldn't, even be, I wouldn't even be surprised if we potentially get a third-round finish for Volkov. But officially, I'll go with Volkov to win this fight via decision. Uh, and I, I think he's a solid spot. Again, I hope this price gets better. I'm not sure what the hell people are seeing on Walt Harris other than his IG where he has all these abs and he's looking ripped and he's talking about being down 30 pounds and all that. Outside of that, it, it's going to have to – physique doesn't win you fights. If physique's won you fights – Paulo Costa would be the champion. Yoel Romero would be the champion. I mean, that doesn't win fights. It, you have to go out there, establish your game plan. And from what we've seen and what history has shown us, Walt Harris is not a real three-round fighter compared to a guy like Volkov, who we've seen sustain solid cardio, solid output, and 100-plus strikes in multiple fights now. It's going to be too much for Walt Harris. Yeah, you know what? I, I honestly agree with pretty much everything you're saying there. It just it feels like it's Volkov. And then the last thing I want to bring up with that Curtis Blades fight, because I thought it was super interesting, is that Curtis Blades goes 14 for 25 on takedown attempts. 25. Who shoots 25 <laughs> takedown attempts in the UFC? And nails on 14 of them. Volkov just gets back up. Blades Add heavyweight. Add so, heavyweight as well. Yeah, and then, by the way, he cuts to 265. And if he's on top of you, you're not getting back up. And yet Volkov routinely gets up. He gets up 14, but, but 25 takedown attempts, which means he stops 11 of them. Flip side to that, I want to go see when was the last time Walt Harris, Walt Harris has never taken down an opponent more than once. And he's never shot more than three takedowns. And that was against Andrei Arlovsky, which went 15 minutes. So it's like, 
wrestling's not a part of his game at all. So you really got to hope that he goes out there and gets that knockout. And then you, when you talk about Lewis, it's like Lewis has got the big power, but it takes him longer to get it. You know, Curtis Blades, Curtis Blades has got some underrated power. Greg Hardy, if he's got anything, you know, it's that in-the-pocket power. Uh, a lot of these guys, Roy Nelson, you know, uh, uh, Fabrizio Verdum, he's fought in a lot of guys that just had big power. But he fights this. I think he's a Kyukushin karate stylist, like, way back when. And you almost see that in his movement. Like, he's a defensively sound fighter. And so uh, I think it's going to play well into his hands. I can see the angle of Walt Harris just so motivated and he's in great shape, but you, you can't always bet narratives, right? And again, going back to the Overeem fight, it was just a good narrative that like, oh, he'll beat Overeem. Overeem can't take a punch and Walt Harris is super motivated. Now you see him super motivated. Like what motivation did he gather to fight Alexander Volkov that he didn't have to fight Alistair Overeem, which was a headlining fight, which is a huge moment. But you saw the adrenaline dump in him after the first three minutes. And, uh, and then the second round, people want to make it like, oh, you know what, Overeem took him down in the second round. Volkov won't take him down. It's like Overeem beat him up pretty good on the feet on the second round. And that led to him getting taken down. And that led to him getting smashed up on the ground. Uh, and, and Overeem, I mean, he's got good cardio for a heavyweight, but it's not like Volkov. So if this is a five-round fight, it would be Volkov, absolute no-brainer. In a three-round, there's that little bit of maybe Walt wins the first, maybe Walt gasses out after three minutes, but lands the more telling punches and holds on in the third. But you don't want to bet on a guy holding on in the third. And Walt Harris has not really shown a propensity to hold on. Like, he loses. That's it. He's losing. So, I got Volkov. I like it at 170. We'll see if it gets back to 200 range. Uh, I don't see it getting much lower than this. But, again, maybe Walt Harris has got uh, a lot of fans out there and people that are combing over his Instagram and like what they see. This is, this is a bit of a hot take that I wanted to run by you. I actually put out a poll last night in terms of if we got Greg Hardy versus Walt Harris at this point in time, who do we think would win? In my opinion, I wanted to go with Greg Hardy. And the, 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 the statement I'm trying to make is that I believe that Volkov's fight while Greg Hardy is would have been much harder than this Harris fight. The only issue with that Greg Hardy fight is Greg Hardy goes out there and breaks his hand in the first round. And we don't really get to see him at his, you know, I'd say even now he's much better than he was when he fought Volkov back then. But if you're supposed to match up Greg Hardy and, and, and Walt Harris right now, you might have to go with Greg Hardy just to more output, probably more explosive, stronger. You know what I mean? Walt Harris's low output is just, it's just too concerning. What, what do you think? What would you think of that type of matchup? Yeah, no, I actually agree. I thought the thing with, with Hardy is everybody talks about, you know, Jesus is a great athlete. And him, his coaching staff at ATT have really drilled it into him. Don't have to go there for the knockout. Go there and play to your skills. And his skills are six foot five, eighty 80-inch reach, very mobile because he's an athletic fighter. When he fought Volkov, Volkov 6'7", 80-inch reach, he couldn't figure out the distance management because he's always got that advantage over anybody he fights. Last time out, they gave him Jorgen DeCastro, for Christ's sake. He's 5'10". I mean, with, with Hardy, he always has that advantage of just like that length, that reach, stay to the outside and let you come to him. He doesn't have to march you down. He doesn't have to be the aggressor. You come to him. He's going to touch you. He's going to move out of there. Well, I thought when he fought Volkov, he just had, he, he could not gauge it. If he was to fight Wal Harris, and mind you, Wal Harris is a big guy as well. Don't get me wrong, big guy as well. But I, I think that Hardy would have a better time. And then, yeah, it goes, it goes back to the punch output. Harris tries to line you up, knock you out, first round. I think he realizes he's got cardio problems. And as a result, he's looking to get you out as quick as he can. Hardy may also have cardio problems because he's got that asthma, right? We all remember his uh, infamous no contest due to the <laughs> mid fight. Ridiculous. <laughs> but at the same time, here's a guy that goes with the opposite approach. You know what? I, I, Harris is thinking, I got three to five minutes to knock you out or I'm going to get tired. Hardy's thinking, I'm, I'm going to get tired if I go out there and try to knock you out in three to five. 
So I'm going to take my time. And I, I prefer that. It's not the most entertaining way to watch a fight. I can see a lot of fight fans saying, geez, you know what? I like Walt Harris. He's killer. He killed. That's all fine and good. But as far as betting somebody and backing someone, Walt Harris is going to look really good against the Daniel Speeds of the world. Dan, it, Walt Harris will look good against the Alexei Olenek's of the world because he's just so slow. And the Mark Godbeers of the world, he, he looks good against those guys. You try to give him an upper echelon top 15 talent, he struggles. And he's always struggled. And this goes back to him fighting Fabrizio over Doom where he steps up at short notice and he jumps in there and he gets submitted in a minute and four seconds. Like, not, not in this league, not even close to this league. And he's at ATT at the time. He's since left ATT. He's back in Alabama full-time. Whatever his shape is, you know, that's going to help. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's not everything, right? He's a career athlete. He played collegiate basketball. His cardio should have always been good. It just never was. And then, and then going into the Overeem fight, a lot of people are talking about, like, you know, he's a scary heavyweight prospect. Prospect? He's 37 years old. Around. Like, that's one of the things you and I actually even haven't brought up. He's 37. Yeah. Like, yeah. what's more do you start to slow down? Now you want to talk about shape. You know who was in the best shape of his life? It, when he was right at the end of his career, Chuck Liddell. I never seen Chuck Liddell in better shape than when he was 38, 39 years old and couldn't take a punch. Shape's no problem. He's a career athlete. This is what he does. Going to the gym, running on the treadmill, lifting weights, you know, being physical. The guy's an athlete. Sure, no problem. It's timing, you know? It's pressure. It's stress. It's, it's the takedown game. And honestly, I mean, why, why wouldn't Volkov go out there and shoot a couple takedowns on him? Like, he actually took down Curtis Blades, right? Yep. Which is just crazy considering Chris plays one of the better wrestlers in the division. And the whole fight is just plays shooting on Volkov. But Volkov's got an underrated ground game. You just don't get to see it a whole lot because he's normally standing at range and striking with guys. But if, but if you're fighting Walt Harris, like, why not try to take him down in the first round? Just tire him out. Just lean on him. Just clinch with him. Lean on him. In the second round, he's going to start to drop his hands. In the second round, he's going to throw less punches. In the second round, those punches are going to hit a lot hard, less hard. It's like, why, why not just try to slow this guy down in that first and then try to take it over from there? So outside of uh, Walt Harris, you know, Hail Mary, right hand over the top. Yeah, I, I like Volkov. And yeah, I get Volkov just lost to Blades. But honestly, Volkov's a top 10 heavyweight in my books. He's still only 31 years old. He still figures to be in the prime of his career. Maybe he can get a little bit better. And I could definitely see him factoring in against a lot of the guys in the heavyweight division and moving on. With Walt Harris, I don't see him being a contender to any of the guys in the top 10. He's there to have some fun fights. Love it. I wish they maybe would have booked him with an easier fight because, I mean, it's hard to go through all that personal tragedy and then it's just like, you know what? I'm back in the game, boys. I'm back in there. It's like, okay, go fight Alistair over. It's like, Ooh. <laughs> all right, I'll give it a go. You lose. Less than five months later, it's like, all right, go fight Alexander Volkov. It's like, man, like, come on. Like, <laughs> give, him a, give him a softie. Give him, come on. Let's, let's bring back Cyril Asker or something. You know what I mean, let's get him a W. And hopefully that bring back, brings back some confidence because I think he's going to go 0-2 here. This is not a good matchup for him at all. Is it safe to say that we're going to see Alexander Volkov in the first ingredients of your apple pie parlay this weekend? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that he's kind of – I never like putting heavyweight unless it's just like an absolute rickshaw of a fight, like he's going to run right through him. But this is a spot that I like just because I honestly it's, – and it's no discredit to Walt Harris. It's just there's a pattern here that we've seen him do it time and time again. And now to all of a sudden think – He's in great shape. He's going to turn it around. He, he's had 12 fights in the UFC to turn it around. He had 12 fights in the UFC to show something different, and he never has. And he's fought in big names. He's fought on Jarolowski, and he gassed out after five minutes. You know, he's fighting, he's fighting Alistair Overeem in a headlining fight, and he's gassed out after three minutes. There's, it's, just a, it's just a long history of it. So, yeah, as far as adding a heavyweight to a parlay, like, I'm always a little bit iffy on it, but Volkov actually does have a look at somebody on this card that feels safe, feels good. 170 is actually a really good price to get on him right now. So I feel like he'll uh, he'll definitely be some parlay material. 
I, I, I knew it. I fucking knew it. All right. Uh, I just, just put a bow on this right now. We both got Volkov. Do you think he gets it done inside the distance or are you taking him to win by decision? You know what, Volkov to me seems more like a decision guy because he's not really a power puncher per se. He's more of just like a, a, an output guy, kind of pick away at you. But it seems with Walt Harris, if he gets in a bad spot, I mean, that's it. He mostly just covers up. Alistair Overeem's on you and you, he couldn't get up. He could not move. He couldn't get up. And then you could, you, could, you could try to give him the benefit of the doubt here, right? You can try to think to yourself, geez, you know what? He's got Alistair Overeem on top, who was a scary guy with vicious ground and pound who weighs 260 pounds. Yeah, see, the difference here is that Volkov had blades on top of him for a long period of time and got back up. There was no point where he was just trapped and defenseless. He always knew what he had to do to improve his position. Wall Harris did. Wall Harris was lost. Wall Harris was just a guy that didn't quite have that ground game down pat. Now, is Alistair Overman a great grappler? Good grappler, not great grappler. But his wrestling's pretty spotty, right? And he, once you get Walt Harris down, that's when you can have your way. So my gut feeling is honestly that Volkov ends up turning the heat up on him in the third round, gets him out of there late. I'd be looking at Volkov inside the distance, Volkov by TKO more specifically. Um, but yeah, yeah, just because Harris kind of drops his output off and Volkov just stays at the outside and jabs away at him, like maybe it turns into a slower pace fight. There's also that small chance that Harris goes into this fight and doesn't decide to try to empty the clip in the first three minutes and just decides to hang back. That'll lead it to being a very slow and dull fight. But uh, ultimately, I think uh, Alexander Volkov goes out there, gets his hand raised. I'm going to say inside the distance, but I'm still a little wishy-washy on that one. Yeah. I'm a, personally, I'm going to go with third-round stoppage. I think even if Walt Harris goes out there and tries to play it safe, you're going to allow Volkov to strike getting that kicking game off, and it's just going to be – just sign it off right there at, at that point. I think Volkov's got this in the bag. I love the minus 170. If we even get him to, like, 160 even, I'd be singing praises at this point. I mean, so uh, we both got Volkov. We both think, think he gets it done inside the distance. Um, before we get on out of here, anything you want to plug? We know to follow you at CJ Saftik. On Twitter, anything else? Yeah, did that's I get that wrong? It, yeah, yeah, all good. Yeah, that's about it. CJ Saptic. I know people are like, man, you shop on Instagram. It's like, rah, dude, th- those days have passed me by. But uh, I don't, I don't mess yeah, with yeah, Definitely yeah. got myself a Twitter. Um, and yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of Bellator weird, like Thursday night cards, Friday night cards. Like they're doing this European series. LFA, you know, they've been dropping a lot of these Friday events. Um, if odds get released for it, you want to talk about it, you want to pick my brain, or you want to even just throw in a point, have a discussion, and let's figure out who's going to win together, then I'm always for it. So you can definitely hit me up at CJ Saptic on Twitter. And uh, yeah, honestly, I, I, it's a lot of fun always jumping on these shows with you. I really hope that this virus kind of fucks off at some point. We can jump back in studio, have a drink, and kind of just talk about anything. Talk about fights, talk about the game, talk about the landscape. Um, it's always a good time. So I really do appreciate you thinking of me on your 100th episode. You got a great lineup of guys right here. I know this is going to be a really good one. I cannot wait to uh, to watch it. So good luck on everything. And and again, thanks uh, thanks for taking the time and uh, talking to fights with you, buddy. Appreciate it, Cody. And uh, I don't know how else to wrap up this one other than then thanks, man. I I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, make sure you guys go check him out. If you guys are already watching me, you guys are already watching this shit. So I don't really need to say that. Anyway, uh, Volkov on both sides here. Thank you, Cody. And we'll get on to the next breakdown for you guys. All right, in the co-main event, we got Robert the Reaper Whitaker against Jared Cannonier, And I had to bring out the big guns to do the co-main event for this big, big middleweight fight. Owner of Best Fight Picks, co-host of, or I would even call him the host of Half the Battle Podcast, and obviously a content contributor over there at Line Movement. We got my man, Daniel Levy. What is going on, my brother? Doing absolutely phenomenal. I truly appreciate uh, you not only having me on the show, but I also appreciate any time we get to talk. So it's good to be on here and uh, let's do this thing, man. 
dude, before we actually get into the breakdown and stuff, I do want to give you a quick shout out because I do like to do this every now and then, and you're probably tired of this shit, but uh, I got to give big credit to my guy, Dan, here, because he truly did, uh, you know, kind of steer me in the right direction to keep this podcast going. He saw me lacking a little bit, slacking over there, uh, you know, not really putting my full effort into, you know, dropping this content for you guys. So uh, this was like May of 2018. He reached out to me. He's like, yo, where's your lock ass? I'm like, what the hell? How are you? What is a guy like you watching a podcast like me? You know what I mean? I, I was very, very stunned that he actually did something like that. And I was truly grateful because it really did put me on the right track to continue this podcast. Where I look at us now, fucking episode 100. We're off this uh, double-digit view count now. We're in the quadruples now, so it's it's looking good for me over here. So I gotta really thank you and uh, give you a shout out for getting me back on the horse to do this, man. Uh, the pleasure's all mine. Gotta look out for the homies, and you know I, I'm gonna butcher this quote, but you know the quote about you know the rising tides and the ships and all that shit. You know exactly what I'm trying to yes, refer sir. to. So. I think it's important for everybody to, you know, pick up their game. And, you know, like, like they say, man, it's us against the books, not us against each other. And, you know, us putting out the right content and just elevating everybody's game and not being selfish. I think that's the way to go. So I'm happy to see your success. And uh, here's to even more. I appreciate it, brother. I, you know what? It, everybody gives each other a little bit of a rub. And it's always good to, like, collaborate on some, some things just like we're doing here. So, uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. But let's cut to the chase. Let's get to the breakdown. Let's get to what people are here for. Uh, once again, like I said, we got Robert Whitaker. He's at uh, dog money now. We got plus 100 on him, uh, minus 120 on Jared Cannonier here. It seems like a lot of people are buying into the punching power and the knockout power of Jared Cannonier since he's come down to, to middleweight. He's on a three-fight winning streak. Uh, he's, he has finishes over Anderson. Silva, um, Jack Hermanson, and obviously the fight before that against David Branch. Um, I'm I'm not as big of a believer here. You know, I mean, I, I still think that Robert Whitaker overall is a better fighter here. Uh, we did see him last time go out there and uh, you know uh, turn the tide. Obviously, uh, he had that loss to Israel Adesanya where he lost his belt, and then he hops in uh, and gets a solid victory over Darren Till uh, in a fight that a lot of people thought that he was probably going to get knocked out in that fight too. Obviously, in that first round, it was a little bit sketchy. He did get dropped by a beautiful elbow by Darren Till, uh, but after that, he you know he. Bounced right back to his feet. He looked fine to me. He didn't look like he was rocked or anything like that. And he went out there and he won the next couple of rounds. Uh, and he was able to come away with a decision victory. We did see him kind of lean on his wrestling a little bit. Not too much. Like, obviously, he dropped Aaron Dill, followed up with some solid top pressure, was able to get some good shots off uh, from there. But he didn't really have too much success in terms of getting Darren Dill down in the future. But we did see him kind of flashing the takedown, kind of fainting the takedown. So it's good to see him kind of using the full MMA game. Uh, as he kind of alluded to before that, Darren Till a fight that he needed to do to get the victory there. Uh, I think he's going to need to do the same thing here against Jared Cannonier. He has two less rounds that he has to worry about, but uh, you know, it, it could get a little bit sketchy if he get dropped, if he gets dropped again in that first round. He's really going to have to rack it up for rounds two and three. But again, I kind of like his style. You know, he's very bouncy. His movement is very good. Uh, when he does blitz in and try to get his shots off, uh, he is quite successful with it. He doesn't really get caught too much. Obviously, he got caught by Israel Adesanya, but that guy is a freaking technician when you're, caught, when you're talking about the striking game. But in terms of this guy and Jared Cannonier, I feel like... You know, uh, in my opinion, he's a little bit low output. He's really waiting for his shots, really waiting for those opportunities to capitalize on his point slacking. Uh, but I think he's going to find not too many opportunities to really capitalize on Robert Whitaker slacking because I truly believe that Robert Whitaker is one of the best at the middle, middleweight division. And I think, again, like I, uh, like I alluded to starting off with this breakdown, I think a lot of people are really buying into the knockout power of Jared Kananir. And for me, it's tough to put money on a guy, especially at favorite odds at, at, at you know, at the minus 120 
three-point line that he's at strictly uh, based on thinking that he's going to go out there and get the knockout. It's, it's tough. To, like, if you're giving me plus 200 on Jared Cannonier, sure, I'll take that shot. But if you're talking about, like, a, a pick-em line, I'm talk- I'm, I would side with the guy that has shown he's a much more complete fighter. And in my opinion, that is Robert Whitaker. How do you see this fight going down? Man, this is, in my opinion, the toughest fight to call on the entire card. Uh, I think it's appropriately lined at a pick-em because th- there's so many questions uh, surrounding Whitaker here. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not just the Israel Desanya fight where he got dropped twice. Uh, you look back at the the second Yoel Romero fight and man though that third fourth and fifth round he was barely hanging on and I even said that after that fight both these guys are not going to be the same and you saw Yoel Romero I don't think he's won a fight since and with Robert Whitaker you know obviously got knocked out by Izzy his next fight but the subsequent fight with Darren Till it was a great performance also got dropped there with that elbow so it's one of these things where it's like Robert Whitaker definitely has the, and I hate to call, you know, a guy who's knocked out so many people a point fighter, but he's got the point fighting style or the volume style to come out here and win the decision. No doubt about it. And he's also got some wrestling in his back pocket too. But the the thing I'm worried about, man, is that, you know, the kind of karate style that Whitaker has kind of fights with his hands down. And uh, Jared Cannonier is a guy that we've seen him at heavyweight. You know, he knocked out Cyril Asker. We've seen him at light heavyweight. He beat Iwan Kutalaba. And we've seen him at middleweight, defeating a top five guy like Jack Hermanson. And he survived the early onslaught on the mat. He even got his back taken by Jack Hermanson. And oftentimes, when Jack Hermanson gets on top of someone, the fight's probably going to be over shortly after. So the fact that he was able to not only keep his composure, but work his way back up to the feet and then... Not just not just beat uh, uh, Jack Hermanson, MJ, destroy Jack Hermanson in Jack Hermanson's backyard. I thought that that was a big statement. I thought he earned this fight. So the reason I agree with it being uh, pick him is because, look, obviously, like we said, the volume and the output has to go to Whitaker. And look, I'm not going to be surprised if Whitaker wins by knockout either, either. I mean, Whitaker definitely hits hard. He's got a beautiful left hook, mixes in the high kicks really nicely. It's just what I'm worried about is what happens if Jared Cannonier touches Whitaker. I think the durability edge has to go to Cannonier in this spot. Because, um, again, it's not just the Izzy Adesanya fight. It's the O.L. Romero fight. It's the Darren Till fight, which he's been dropped in. And I'm not going to bring up a petty example uh, back at 170 and talk about when Court McGee dropped him. But <laughs> these last three fights, he has been dropped. And that's just that's just facts. So that's what I'd be most worried about. But if no one gets dropped in this fight, then I would favor Whitaker because I do think that Jared Cannonier is a little bit more on the plotty side. And I do think that, you know, Whitaker has the better footwork here. However, man, I think it could be a case where, you know, Whitaker is kind of outpointing him a little bit. And then when he decides to kind of commit onto something, that's when Cannonier can catch him with a counter coming in. So I could see this fight going a variety of ways. And that's why I agree with it being a line to pick him at this point. I do agree with the line, obviously, because it does depend on uh, Jared, uh, Jared Kennedy landing that bomb and uh, the questionable durability that we have seen from Robert Whitaker in the past, as you alluded to, the Yoel Romero fights, the Israel Adesanya fights. Uh, so obviously, if he does find that button at the right time, the perfect counter, he could obviously take out Robert Whitaker's lights. But when it comes down to a full arsenal of skills, and obviously you can't suppress the durability thing too much because that's a huge part in the MMA game. But when you're talking about skills overall, like Robert Whitaker by far has two, three, four steps ahead of Jared Cannonier. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you can't disagree with that. It's just that 
you know, if he gets dropped and rocked, then what, you know? And also, yeah. I, I don't think it's just a puncher's chance for Jared Cannonier. I think that he's got some very underrated kicks as well. I mean, you saw the Anderson Silva fight. I know it's easy to discredit that win because Anderson's in his mid-40s, but when you go out there and you kick someone's leg, you chop that tree down until they can no longer stand up. I mean, that's got to count for something. And he does come out of a gym that's known for calf kicks. So he's got a very underrated kicking game. And if you want to make the case for uh, Cannoneer winning this fight, you know, some other way than a knockout, what you would say is that he'd start off with the kicks, start to slow down the movement of Robert Whitaker, because Whitaker has got fantastic moving. You know, he's always bouncing on, on, on his toes. And it, it, like I said, it's the opposite of Cannoneer, because Cannoneer is kind of plodding. He's kind of flat-footed. If Cannoneer can get off on some of these big kicks, that might force uh, Whitaker to to stop bouncing, you know, back and forth and stop kind of, you know, I, not to not to say he's running around the ring because that, that's not who who Whitaker is. Whitaker is a, a mean dude, but I don't think it's just the hands of Cannonier that can win this fight. I also think that he's got weapons with the kicks. So this fight is so intriguing on so many different levels. And another thing, Vegas actually said minus 140 Cannonier on the open. So they kind of think that there is, you know, some legs to, uh, to Whitaker kind of being towards, you know, not towards the end of his career because he's still just a kid. He's, what, 29, 30 years old? So, but more so towards the end of his top five run. So, yeah, I, I love this fight, man. I'm glad that you brought up the leg kicks because I that's something that I did want to talk about when I was ta uh, talking about Robert Whitaker because I feel like he has some solid leg kicks as well. But Jerry Kennedy, you are absolutely correct. The guy can thwack when it comes to leg kicks. We obviously saw it in the Anderson Silva fight. And I think... Uh, you know, John Crouch and those guys over at the MMA lab, they're smart guys. I feel like they would know that, okay, you should start at the legs against a guy like Robert Whitaker to kind of immobilize him a little bit so he's not as in and out, moving in and out and, and bouncing around as much as he has because that would lay an easier target for Jerry Cannonier to go out there and get to finish. Um, one thing I did also want to touch on is uh, Jerry Cannonier does have a 51% takedown defense rate, but that's not really the issue. For me, the issue is more so being able to keep him down. The guy is really good at getting back to his feet, and I think it's going to be tough for Robert Whitaker if he does find his, you know, find a takedown and actually successfully get him down. I think he's going to have some really tough times uh, keeping Jerry Cannonier on the floor. Uh, and if anything, that might, you know, really start to take it out of Robert Whitaker as well. You know, when, you, when you're trying to clasp and hold on to a guy as strong and as uh, energetic as Jerry Cannonier, it obviously sucks a lot of win from you. But luckily for him, like I said, it's, it's three rounds. Personally, I would favor Whitaker more in a five-round fight. But again, with Jared Cannonier, it might only take one round. That's, that's the difference here. So uh, let's talk about final predictions, final thoughts on this fight. I'm, I am leading Robert Whitaker. I think he's going to win by decision. I think he does enough to evade the big shots of Cannonier. I hope he's the one that actually goes out there and tries to establish a leg-kicking game himself. Maybe try to take a little bit of the power off the pop of these uh, Cannonier strikes that are coming his way. Uh, but I think that we see Robert Whitaker kind of like the D Darren Hill fight. Hopefully he doesn't, you know, get dropped. <laughs> that's one thing that, that's obviously to worry about. But personally, I would feel like I don't want to lose five years off my life putting money on this fight, you know, hoping that Robert Whitaker doesn't get knocked out here. But uh, in terms of an actual prediction, which is what the fans are here for, personally, I'm going with Robert Whitaker. I think he gets it done via decision. What about you? So real quick, I just wanted to say that you made an excellent point about how, look, on paper, it says he's got 50% takedown defense. And if you just look at that and you think, oh, he's going to get taken down easily, I think that that might be an accident waiting to happen. The reason why is you look back at some of these fights, and I think those numbers are skewed from his past fights at light heavyweight. Yeah, when he fought Glover Teixeira, 
he he didn't ha- the wrestling hadn't caught up yet. Whereas you see the fight against Dave Branch, and while Dave Branch did go out there and score some takedowns, uh, Jared Cannonier made him work for every single takedown, and he got back up to the point, like you said, where Branch was gassed out. Then he knocked him out. Even in the Hermanson fight, Hermanson had to work so hard not just to take him down, but to hold him down. So. I think that stat is extremely misleading because, like like I said, if someone thinks that Whitaker is just going to come out here and take him down and hold him down, they might have another thing coming. So, yeah, I think the improvements in Cannoneer's game, his get-up game now is, I mean, like I said, we've seen him at heavyweight, light heavyweight, and now at middleweight. So now you're seeing him at his full potential. So, listen, we're recording this on a Sunday and I'm not going to sit here and say that I need more time to watch film because, you know, you, you asked me for a prediction, so I'm going to give you a prediction. But what I will say is uh, we're going to put on a show for the fans and go on the opposite way here because that's what the fans want to hear. They, they don't like it when everyone agrees. So I'm going to go with Jared Cannonier here. I think that uh, Whitaker might get off to a good start with the points, but eventually he's going to try to commit to something, and that's going to be the time when Cannonier counters him and knocks out the great uh, Robert Whitaker. So I'm going to go with Jared Cannonier here to finish this fight. I'm glad that you are on the opposite side here. And I, I'm glad that you did bring up the fact that that takedown defense percentage is very, very much skewed since he was over at light heavyweight and heavyweight. I believe Yohan Kutilaba landed six, six takedowns on him as well. So that definitely skews the, skews the stat there. And it's good to see guys that recognize that they're not, you know, the, the fighting to the best of their ability at these higher weight classes Let's go down. Let's, let's, you know, tighten up the diet or whatever it is that Jared Cannonier did to get down to 185, and he's looking like an absolute beast. So I could absolutely see the, the, the outcome of Jared Cannonier going out there and getting the knockdown, or the knockout, I should say. Uh, but I truly believe in Robert Whitaker's skill set still. I'm hoping, hoping that his durability is still there so that he could uh, possibly take any type of shot started landing. Um, but, yeah, I do like Whitaker by decision. My man, Daniel Levy, likes Jared Cannonier via knockout. Are you saying first round or second round? You want to get that in depth? Uh, I I don't know, man. I mean, at some point in the fight, let's go with second round. You know, I think that, listen, I think that your pick is perfectly valid. I think that that's totally a path to victory for Whitaker to come out here and, you know, kind of just outpoint him. He does throw more volume. That's statistically proven. I'm just curious to see if, you know, Cannoneer can kind of make the volume wane, start chopping him down with those kicks, eventually kind of make it an even playing field and then go in there with the power and put them down. So, so sometime within the first or second round. But uh, I do think that if it goes all three, that favors Whitaker. But the fans don't want to hear us agree. So we'll go with, uh, we'll go with Cannoneer under one and a half. Hopefully you can bring that same fire for, I know you will, that same fire for half the battle that's going to probably drop later on in this week as well. So I will give the stage to you in terms of plugging anything that you want to on the way out here. The stage is yours, brother. Firstly, thank you very much for having me. I truly appreciate it. Also, thank you very much to all your fans for listening to this. I appreciate all you guys as well. I'm available on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Uh, My website's bestfightpicks.com. And my podcast is Half the Battle. And it's available anywhere that podcasts are found. So thank you guys again. Uh, Everybody stay safe and enjoy the fights. Last thing I actually do want to plug for Daniel, make sure you check out After the Battle. Sometimes he goes on live on YouTube uh, and, and just talks about the media reactions following a fight. So make sure you guys hit him up for that as well, too. All right, Dan, I appreciate you hopping on and good luck this weekend, brother. I appreciate you, my friend, and we'll speak soon. All right, time for the main event. We got Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje to unify the titles. Uh, and I could only think of one person I wanted to do this breakdown with. Uh, you know, 
probably my best friend on MMA Twitter, uh, business partner, uh, director and MMA analyst over there at MMA Play 365. Uh, he's a manager for fighters now too, over there at Heavy Duty Fight Management. My man, Newsom. What the hell is going on, dude? How's it going? Thank you very much, Locke. Um, you know, privileged to be here for the 100th episode. I know you've got yourself a water. I've got something a little bit stiffer. So 100 episodes, baby, let's go. Cheers. <laughs> and the main event as well. So yeah, I'm privileged to be on. Uh, I'm privileged to be on the main event. I'll be looking for that performance of the night bonus. <laughs> those pay-per-view points as well, you know, send those all my way also. You know, we've got this. We've got this. Dude, me, me, so just to give you guys a little bit of backstory, me and Newsom have been trying to do a breakdown about Habib. It was supposed to be for uh, Ferguson Habib. We we're going to have a nice heated little debate because I was going to have Ferguson in the fight. He's a Habib nut hugger, as we all know by now. But, <laughs> but uh, now we got Justin Gaethje. So this is a little bit of a different fight compared to what we were expecting to go over with uh, Ferguson earlier last year, whatever the hell it was. Uh, but I'll kick things off in terms of my thoughts on this fight. So uh, when we think about uh, Habib, there's, there's pretty much one thing that we always think about. It's, it's when he gets the guys to the ground, it's his takedowns, and it's his heavy top pressure, his, his ground and pound. Not a lot of people are able to survive that, and nobody has survived that in 28 or 29 fights, whatever he's at right now. Um, in, in terms of the, the things that we don't see in between or, or are not talked about as much in between, it's the time that he's not able to get the fighters down. Like, more often than not, he gets fighters down. But one statistic I want to throw out there for you guys. Uh, in five-round fights, in rounds one and two, he's 13 of 19 in terms of getting takedowns. In rounds three to five, he's three of 11. So we see a significant decrease in, in, in his ability to get fights to the ground. However, since he has such an intimidating game in terms of, like, taking guys down, and people are pretty much always afraid of that, He's, he's so successful with his hands. Like he's allowed to let his hands go a little bit more. He has a great jab. He busted up Ali Quinta for five rounds, even when he was not able to get that fight to the ground. Uh, Edson Barboza, that's a, that's a leg kicker. That's obviously very uh, important in this fight. In that fight with Edson Barboza, he didn't give Barboza any room. He suffocated him from belt to belt, whether it was with the takedowns or just with the striking pressure, just staying in his face. So that's, that's obvious. We understand that type of stuff. But when it's, when it's the Ally Quinta fight, a guy that's not willing to really pull the trigger with Khabib kind of standing there in front of him. Conor McGregor had a little bit of success on the feet when Khabib wasn't really successful at getting the takedowns. Uh, Dustin Poirier is the, the one fight, obviously his most recent fight, where we didn't really get to see Poirier get to do much. He landed, he landed maybe one or two good shots on the feet, but uh, before we knew it, Khabib already had his back and he already started taking him down. And we didn't really get to see Poirier get to uh, pull this fight off from a distance. With Gaethje, on the other hand, I think that like, now, I'm not saying that Gaethje is going to go out there and win this fight, but I think he adds an interesting spoke to this wheel in terms of his ability with the leg kicks and his willingness to throw it from pretty much any fucking position, whether it's in the clinch, whether it's from distance, whatever it is, he's always throwing that leg kick. And he's not shy to let his shots go either, which is what I find most of other uh, Khabib's opponents were, were, they were just a little bit too gun shy in terms of letting their hands go, letting their kicks go, whatever it is. Obviously when you're throwing kicks, you're a little bit more vulnerable to getting taken down. But I feel like, you know, when we see Khabib and those exchanges where they know, okay, it's going to be striking for a little bit, he doesn't really reach for the legs or reach for the leg kicks or anything like that. So what I'm interested in seeing is those gaps of moments where we don't see this fight at the ground, 
the amount of damage that Justin Gaethje is going to be able to dish out, especially to the legs. Because I feel like that, that calf kick is going to be very, very important for him to land in this fight early, often. And then hopefully we see it pay dividends in rounds three, four, and five if we see it get that far. So I do believe, like at the current lines, what, what are we talking about? We got minus 280 for Habib. We got plus 240 for Justin Gaethje. You can get plus 260 for Justin Gaethje at certain spots. But I, I, the, the, the different dynamic that Justin Gaethje brings into this fight is kind of leading me off of Habib. I still believe that Habib wins this fight, but... No, I was hoping we was gonna have an argument there. No, 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 no. I still believe Habib no. wins this fight, but I'm not. I'm not willing to put money on Habib. I'm not willing to parlay him either. Here, I, I think the value is on Gaethje, in my opinion, just because of the different type of fight. And and everybody wants to talk about his like defensive wrestling. We haven't really seen that tested much in the UFC. Like the last person to try to take him down was Poirier. And I believe when uh, even Eddie Alvarez, when Eddie Alvarez took him down, it was actually after he rocked Gaethje. He rocks Gaethje, then he gets the easy takedown, but Gaethje's right back to his feet. We don't see much of his defensive wrestling in the UFC. And that's all people keep talking about, his defensive wrestling. But we don't, we don't see it. I'm, I'm certain that we're going to see Khabib get this fight to the ground. But for me... It's more so of Justin Gaethje getting back to his feet and doing the work with his striking, with his leg kicks, and how much that accumulatively will do for the full 25 minutes. Forgers, what do you think? So, yeah, first thing, I mean, let's start with Gaethje because one thing that's not spoken about enough in regards to, you know, you can give Gaethje all the, all the credit you want as, as a fighter and how he fights and how entertaining he is. But, you know, after that, Dustin Poirier fight, I think it was, he was talking about with the way he fights, he's probably, he's probably only got, I can't remember the number, it was like four or five fights left. And then he goes out there in his next fight and completely changes his style. We're thinking, you know, it's a one-off, um, you know, just giving himself that extra fight. The next fight, the old gauge will be back and it wasn't. And the dude has not just turned his career around in, regard, in regards to longevity, but he's completely changed his style and, Actually, I think that suits him more as a fighter than what his old style did. I mean, obviously, he was gassing himself out within, you know, a round and a half. So, from Justin Gaethje's perspective, you know, it's very interesting because if this was the old Justin Gaethje, I, you know, I think Abib would, would absolutely run through him, you know, with really no issues. But this new Gaethje is a different Justin Gaethje, and that's what makes this fight really interesting. And I don't know whether this will be a hot take with you or with other people, but... I actually think right now at this point, and I know it's very easy to say because of Gage's last fight, but right now at this point, I think this is the fight I would rather see opposed to Habib and Tony. I think at this point, Habib and Tony would want to see just out of principle just because of how many times it's been cancelled and a global pandemic had to prevent that fight from actually happening, you know. So from this fight perspective, I think this is the best fight that can be made at lightweight right now. You know, I've, I've personally got no interest in seeing, you know, Habib and Connor again. I think that goes down exactly how it went down the first time. Um, but, you know, there's, there's so many elements to this fight and wrestling is specifically one of them. So, you know, like you say, we haven't seen too much of Justin Gage's defensive wrestling. That That's true. What we have seen are a couple of uh, sprawls from takedowns attempted and things like that. But that's predominantly from open space. That's not where Habib shoots his takedowns. What Habib is an absolute master of, is a master of many things. But one thing is exit, uh, yeah, closing, closing the exits, uh, making sure he's cutting off the cage. There's no escape for his opponent to circle out. He's so good at ap applying that pressure and cutting off any angles and cutting off the cages. Uh, his opponents trying to laterally move out of the way. And 
because he does that so well, it allows him to forward pressure. When he forward pressures, he's able to get the clinch up against the cage, and that's when he starts working the wrestling, the chain wrestling, going from doubles to singles to body locks. And once he's got that grip around your body, you know, there's there's very few fighters in the UFC, in my opinion, that have got elite level grips. And a lot can be said for that. You know, I think a lot of people overlook that at times. But when you've got such a solid grip around the body of your opponent, a grip that can't be broken, you're going to have so many opportunities to either, you know, dominate against the cage in the clinch, get control time that way, or get the fight down to the mat. You know, other fighters with good grips off the top of my head, Gregor Gillespie, Curtis Blades, these guys have got insane grips. So for me, the way Habib fights in regards to cutting off those angles, cutting off the cage, closing the distance and getting a hold of you, I, as much as Gage is supposed to be this, uh, you know, elite level uh, NCAA Division One wrestler, I think in those positions he's going to be able to take him down. I mean, the dude's taking down Daniel Cormier in training, you know. And I know it's training, I know it's not a fight scenario, but these wrestlers are proud dudes, man. Daniel Cormier ain't going to be wanting to get taken down in a cage. He's not going to be wanting to get taken down in training. And especially with the banter that he's got with Habib, he's definitely not going to be wanting <laughs> to get taken down by Habib. So when Habib's taking down a 240, 250-pound elite-level wrestler in Daniel Cormier, I don't think he's going to have problems taking down Justin Gaethje. Now, the one thing you've mentioned, which is interesting as well, in my opinion, is what happens in between those takedowns. But you said it as well, you know, Habib's got very underrated striking. He did well against Edson Barboza in spots. Yes, he got caught by a couple of kicks. That's an interesting point as well, because I believe the durability is there of Habib. I don't think he's a guy that's going to go down very easily. Barboza hit him with, I can't remember whether it was a spin kick or a roundhouse to the head, but he hit him with something completely and utterly clean. And Habib didn't wobble or rock or anything like that. He just he came forward and, and carried on with his game plan. So durability goes a long way in this fight. But also he's out there dropping Conor McGregor, who I believe is a more elusive striker than Justin Gaethje. I'm not saying he's a better striker or a better fighter, but in regards to being elusive and the angles and the funky movement and stuff like that, I think I think McGregor's definitely harder to deal with from that in, in that respect in the striking department. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting what's going to happen in those moments. Gaethje's got to be the one coming forward, like you said, landing low kicks. But if he gets too close to Habib, and this is the problem, Gaethje's got two options. He either bides his time early in the fight, and that's not going to allow him to come forward. That'll allow Habib to come forward, cut the cage, close distance, take him down. Or Gaethje's going to come forward and be aggressive. But if he comes forward and starts being aggressive, Habib's not going to shoot out in the open. At least I don't think he is anyway. He'll just close the distance. He'll get that grip and he'll force Gaethje back to the cage. So for me, Gaethje's got to choose, you know, he's got to pick his poison, so to speak, because it's not going to be very simple for him. He's going to have problems going back. He's going to have problems going forward. If he starts landing these low kicks, though, like you say, Habib, I don't think he's going to start reaching for kicks. I think that's a bad signal to give off inside the cage anyway. So that's definitely got to be the weapon of Gage's choice. I'm just not sure that it's good enough at this level to beat somebody like Habib. I mean, I say at this level, obviously, it is good enough in the UFC level, but Habib's a master man, a Russian master. He's not going to... I just don't see a scenario where Habib just gets chopped down by leg kicks and doesn't have anything in response. I think it's going to be a difficult fight. I will say this, though. For as much shit that I give people in regards to 
fading Habib every single fight because I just think it's a bad idea. <laughs> if you were ever going to bet against Habib, it's probably this fight. But I agree with you. I, I just don't, I don't see it happening. I do see a little bit of value on, uh, on Justin Gaethje if you want to fade Habib. Again, value, loose term, to be honest, thinking about it because I just don't think Habib's going to lose this fight. But if anybody in the division, in the lightweight division, or previously was going to beat Habib, it is going to be Gaethje. It's that, it's that sort of style because Gaethje's durable. Apparently, he has good wrestling, good scrambles. should be able to get back, to, back up to his feet, in theory. But I honestly think once Habib's got into his rhythm, he started striking a little bit. I think Gage will come out fast. I think he'll tie up with Gage, and I think it's just going to be a fact of, uh, you know, see, testing Gage early on. And something you mentioned as well in regards to rounds three to five, the, the takedowns don't come as thick and fast as what they do in rounds one and two. Again, you touched upon it. Habib's allowed at that point to come forward and start using his hands. And do you know why? Because the wrestling and the domination has been that bad in round one and two. It completely sucks the life out of his opponents and all that energy and all that fatigue starts kicking in. And it's just, it's a nasty, nasty place to be once once you are that fatigued because you've been smothered and dominated that much. And I still don't think, I know Justin Gaethje went five rounds, well, sort of nearly at the end of five rounds against Tony Ferguson, but I still think that in a fight that doesn't go his way, which it did against Tony Ferguson. And in fact, it doesn't go his way. I'm not convinced that he's got that five-round cardio. So, you know, old Justin Gage, you'd be saying, no, he's, he's completely toast after a round and a half. And then, you know, he's sort of walking around like a zombie at that point, just surviving on whatever he's got deep down in, uh, in, in that gut of his. But I think if Habib comes out here and has a dominant round, rounds one and two, that's a fight that's not going to go Justin Gage's way. And I do think that that old gas tank will come back. Not, it won't come back because he's overexerted himself and gone nuts for the first round or two, but it'll just be sucked out of him just purely because of what Habib does. And I think those first, those first two rounds are actually really pivotal to this fight because you're going to look at this two ways. So you look at it from Habib's point of view. I've just described what I mean by that in regards to Habib taking him down, suffocating him, dominating him, sucking that gas tank out. And at that point, I don't think Justin Gaethje will have much in rounds three, four and five to beat him. And at that point, you will probably see Habib finish him. Or if Gaethje comes out good for that first one or two rounds, chops Habib down with low kicks, mixes in punches, really starts busting him up, then Habib might start getting desperate in the rounds three, four and five. And at that point, that'll probably suit Justin Gaethje. So, for me, although it's a five-round fight, the first two rounds are so pivotal to what happens in this fight and who wins. And it's whoever starts better, in my opinion, is going to win the fight. Dude, you you hit pretty much every nail on the head right there in terms of, like, a lot of people are coming out there and being like, okay, Gaethje's cardio looks a lot better, especially in that Tony Ferguson fighting. And everybody thought it was going to be the other way around. I mean, everybody thought that Gaethje was going to be the one that started to suck win. But you hit the nail on the head in terms of that fight was going his way. Like, he was going out there on out- outstriking Tony Ferguson. He didn't have too much to deal with uh, in return. Uh, when he has somebody like Khabib to deal with, when you have the wrestling and the grappling and all that type of stuff, 
obviously it's going to wear on you a little bit more, but I feel like if there's anybody with a mental that would be able to potentially overcome any type of mental block after getting wrecked for two rounds, it's probably a Justin Gaethje or I would even throw Tony Ferguson there in like a, in the, the second place. But I don't think, I don't think from a mental perspective that he'll break. I just feel that from physically a it won't, it won't stand up. Body, your body can only do so much. It can only carry you so far. Yeah. Justin Gaethje has got a phenomenal, you know, mental game, you know, that guy is, you're not going to break that guy. You're not, yeah. you're just not, it's, it's not in his, it's not in his DNA to be broken. But I just feel that it's more of a physical thing because like I say, your mental game can be, can be so strong, the best mental game, which is what I think Justin Gage has got, but your body will only accept so much and the mental game will carry Justin Gage through those later rounds if Khabib is dominant round ones, rounds one and two. But the body, I feel, won't respond to how the mental wants it to respond. And that will allow uh, Habib just to come on stronger. That's what I meant by that. I'm, I'm interested to see, though, if he is able to implement those leg kicks early and often, how that does change the tra- trajectory of that fight. Because what if, you know, like, I'm not expecting Gaethje to go out there and one-punch knockout Khabib. We know Khabib has durability. You touched on that in, in the Barbosa fight. It's going to have to come from an accumulation of strikes. It's going to come from, you know, him attacking the front leg, uh, you know, Khabib not having as much power or pop off that front leg to complete his takedowns. And then Gaethje just kind of has a little bit of fun on the feet. And you do make a good point in terms of Nurmagomedov having uh, improvements and showing that he's excelling in the in the striking realm because everybody's pretty much afraid of getting taken down. But his his combinations they're like they're like bursts of like uh, a two punch combination. Like you find it like he he blitzes forward with like an overhand and then tries to come over with his other hand. Like it's nothing like he's you know pulling off like a uh, you know a Peter Yan type of striking display. It's not like he's mixing in kicks or anything like that. He's it's because just, he's not a natural striker. That, exactly, that, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. But I I just find it hard to believe that in those lulls and in those moments in the third, fourth, and fifth round, if Justin Gaethje is even there, maybe ten percent with his physical self, he should be able to do enough damage to potentially keep this on the feet for the remainder of the three rounds. That's why I'm so like I'm so like. I'm sure there'll be people out there that are going to go out there and be like, okay, Khabib's got this in the bag, minus 280, I'll either play that straight or I'll parlay him. I don't think that's the spot here. Like, if you think that, uh, Khabib, man, do they even have the over-under out right now? Let's see what that, what that uh, it's over-under four and a half, with the under being minus 160. So a lot of people are thinking that this fight's going to be finished, at least based on the, the line movement of that under. I, I could see it. Like, both guys are quite durable. You know what I mean? Justin Gaethje, yeah, he did get finished by uh, Eddie Alvarez. Yeah, he got finished by Poirier. But that was after just, like, an onslaught. You know what I mean? Like, Khabib, his smashing style could actually finish him nice and early, too. Now, it's, it's, this, t- this fight is super fucking tough to call. And I truly wanted to go out there and predict and, and be like, all right, Gaethje has, has this in the bag. But I can't say that as confidently as I would with Khabib, either. I do feel more comfortable saying I'm predicting Khabib to win this fight probably by fifth round or fourth round stoppage. But... I, I still feel like we will see more money coming in on Khabib as the fight week progresses. And just for reference, for people who are watching, we are recording this on the Thursday before fight week. So it's October 15th. There might be a significant live movement between now and when this episode drops. But, you know, if more money comes in on Khabib and we get like minus 350 Khabib, you're probably getting what? Like plus 300, plus 290 on Justin Gaethje. I think there's a little bit of value there. And you said it yourself in terms of if there's any time to fade Khabib, this is the guy that has the tools that could potentially do it mentally, physically, with his style, 
potentially with his wrestling, as people keep alluding to, his 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 defensive wrestling. But in terms of his output, uh, his head coach, let's not shortchange Trevor Whitman. He's done a really great job with changing Justin Gaethje's game, making him a more of a an accumulative striker rather than just looking for that one punch Hail Mary knockout. Uh, and just touching upon that as well, just really quickly in regards to Trevor Whitman, if you go back and watch that Justin Gaethje and Tony Ferguson fight, so Gaethje's last fight, in between rounds, I think it was in between four. the first. I think it, oh, sorry, continue, go ahead. No, so I think it was in between the first going into the second, um, or either the second going into the third, but Trevor Whitman said, look, you're throwing too much on your punches. I want 20% off your punches. Roll with that. And honestly, like, you saw him respond to it. You saw him not throwing as many Hail Marys. His gas tank held up. He looked really great. So, no, I think Trevor Whitman's an unsung hero in regards to uh, the developments that we've seen from Justin Gaethje, for sure. In regards to <clears throat> in regards to how you bet this fight, I'll tell you the reason why I don't think you can go with totals here with the over and under, uh, because it's set at four and a half. Two and a half might be a little bit different. But with it being four and a half, the reason I don't think you can you can bet that com- comfortably and confidently is because you just don't know what Habib is going to finish the fight like. So what I mean by that is the dude is so good on the mat, he'll finish it with ground and pound if he can. If you show him a neck, he'll grab a neck. And sometimes his opponents, he'll allow, he'll allow his opponents to, you know, just keep themselves in the fight and... Ally Quint is a good, uh, a good example of that. You know, so many people were out there thinking that Abib was going to finish him. I thought Abib was going to finish him. However, the interesting thing there, Locke, is that over and under was actually set, at least in the UK, at one and a half rounds. And oh, wow. over one and a half was plus 125, which I hit and cashed. Um, but even I was a bit nervous at, at one and a half. So I thought Abib was going to go out there and, and finish him too, but he didn't. So the thing is with four and a half, which is what I thought. I never knew it was set at four and a half until you've just said it there. I had a feeling it was going to be because that's where that's where the tricky one is. Does Habib finish this fight? If he does, is it by KO? Is it by submission? Or can he not get either of them to and it rolls on to a decision, you know? It's just really tough. I think if you, honestly, if you're betting this fight, and this is just from my perspective, like I say, I, I do understand if people are seeing some value on just engaging, but the way I see this is if you've got $1,000 sat on your table in front of you or £1,000 with me being from the UK, where are you more confident putting that £1,000 to, to get that £1,000 back? I got to say Khabib. Like... <laughs> that, that's, that's what I mean. I, I honestly like... I've I've given people shit in the past for for fading Habib, like I've said before. Obviously, just banter. But this, you know, if you're actually fading Habib this time, I I definitely get it more than fading him against Dustin Poirier or Edson Barboza or Ally Quinta or Michael Johnson. I definitely I definitely think if you fade if you like if 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 you're that type of person that likes fading Habib, this is the spot to fade him in. But still, regardless of of all that, like I say, if you're wanting a return on your money, I'm way more confident putting that money on Habib. I, I, I just have that level of trust. And it's not a level of trust that I don't have in Justin Gaethje. It's just I trust Habib to stick to a game plan. I trust a man that's 28 and 0 in his professional career. The, the only fights one way. You're not going to get any nasty surprises with Habib. He's not going to come out looking to do spin back kicks to the liver or... You know, anything crazy like that. So for me, that that's how I'd bet this fight if I was betting it. I'm not sure what I'm doing yet on the card. I haven't 
really dug into it yet, but I'm more confident with with uh, with my hard-earned money on a Habib ticket than I am on a Justin Gaethje ticket. The totals for me don't do it just because I don't know. I don't know. Is, is, is he going to finish him with ground and pound? Is he going to submit him? Or is Gaethje going to be able to, to last um, until the final bell? And if Justin Gaethje does win, then is that going to be... By breaking Habib down, is Habib going to be durable enough to last, or is Gaethje going to finish him? It's just, there's just so many, there's so many unknowns and variables in how this fight ends, with it being a decision, or if one of the fighters finishes the fight. For me, it's a money line job, and you either like Habib or you like the underdog on Gaethje. For me, like I say, my my money, I'd feel safest on Habib for sure. One angle that I wanted to touch on with you, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, I touched on it with uh, Marcel earlier in the episode, but going into this event, uh, Team Nurmagomedov post Abdul Manap is one and one going into this card. You had Zubair Tuhugov that dropped a decision to Hakim Duwadu, and then you saw Ulan Bakov pull off a decision victory over Bruno Silva the other week. Obviously, we're going to have another Umar Nurmagomedov fighting earlier in the card, so we don't know what the, the, the record will be after that victory. But how do you feel that has an impact on this fight, if any? The past Have you ever met a Russian? <laughs> Listen, I know, I know Habib's here, and obviously this, this man was, you know, a pivotal part of, well, one of the biggest parts of his entire life, and he is the man who he is today because of his father, you know. Honestly, I don't think it's going to, uh, affect Habib inside the cage. I think it's going to be one of those things where we'll see Habib maybe break down after the fight. But whilst he's in that cage, honestly, I I just don't see him being. A, Russians are made of something else, man. There's a reason. There's a reason why I love Russian fighters, Russian MMA. Um, obviously, it's you know it's it's killing him deep down, but. That fire is going to be that fire is going to be burning more. I actually think it's going to be the opposite um, to what to what you might be inferring here. You know, is he going to be negatively affected? I think it's going to be the complete other end of the scale. I think it's it's going to drive him more than it's going to you know negatively impact him in his fight for sure. I think that it's it's kind of unfairly set up for Justin Gaethje in a sense that if Gaethje wins this fight, I think a lot of people are going to allude to this and be like, okay, Habib's just not the same since his father passed away. I feel yeah, like I that don't... narrative will be thrown out. And I don't think it should be. I think it's unjust. And I think Nurmagomedov would say the same thing. But I think people will just throw that out there and be like, oh, he lost because he lost his dad. You know what I mean, like, I think... It's going to try, just like, like if Gaethje wins, I want people to come back to this episode and be like, watch, there are those dumbasses on Twitter. I don't know. I agree with you. I, I do, you know. This but is I internet. don't agree with that narrative, though. I'm just saying that yeah. that narrative will be out there for sure. Um, all right, so final predictions. We're both going with Khabib. Uh, is there a certain line that you would feel comfortable playing him straight? Like, would you play him straight at minus 250, in your opinion? I mean, minus 250 is is right on, on the border of where I play fighters straight. And to be honest, it, you know, it would have to be a fighter. I was, you know, not, not just so confident in them winning, but a fighter that I feel has got a much lesser um, fighter in front of them. I'll give you a really good example. The last fighter that I bet at minus 250 straight without a parlay being busted, thanks Vegas, um, was... Jan Zhaunan when she fought Karolina Kovalkiewicz. So, I'll sit there with you. Yeah, so so for me, 
and that straight was a max bet. And that wasn't just because I was so confident in Jan Zhaunan, it was also because I was so confident that Karolina Kovalkiewicz just wasn't the same fighter anymore, uh, massively declined. It was a bad stylistic matchup. I can't say that in this fight because Justin Gaethje is a great fighter. It's not a bad stylistic matchup. He's a fighter that's actually getting better. So for me, minus 250, you obviously have to, you know, you have to lay a lot on that minus 250 to get any sort of decent returns. And I think at that point, you're probably overexposing yourself in regards to bankroll management. At minus 250, I would definitely feel uh, more comfortable parlaying him, potentially using another fighter to help bring that line down, going from it from that perspective. Um, for me, no, I, I can categorically say I won't be max betting Habib at minus 250. And it's not even minus 250 right now, like you said, yeah. it's minus 280. So for me, it's a parlay piece if, uh, if, if you're liking Habib because you're going to be overexposing yourself for a decent return at that sort of line. I'm, I'm definitely picking Khabib to win this fight, uh, but do not be surprised if you do see a Gaethje slip on my end, In case, depending on where these odds go. If you give me plus 300 on Justin Gaethje here, I might have to pull the trigger just due to the, the level of competition that we're talking about here, the improvements that he's making, and the X factors in terms of just being fucking Justin Gaethje. You know what I mean? That's, that's all I got to say. Um, all right, so let's wrap this thing up. Uh, is there anything that you want to plug on the way out, my man? I think you I think you plugged it all at the start, man. Obviously, you know, check out MMA Play 365 for everything that you need. Um, from a, a betting perspective, obviously we've got the tape index on there as well, which is a tool if you're a handicapper that I believe should be on your tool list. If it's not, then what are you doing? You know, three dollars ninety-nine a month. Um and yeah, that that's that's about it, man. Shout out to to Heavy Duty Fight Management who have taken me on board uh, to help manage their fighters as well. So you know, that's going really great. Having a fun time there. Everything, Everything's fun, man. Everything's rolling. We're having a good time in the lead up to probably the worst year that, well, definitely the worst year we've ever had in our lives for sure if you're around my age. Um, so, yeah, thanks a lot for the opportunity. Thanks a lot for getting me on here. Thanks a lot for it being the, the main event as well. Like I say, uh, I really appreciate that and Performance of the night, baby. 50 Gs. <laughs> give it up, people. Happy, give it up. Give happy it up. Episode. Appreciate it, bro. Appreciate it. All right. That is Newsome. He has Khabib. I have Khabib. Appreciate you guys uh, checking out the breakdown. And But the episode's not done yet. There's, I got one more surprise for you guys. So stay tuned for that. But Newsome, thank you for joining me. And uh, I'll see you on for the next one whenever I do uh, more guests. For sure. All right. I told you guys I had to bring the goods for episode 100. And what better way to wrap it all up than with the pride of Montreal, Quebec, mm -hmm. Canada, MMA reporter for ESPN, host of Ariel Hawani's MMA show, co-host of Ariel and the Bad Guy, DCN Hawani, and not to mention the nine-time, 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 nine-time Fighters Only MMA Journalist of the Year, Mr. Ariel Hawani. What's going on, my man? What's up, my man? How are you? Congratulations on 100. Uh, that's a big deal. Happy to be here. Dude, I appreciate you uh, hopping on. And I'm not sure if you really got me the, got the whole thing of me alluding to that whole nine time thing because I want to know what's going on with your feud with Booker T. And what do you mean? You don't, you don't think I knew what you were doing there? <laughs> Come on. 
You don't think I knew that you were referencing that 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 two bit champion who only won the belt five times because WCW had no one else to put the belt on <laughs> when they were a sinking ship and has to remind everyone that they're you know that they're a former champ. Every time he speaks, he has to remind us over and over and over again that over the hill fifty something year old uh, podcast host who has like fourteen listeners weekly. Oh, of course, no. I knew exactly who you were talking about. Ariel bringing the heat. I love it. To be honest, I think you and DC could have this whole like Dudley boys type of thing going on. And if you guys were to go over there to raw, you know, you could double like a dude and then you could just, you know, blow your nose in their face or something like that. I thought that would be a pretty good finishing move. No, listen, I know my role. Uh, I'm no superstar athlete, but you know, I, I, I know how to, you know, I, I know how to talk with the best of them and I, and I know how to put people in their place. So he's the athlete. He's the Olympian. He's the two-time champ. You know, I'm the, the smart kid from Syracuse University who will uh, let people know what's what. And I got his back no matter what, as witnessed earlier this week when Paul Heyman got a little uh, mouthy. So I, I don't know if I'll be, you know, doing any frog splashes or anything like that, but I think I can hold my own as well. Shout out to the orange, but uh, let, let's cut to the chase real quick. Uh, so we're talking about UFC 254 here. And to be honest, it's a bummer that we don't get to see Khabib fight a little bit more often, considering the fact that he's considered as the GOAT now, 28-0, ridiculous record. Um, but personally, I believe this is the most anticipated matchup from a competitive standpoint. Yeah, the Conor fight was great and all that type of stuff, but a lot of people kind of expected it to go that way. Um, not a lot of people are expecting Conor to actually win a round, but you know, it is what it is. We still got Khabib going out there and getting the rear naked choke finish. But in terms of the challenges that we've seen Khabib fight or face in the octagon, where do you think Gaethje ranks here? Oh, number one, uh, especially if he's the Justin Gaethje that we saw back in May. Uh, I remember saying on the Monday after that fight against Tony Ferguson that if that same Justin Gaethje shows up, uh, I think that he will give Habib his toughest test to date, not just in the UFC, but obviously in his career. And I think that Justin Gaethje is going to show up. I think it actually helps Justin Gaethje that there are no fans in attendance. He's the kind of guy who tends to get a little too excited sometimes in fights and likes to fight fire with fire. And sometimes, you know, the crowd and the energy, I think actually hurts him. In this regard, it's very quiet. It's just like a sparring match, if you will. Obviously, the intensity is much more than a sparring match, but I think it... it uh, it proved to help him against Tony Ferguson and actually hurt Tony Ferguson when they fought back in May in the empty arena in Jacksonville. So uh, I think that this Justin Gaethje, if he can keep the fight away from the cage, if he can keep it in the center of the octagon, if he can stuff some takedowns and keep the fight standing and his wrestling is underrated and we know about his striking and we know about his power. And we also know that he's a much more patient fighter these days. He isn't the Justin Gaethje who came into UFC from world series of fighting who would just, you know, take two punches and hand out three. Not, you know, not saying he's going to pull up the upset, but I do feel comfortable saying that this will be Khabib's toughest test. Now, Khabib could go in there and, you know, prove once again that he's the most dominant force in the history of this sport. And I believe he is. But on paper right now, I think this will be his toughest test. I, I absolutely have to agree with you there. And we have to give some credit to Trevor Whitman as well, too, because you see his expertise in the corners as well for Justin Gaethje, especially in that Tony Ferguson fight. I believe it was between rounds three and four where he told him, you know, take 10% off your shots, you know, find the shots, be a little bit more patient. And the finish eventually came out to him, you know. It wasn't a one-punch knockout or anything like that, no. but it was 
something that you know it was for something from like a horror movie you know what i mean seeing uh, tony ferguson just shake his head and you see the blood coming off his face uh that was a very very impressive performance and i think that just raises the stock obviously of justin gaethje here and kind of for a lot of people i think it makes them anticipate this fight way more than it would have been the the ferguson khabib fight from before and personally i'm not sure about you but i hope that we still get that ferguson fight it seems like it's kind of flying away from us you know khabib has voiced that he doesn't really care to have that fight as much anymore uh, i think we got like gsp in the wings that he wants to eventually fight and uh i'm not sure if there's any other names that he's throwing out there uh but do you think that we could potentially like is there in any realm that we potentially see that could be ferguson fight down the road well i think ferguson has to win his next fight you know i'd love to see him fight a michael chandler i think that makes a lot of sense by the way i'd also love to see him fight nate diaz who's kind of on the outside looking in right now like i like the idea of him fighting diaz as opposed to diaz fighting dan hooker it feels like a bigger fight they were supposed to fight a few years ago but that probably would happen at 170 if he's just looking for a fun fight but if he's looking to get right back in to the title picture i think if he fights michael chandler and beats michael chandler uh you can have a strong case here's the problem um let's say habib beats gaichi let's say he now improves to 29 and 0 let's say he truly wants to retire 30 and 0 if he truly wants to retire 30-0, there's a chance they'll explore the GSP fight, I think. If he says, no, nah, I'm going to stick around a little longer, I got three, four, five fights left in me, I don't think they'll explore the GSP fight because they don't want to have GSP beat Habib and then he walks away. Now you can't make money off the guy who just gave Habib his first loss. And so if that's the case, I think then they wait and see what happens between Connor and Dustin Poirier. And then, of course, if Connor wins that fight, if that fight gets made official, that's the fight they've wanted from the beginning, right? That's the fight that when they booked Connor against Donald Cerrone, Dana himself said, if he wins, he's next. And they tried to make him as the backup fighter and all this stuff. We know that that's the most lucrative fight in UFC history. It already is. And the rematch would be just as big, if not bigger. Um, I think it would make more money for the UFC than GSP versus Khabib as much as I would love to see GSP versus Khabib. I just don't think that Connor and GSP are on the same level right now in terms of, you know, their, their, uh, their drawing power. So there are options out there. I mean, if Chandler beats Ferguson, but to answer your question, Ferguson beats Chandler. The, the way I see that fight happening is, is, is like this. If Ferguson beats Chandler and Connor loses to Dustin, Ferguson will probably get it, but there are a few things and I agree. We are moving further and further away from it. Uh, another angle I actually want to touch on for the fight this weekend is uh, Team Nurmagomedov has gone one and one since the loss of Abdul Munap. Uh, they've obviously had Zubair Tuhugov that lost a decision to Hakeem Dewadu and then Tagir Ulenbekov that pulled off a decision victory over Bruno Silva the other week. Um, they have two fighters on this card. We have the UFC debut of Umar Nurmagomedov, and then we obviously have Khabib in the, in the main event. Uh, I feel a little bit more comfortable asking you than actually asking Khabib himself, considering how many uh, journalists have gotten scorched for asking him in this question. But I feel, personally, I feel like Khabib's going to go in there super motivated. I only take the loss of his father as motivation. I don't think it's going to be a detriment to him at all. My angle, though, is, and the potential issue I have, is what are the chances that if Gaethje goes out there and pulls off this upset, they're probably going to go out there and discredit Gaethje and be like, oh, you know, Khabib lost his father. And, you know, that's probably going to have uh, played a factor in him losing this fight. What, what do you think about that? And do you think that type of narrative is actually something that might be uh, out there after this fight if Gaethje pulls off the upset? I don't think it's, it's fair to do that. I mean, Khabib certainly hasn't brought it up as an excuse. And yeah, and by the way, I totally understand where he's coming from. And it's even uncomfortable for me. Like, I don't want to turn the loss of his father into like a storyline this isn't pro wrestling you know what i mean mm -hmm. um it is fair to wonder how he'll be without his father um 
you know, in his life. And it's just, it's, it's horrible because you know how close they were. Um, it's also worth noting that, you know, his father, other than the last fight in Abu Dhabi, wasn't in his corner for his UFC fights. Um, but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't love talking about it. And, and, and I don't think that Habib would offer it as an excuse if he lost. And I don't think it would be fair to Justin Gacy or Habib to bring it up as an excuse if he lost. It's a horrible, horrible thing. It is worth mentioning that he wasn't just his father. He was his head coach. He was his mentor. He was his best friend. So, of course, he's going to have um, an impact on his life. But I do tend to agree with you. Habib appears to be just an unflappable human being with a very strong mind. And I, if I'd have to guess, I'd have to guess that we're going to see a very motivated, determined Habib to win for his father, in his father's memory. I don't think that we will see a Habib who is all over the place, um, who doesn't look like himself, who will offer excuses. Uh, quite the opposite. I actually feel like he, he will. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable to think, considering how dominant and impressive and undefeated he is. Like, I think we'll actually see a better Habib out there on October 24th. Absolutely agree. Um, in regards to Michael Chandler, we did bring up his name a little bit. Uh, he's technically on standby right now in case Gaethje or Khabib uh, fall under the weather or anything like that or test positive for COVID. In my eyes, it seems like a little bit of a flex on the UFC's part to have Chandler as the, the backup and completely disregarding Dustin and Tony, even though, you know, considering what their most performances have looked like. Uh, personally, I thought the opportunity was ripe when RDA fell out and we had the Islam Ahachev fight out there. And that's kind of like a, almost a carbon copy of Khabib. So to see Marco Chandler go out there and possibly fight Islam and show off, you know, what he can bring to the UFC and where he's at in terms of his level, I thought that was a perfect opportunity. So if you were in control, how would you control uh, or how would you have handled the arrival of Michael Chandler to the UFC? Like having him well, as a know, standby, is that even? Nah, I mean, it's not great. I mean, we know it wasn't their first choice. The first choice was to have Ferguson fight Poirier and that serve as the backup and then Chandler just fight someone else. And then they tried, once they couldn't get Poirier, they tried to do Chandler Ferguson, which would have been great. And then once they couldn't get Ferguson Chandler done, they tried to do Chandler Poirier. So I think their intentions were the right one. This was like option four. Um, and it's obviously a little bit clunky and weird. I do think he's kind of gotten a bit of the rub from the top guy, so it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, it is a little funny considering how the UFC feels about Bellator that they would put the the guy who isn't even the Bellator, wasn't even the Bellator lightweight champion when he left Bellator and lost to the current champion, Patricio Pitbull, uh, as the standby fighter for maybe like the, the, the most... Um, sought after belt in the UFC right now held by the most dominant champion Khabib Magomedov. So that's a little fun, funny um, and worth remembering when the whole like Bellator UFC debate comes up, which it often does. Uh, but, you know, for me, I, obviously we want to see Khabib versus Gaethje. And then I think something like Chandler versus Ferguson would be great. Chandler versus a top guy. Of course, I would love to see him fight Islam. I think Islam is great. I think he's underrated. I think he probably should have been pushed a little quicker, but I think the fact that Habib is champion and, and all that stuff has slowed him down a little bit in the same weight class. Um, and I think it would have been a, a fascinating matchup. I also don't disagree with Chandler whatsoever for saying, no, I'm just going to wait because a, this guy is ranked 12th and uh, you know, I'm getting paid to weigh in anyway. I haven't really been preparing for, you know, a specific guy. I'm just kind of getting ready. Um, let me wait till like a Tony Ferguson or someone is ready. Um, so, you know, as I said on, on my show last Monday, I, uh, 
the same people who are saying it's crazy that, you know, Leon Edwards should fight Gilbert Burns number two and three are the same people who are saying that, you know, Islam should be fighting Michael Chandler, which makes no sense to me. It makes a lot more sense to have Gilbert and Leon fight than to have number 12 uh, Islam fight Michael Chandler, who's the backup fighter for the title fight. So yeah, would it be awesome? I, I'd love to see Chandler. Like we've been wanting to see Chandler fight in the UFC since he beat Eddie Alvarez. It's been almost a decade, right? So I'll, I'll see him fight against anyone. Like give me, give me, a non-ranked guy. Give me. It would just be fun to see him in there because he was always one of those guys that we thought would never come over. But I get why he was saying like, "Nah, I'm just gonna wait until I get like a proper fight." It seems like Ferguson might be the way to go eventually, just given the fact that I'm knocking on wood. I'm hoping that we we do get Khabib Gaethje this weekend. It's not like you can spur Michael Chandler right into a title shot if you know uh, he doesn't end up stepping in. Uh, I think Tony Ferguson is the perfect matchup for him you know, it comes Saturday and we do actually get Gaethje Khabib. Do you think that's the right step for him as well? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I do. I do. If they're not gonna, if they're going to do Connor versus Poirier and, um, and Ferguson's kind of like on the outside looking in, there's really no one else that makes sense. If you want, you know, they're paying Michael Chandler a lot of money as has been discussed. And so if you want to get your money's worth and you want to push the guy and you want to see just how good he is and you signed him away from Bellator, I think seeing, you know, seeing how good he is against a guy like Tony Ferguson, who let's be honest, there are questions about now, right? I mean, I, mean, I think Habib was fair in his assessment. How is he going to rebound from the, the beating he took from Gaethje? He is, you know, closer to 40 at this point than he is 35, Tony Ferguson. I think people forget that. And he has been through some tough fights and he has taken some damage. So a guy like uh, Chandler coming in with his skill set, I think would be really interesting. Um, and then if he wins, now all of a sudden you've got a new contender and Michael Chandler, some fresh blood. So yeah, I would like that. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's go to the co-main event. We got uh, Isra- uh, sorry, uh, Jared Cannonier against Robert Whitaker. Um, we already know what happens if Jared Cannonier wins. He gets vaulted into a title shot that's pretty much written on the walls already. Now, what if Robert Whitaker goes out there and actually pulls it off? He has a win over Darren Till already. He has a, he'll have a win over Jared Cannonier, let's say hypothetically. Uh, I'm not sure how many people would actually dispute him getting another shot at Izzy after racking up two wins over solid guys, in my opinion. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I mean... The resume would certainly warrant it. I just don't know how much of an interest there is in seeing that fight again, Izzy versus Whitaker, because we just saw it a year ago, right? 12 months ago, we saw it early October of last year, and it was fairly one-sided. There was no controversy. It didn't go the distance. I mean, I thought Izzy, you know, really in, in many respects, like proved that he was that much better, at least on that night, than Robert Whitaker outclassed him. So I just don't know how sellable that fight is right now. I don't even know how fair it is to Izzy to make him do it again so soon. But a who year else plus. is there, right? Who else is there? Well, That's then I, I, I think then you'll, you'll see Izzy maybe try to go up to 205 and fight Jan um, and to build him up a little more. Um, you know, his coach, Eugene Behrman, has said that in a couple of interviews this past week. Uh, I think it'd be a little funny if he did that, to be honest, because, you know, like we were just talking about him going up to fight John and now John's gone and he's going to fight Jan. I get it. It's two belts, all that stuff, but it, it does look a little weird. Um, if that's the case, if, if, okay, if Whitaker wins and if they don't love the Jan idea, they being the UFC, then I think we would probably wait until Jack Hermanson and Darren Till fight, hopefully in December. And I wouldn't be surprised if Hermanson wins, they'd give it to Hermanson. And I also wouldn't be surprised as crazy as it is if Till wins, they'd give it to Till, even though he'd be on a wide fight winning streak. It's just because it's a fresh matchup and they have their back and forth and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it, it would certainly complicate things. Jared winning would make things very easy. And I think people would be interested in that fight. But man, Whitaker looked great in his last fight. And 
and and and you know and and if he beats Cannonier, he'll probably look good as well. Uh, and I think people kind of forgot just how good you know Robert Whitaker is because of what happened in the Izzy fight. So if he does something spectacular against Cannonier, it's going to make uh, the UFC, you know, it's going to make them have to make a really tough decision. No, I, 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 I wouldn't be completely against it if they did give Whitaker the shot once again. I'm not really a whole uh, about this whole like moving up in weight and fighting for a title. Like he's yeah. talked about going out there and clearing out the division. I, and yeah, I get I he's already it. beaten Whitaker, and but you know we can say what we want about Whitaker's mental state as well too. There, that was a, a huge narrative going into that fight. Yeah, you know he he was dealing with a lot going into that. Um, let's do. I do want to wrap this up on one thing though. Uh, recently, within the last hour or so, uh, we did see a, a tweet from Weidman talking about he wants to fight Chimaev in January. I know they have a date set aside for December nineteenth. Uh, yeah. I believe that's a fight night, and that's the night that they wanted Chimaev to headline. Uh, do you know of anything? Is there anything that you can share in terms of like? Uh, do they have somebody lined up for him? Technically, like there's a lot of people turning him down. Nobody wants for Chimaev. Yes. Uh, so, Neil Magny has offered to fight Chimaev. Um, my understanding is UFC doesn't love that matchup because Neil Magny's a really tough out, right? I don't agree. If you want to push the guy, he's got to get by the Neil Magny's of the world. Absolutely. Um, there's no, it's no secret. U- UFC is very high on Chimaev, right? He's very popular. It's been a great year. He's the breakout fighter. He's the newcomer. He's the rookie of the year, whatever you want to say of 2020 for the UFC. And so they're trying to put him in there against a name a former champion, a former title contender, and uh, and try to build him off of off of that guy. So the two guys that they've been trying to push for him to fight are Wonder Boy, who said unequivocally, as did his dad, that they're not interested in that fight. And now they moved on to Weidman. Um, Weidman just moved. Uh, if you follow him on social media, you know that he moved from New York to South Carolina. Um, his, if you follow again, if you, he's he's made it very public. Like if you follow him on social media, his whole house is upside down. He's renovated. He, he, we're talking about a fight that's in two months against a really tough guy, and he just fought back in August. Uh, the timing doesn't work, but to his credit, he said, "Hey, I'll fight him in January." He's not turning down the fight as they were um, trying to paint the picture, you know, a, a few days ago. He's not turning down the fight. It's just that day didn't work for him. So it'll be interesting to see at this juncture. If a they just save Shamaya for January, if they really want to have him fight Weidman, or they say screw it, you know we'll have him fight Magny. Um, obviously, one fight would be at 185, one fight would be at 70, which is kind of funny and speaks to just how good Shamaya is—the fact that he could be in the mix for those two guys. Um, I would say if you know, again, like if if he's that good and we think he's that good, then he has to get by a Magny at some point. Um, and Magny's good. He's not a world beater. Like it's a winnable fight in my opinion. So why not? But um, right now, as we, as we, as we are sitting here right now, they haven't decided who's next for him. Honestly, it doesn't feel like Jemai is the type of guy they need to coddle on his way up. You know what I mean? Like people can yeah. say what they want about like Connor's rise where he was like fighting Dennis Seaver before getting a title shot or something like that. Jemai seems like the type of guy that's willing to take a guy like Neil Magny, who is, you know, you got to give him his credit. He is a tough help for sure, but that would definitely cement his legitimacy within the UFC even at welterweight, middleweight, whatever the hell it is, let this yeah. guy go. I personally, I want to see him go out there and hold both the belts and just, you know, simultaneously fight middleweight, welterweight, middleweight, welterweight, right? That that would be really, really cool to see. And especially in the dominant fashion that he's doing it. Like he's Khabibing these guys even worse than Khabib does. I agree. Know? Oh yeah, so he's it, finishing them. He's he's trying to finish them. He's not just trying to ground them out and, and, and beat them up en route to a decision. Like he is looking for the finish. You got to give him credit. And then, you know, knocking out, 
Mershart the way he did, very impressive. Shows that he obviously has power and, and knows how to strike. So, you know, I, I, I have no problem with the Magni fight. Like when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is great. Plus you have a guy like Magni who's saying like, yeah, no one wants to fight the guy. I'll fight him. And, and, and the Magnis of the world at this juncture could be like, no, nah, I'm not going to fight an unranked guy. So give Magni a lot of credit. I don't know why they're they're not that high on it. I think they probably think that Weidman is a bigger name and also a more winnable fight right now because the jury is still kind of out on where he is. I mean, I thought Weidman had a solid win over Ahmedov and, um, you know, it was the type of win that he needed to get back on track. But we're still not really quite sure, like, you know, is the old Weidman back? How What's the ceiling now type of thing? So I get the matchmaking, but uh, if they really wanted to fight December 19th, then have him just fight Magni, who's ready to go December 19th, in my opinion. All right, so let's wrap up on this. Just a little bit of the backstory about how me and Ariel kind of know each other. Nine years ago, I asked Ariel to come on my college radio show, and he was very, very generous with his time. We went through his upbringing. He went through it in great detail. Um, I'll actually put the link for that podcast in the description below if you guys want to check that out. Uh, he offered solid takes on uh, the Strike Force heavyweight tournament at the time. Um, yeah, dude, that's how late we're talking. Yeah. Uh, the Fitch Penn scoring uh, wow. from UFC, what was that, 127? There we go. And you, yeah, I know you have those on tap, as well as the Catman versus Sanchez fight, which was a, an oh, agreed yeah. to scorecard as well, too. Um, yeah, that, was, that was a great year, by the way. Uh, shortly thereafter, the UFC uh, or Zufa's bought strike force yeah yeah no that, that we were in the thick of things with strike force back then i believe it was hendo versus fejo card that we were yeah. wrapping up that night as well too uh so that's just proof that no matter how big ariel Hawani has gotten he doesn't forget about the little people so i gotta give him a quick shout you're out no for little that. people i remember you you working for the ufc I was, I was, I was doing, I wasn't working. I was technically volunteering for them uh, with their PR department. Uh, and then soon after I had graduated college, uh, you know, they, they just started trimming the Canadian offices. So I saw my dream kind of just float away, but it's kind of worked out because now I'm pretty much my own boss, get to do my own thing. And it's kind of worked out regardless. But the question that I actually wanted to get to, to wrap this up was if there's one thing that uh, Ariel of today could tell Ariel of nine years ago, Oh. Is there anything that you could that you could tell us off the top of your head that you would words of wisdom that you would give Man. young Ariel? That's a good question. Um, I would say <clears throat> I don't have a lot of regrets, but I would say to enjoy the ride. You know, nine years goes by really quickly. Um, nine years ago, I didn't have any children. I have three now. Um, I'm working for ESPN. Like a lot, a lot has happened in those nine years. Uh, I would say, so just like enjoy the ride, enjoy the moments, the highs and lows, enjoy the events, the ups and downs. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. But I do believe like the pressure that I put on myself has led to good things, you know, so I wouldn't necessarily want to get lazy or anything like that. And uh, I would also tell that guy that, uh, you know, some crap is going to happen and you'll be okay. <laughs> Uh, because you know you, you you're uh, you, you stay true to yourself, and uh, I think the fans see that, and they 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 think that I'm authentic, and and that I uh, I'm trying to do what's best for you know covering the sport, and uh, some some bad moments are going to happen, but it'll all work out. You're you're gonna you're gonna end up in a good spot, so don't worry about it. 
I don't think working for ESPN is the worst thing in the world. You know what I mean? No. That's probably the pinnacle of pretty much the career that you're in. the best, yeah. Yeah. And, and it seems like they're, they're treating you great. You got a whole week full of material and content huh. that you re- usually uh, stay busy with. How you have all the time in the world to do all that, I have no idea. So uh, They treat me really great. And it's amazing. I st- like, I'm about to approach three years at ESPN. It's crazy. Talk about how fast time goes, right? I mean, uh, I'm at two and a half years now. Three years will be June of next year. And uh, I still, it still feels weird that I work for ESPN. It still feels surreal that, you know, Jewish kid from Montreal ended up at ESPN talking about this great sport. And I mean, this past year has obviously been very tough for everyone, but the beginning of the year was pretty awesome, you know, doing NBA sidelines and things like that. And so Obviously, I hope I get to do that, but never leave MMA. I love MMA, and, and, and I feel like MMA has been doing great things in the midst of this pandemic in the sense that, you know, uh, they, they've, uh, they've put on great fights and the fighters have been able to fight. So that's really good for the sport. Um, I still can't believe that I get to cover, you know, mixed martial arts for the worldwide leader in sports. And I hope that feeling doesn't go away. Dude, it's awesome. The one thing that's really great about your rise as well is seeing the level of comfort that you have with these fighters since like nine years ago to now. Like you have two shows now with two of the the, the most reputable fighters uh, who have ever fought in the game. So it's great to see that for sure. Um, anything Thank that you want to say on the on the way out? Anything no, you man. Uh, you don't got to plug want... anything. Everybody already knows uh-huh. what the hell you do. But No, I just want to say, you know, keep up the great work. Keep doing your thing. Keep grinding as well. Keep dreaming big. You know, it's great. 100. I remember my 100th episode is a really, really big deal. It's a great milestone. Um, But don't, you know, don't rest. Shoot for 500. Shoot for 1,000. And, uh, you know, I want to thank you for having me on. You can can have anyone on your 100th show. So that's a really big deal. And I also want to thank you. um, When I was in Toronto late last year, uh, you, you were, you wow, were kind I enough. Remember that. Wow. Of course, man. What do you think I am? Uh, you, you were very kind to, you know, offer me to come over things like that. I was there. I think I was there for 20 hours in and out, but you know, those are very nice things, uh, that, that, that you do. And I, I appreciate your, your, you know, your, your looking out for me like that. So thank you. And I wish you, you and the show and the site, nothing but the best. There it is. Mr. Ariel Hawani from ESPN. I appreciate your time as always. And thanks for joining me, brother. Thank you. I told you guys it was going to be a banger of an episode. Did I not? I had to kill it for you guys. I had to do something big and special for episode 100. And I feel like I delivered. I feel like I lived up to the expectations. And I hope you guys feel the same way too. Shout out to Ariel. You know what I mean? Uh, guy is killing it in the MMA game. Obviously, number one when it comes to MMA media. Uh, everybody seeks out his platform uh, to 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 truly convey their messages, their news, and everything. So I, I I'm I'll never have a bad thing to say about that guy. Sometimes he gets flack on the internet. I don't understand it. It's just truly because you guys don't know who he truly is and what kind of guy he actually is. And I was just ecstatic when he told me that to be down to come on for the for this hundredth episode. So hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, and shout out to everybody else that was able to hop on for the for the episode too. You know what I mean? Let me just go through the list real real quick again. Um, of course, I don't have it. Uh, but yeah, just shout out to everybody. Dan from Best Fight Picks, Newsome MMA, Rockstars D, John Stargarian, Clint from Die Hard MMA Podcast, my man Derek Love, um, Scott Shelvock. You guys are killing it. I appreciate every single one of you. I, I'm sorry for anybody that I missed. But again, you guys can follow them on Twitter. Uh, I'll have all their Twitter handles in the description below. So make sure you guys check that out. Uh, and lastly, 
check out the Patreon. You know what I mean? That's the best way you can support your boy. Five bucks a month allows me to do this thing full time, allows me to give you guys even more quality content, put more time towards these breakdowns and giving you guys the best breakdowns I can. Um, obviously doing it to the best of my ability while holding down a nine to five currently, but I know I am this fucking close to being able to do this thing full time and uh, the support of you guys from, you know, just being a YouTube subscriber to you guys hitting the like, those small little things go a long way for uh, somebody like me that's trying to do this thing uh, full time. And then obviously anybody hopping over on the Patreon, very, very much appreciated over there, uh, getting the early access to the breakdowns, getting all the official picks, and then obviously getting the best bets and props article. Um, I know everybody over there is loving it. And we got a great Discord channel going on with the Patreon too. Everybody's super positive in the in the chat there. The live event banter is great as well. So you guys don't want to miss out on that either. And then obviously any of the live plays that we're able to determine and 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 pinpoint uh, are much easier to to do through the Discord channel than through Twitter or anything like that. So uh, make sure you guys check that out. All right. Uh, yeah, once again, I'm, I'm just so ecstatic that I got, that I was able to get this episode together, do all the work to get everybody together, um, and, and release this for you guys in a timely fashion. And I feel like I was able to do that. So once again, shout out to everybody that was on the episode, shout out to Ariel Hawani for joining me, uh, to, to break down the storylines for this card. And, uh, yeah, that, that's about it. Uh, once again, you guys can join me on Friday, uh, every day. Uh, every day before the event, uh, I'll be going live on YouTube so we can talk to the, you know, talk to, to, to anybody in the chat. Uh, we always have great questions in there. Uh, I'm more than happy to chat with you guys there for about 45 minutes to an hour. So I'll see you guys on Friday, either at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I'll tweet it out. Obviously, check out MMA LOTN on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, that's about it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Put a lot of work into it. Uh, it means a lot. If you haven't already, hit subscribe, hit like. Those small things go a long way for a guy like me that's trying to do this thing full time. So appreciate you guys as always. And I will see you guys over at the live stream on Friday before the fights. Enjoy the fights. Hopefully we make some money this week. And thank you guys as always. Episode 100. What a blast. Yeah.